Tunsberg, Norway, March 1942. Hydra forces led by a man named Johann Schmidt invade a stone church looking for a cosmic artifact, only told in legend, what's known as the Tesseract, which possesses unforetold powers, the jewel of Odin's treasure room. Johann breaks the obviously fake Tesseract and locates the real Tesseract. He opens the vault and finally possesses the Tesseract, shining bright on his face. Johan kills the churchkeeper and guards with the Tesseract, and then orders fire on the rest of the village. Elsewhere, a young man named Steve Rogers goes into an enlistment office, trying to join the fight of World War II, and he gets rejected due to a lot of reasons. He later goes to watch a movie, where first plays a war commercial, to which someone yells to hurry up and play the movie, causing Steve to tell them to shut up. The man stands up and faces Steve, and shortly after, after he beats Steve in an alley outside. His friend James Bucky Barnes finds him and gets the man to back off, beating him. Steve and Bucky then go to Stark Expo, where Howard Stark appears, showing them the futuristic technology they're dealing with and creating for the world. Although Steve doesn't care much about the future, and only the present, he notices a recruitment office and goes to enlist. Steve and Bucky argue, and a doctor named Abraham Erskine overhears Steve's words, and comes to talk to Steve. Abraham confronts him about his multiple attempts and offers him the chance to join. Meanwhile, Johan and Dr. Zola experiment with the Tesseract. They grab it from its box and put it into Zola's machine. And after what initially seems like a malfunction, they're able to steal energy from it successfully. At training camp, Agent Petty Carter and Chester Phillips oversee their training. Chester talks to them about their job as candidates of Project Rebirth a super soldier experiment being conducted by the Strategic Scientific Reserve. Steve trains but fails at a lot of things, often falling behind. At about the halfway point in the track, they have to grab the flag on top of the post if they want to ride back instead of running. They all fail and it's said no one's gotten the flag in 17 years. So they all continue running in formation, but Steve gives it a shot. But in a different way. He deconstructs the post and grabs the flag, getting a ride back with Agent Carter. They continue training and Chester doesn't believe Steve will be a good candidate, but Abraham thinks quite the opposite. To test, Chester throws a fake grenade to see who has guts, and everyone runs besides Steve, who jumps over the grenade and yells for everyone to get back. He successfully passes the test, and later in the night, Abraham tells Steve he was chosen. Peggy and Steve arrive at a random building in New York where Peggy speaks the code word, letting both of them into a secret underground facility, where scientists, other agents, and security are walking the halls. They walk to the main base and down to the workers. Steve takes off his shirt and lays on the machine, prepared for the treatment. Howard Stark is also there to help. Abraham speaks to the funders and government as everyone prepares the machine. They take the super soldier serum and vitarays, stabbing Steve with penicillin. They prepare the serum infusion as the machine begins to power. The serum goes into Steve and he groans. Howard flips a switch which raises the machine and closes Steve in a capsule. Howard then turns the power up to 70% where Steve begins to groan and shout. Abraham tells Howard to shut it down but Steve yells no, don't, I can do this. So Howard continues raising the power until they reach 100%. The machine lights brighter as everything around seemingly malfunctions. The machine powers down and Howard unlocks the capsule, revealing a now fully buff and super soldier Steve Rogers. Everyone congratulates each other. But Johan's hired assassin Heinz Kruger 
intruder is there, who looks around the place before clicking a button which explodes the glass on the second floor. Heinz grabs a jar of the serum and shoots Abraham and other guards. Abraham, however, dies in Steve's arms. Heinz gets in a car and they drive off. Peggy, however, aims carefully and hits the driver directly, crashing the car. Heinz gets out and gets into a taxi where he drives towards Peggy. Steve jumps and pushes her out the way as Heinz drives away. So Steve begins running and rushes down the streets with his new heightened speed and height. Steve catches up to him and jumps on top of the taxi. He stays on until Heinz hits the side of the truck, causing the car to tumble. Heinz gets out of the car and shoots Steve, who uses the taxi door as a shield. Heinz grabs a child and Steve keeps running to him, who Heinz shoots his gun at, only to have no bullets left. So he throws the kid into the water, who tells Steve to keep going. Heinz gets into a submarine to which Steve jumps down into the water to grab onto, smash the window and then bring Heinz back up. The serum breaks but Heinz hails Hydra and immediately commits suicide by cyanide pill before he can be interrogated for information. Back in the facility they are deciding to take the fight directly to Hydra. Chester is leaving Steve behind though as they do tests to try and rediscover Abraham's formula. Senator Brandt however offers to tour the nation to promote war donations, acting as an image of the ideal soldier for the public to get behind. He begins performing as the star-strangled character Captain America, recording promotions and going to a multitude of shows. Comic books begin to be sold, his promos begin playing in the movies, and Captain America quickly becomes a star and the symbol of hope for America. In Italy, November 1943, he's booed off stage by the soldiers because they wanted the girls back. But as he relaxes in the rain, Peggy arrives back. After they talk, Steve learns that Bucky's unit was lost in a battle against Hydra, to which Chester thinks Bucky is dead. They aren't going to save the lost because of the fear they'll lose more than save, but Steve goes to save them himself. He puts the suit of Captain America on and gets in the car, but Peggy is able to help further with just words. As she and Howard help him by flying him in a plane, they get shot from the ground but Steve jumps out of the plane and parachutes down as Howard and Peggy turn the plane around. Steve is able to sneak through the woods, hiding in a truck heading directly into the Hydra factory. He sneaks his way through the base, grabbing a piece of the Tesseract machinery, and eventually arrives at the soldiers, where he frees them all quietly. He gathers them all to mob the factory and take down as many guards as they can. Johan sounds the alarms as the soldiers power through the base, using their own Tesseract weapons against them. Johan sees Steve the cameras and prepares to self-destruct the base. Druhan grabs the Tesseract as Zola grabs his documents. He begins running but Steve ignores him, finding Bucky tied up. Steve sees their plans and runs out the room. The soldiers get out but the building explodes. Steve and Bucky quickly run until they meet with Johan and Zola. Steve punches him but Johan hits his shield. Steve kicks him out the way and Zola makes the bridge break apart. Johan speaks to him, taking off his human mask, showing off his true self, his red skull. Johan and Zola escape while Bucky walks across a bridge to get to the other side. The bridge falls as Bucky makes it across and Steve is forced to jump across the gap. Back at base, Chester and Peggy think they're dead, but a bunch of soldiers arrive with Captain America. He saved them all, and they even brought Hydra weapons back. Steve surrenders himself, but Chester declines. The whole base cheer up a storm for Captain America. Steve tells him about the base spots he saw briefly and that there's a main Hydra base that's off the map. Chester is preparing a team to go with Steve to go and fight Hydra, but Steve is doing that himself and gathers his own team. Peggy arrives and organizes a time the next Next morning for equipment testing and flirts with Steve a little bit. Stark gives advanced equipment including a vibranium shield. Peggy shoots to test it and it works fine. He gives Howard some ideas about the uniform and leads his team into battle, taking out multiple Hydra bases one by one. Dr. Zola is on a train that the team is preparing to enter. The train comes and they zipline down, jumping on top 
of the train and heading to the ladder. Steve and Bucky get inside and move through the train, but Hydra lock the door between Steve and Bucky and they both fight as best they can. Steve blocks his guy's shots and takes him out. Steve and Bucky then perform a combo move, but another guard comes in to fire at them, which sends them both back. Bucky grabs the shield and shoots but gets knocked out of the train. Steve takes the guard out and climbs outside the train as Bucky is barely holding on. Steve reaches for Bucky, but Bucky falls off and down from the train to his death. After this, Jones quickly locates and captures Zola. Chester tries to take Zola on his side, and Zola tells him that his target is simply everywhere, as Red Skull is preparing for battle the very next day. Steve is upset by Bucky's death and Peggy helps him gain some motivation. Chester talks to everyone about how Red Skull wants to blow up the world, starting with the United States. Howard says that he can wipe out the entire eastern seaboard in an hour. They have less than 24 hours to attack Hydra's last but main base. So Steve organizes a plan and goes forth. He heads directly to the main entrance, defeating any obstacle that comes his way. He beats down a multitude of guards but gets surrounded. He gets taken directly to Red Skull, who prepares to shoot Captain America, but Steve's team ziplines through the window to help. Steve now follows Red Skull as the remaining soldiers push the Hydra base. Red Skull fights back Captain America, who is able to hold the door open with a great shield throw. After Peggy destroys the flamethrower guard, Steve pushes forward. Red Skull prepares the Valkyrie, Hydra's massive aircraft bomber, and begins to leave. Steve runs to it and misses it, but Chester and Peggy arrive in Dr. Zola's car, which Chester is able to use to boost at insane speeds for Steve to jump across. Peggy grabs and kisses Steve, and Steve jumps onto the aircraft. Peggy and Chester barely make it as Steve climbs aboard. He sees the missiles, which are all named with locations to fire at. Guards come over, but Steve fights them off one by one. He drops one of the bombs into the ocean, and as a guard gets in the missile and prepares to aim at one of the locations, Steve gets on the missile and they fall through the sky. Steve is able to eject the guard and get into the missile to fly around. Steve aims for the back of the skycraft and narrowly makes it. He picks up his shield and enters. Red Skull was ready for him and fires at him, and the two fight vigorously. And Red Skull seemingly has power over Captain America, and picks up his shield to use against him. Red Skull turns on autopilot and the two continue fighting. Steve shoots the shield to hit Red Skull away, which hits the Tesseract out of the box. Red Skull holds it, but its power is way too much for him, and as he keeps holding it, his hand and then Red Skull himself gets sucked into somewhere in space. The Tesseract falls out of the aircraft, which is still on course for New York. So Steve decides to make a tough decision. He has to put the aircraft into water before a lot of people die due to the bombs. He talks to Peggy, and although she doesn't want him to do it, he says it's his choice and dives the aircraft down. He requests a rain check on the dance and they organize a new date. Steve drives the aircraft directly into the ground as the radio cuts out, as Chester leaves in sorrow and Peggy cries. The aircraft lands in an unknown location and falls further into the ice. Hydra is now finished and gone. Howard and his team find the test and Peggy is given Steve's file by Chester. One year later, and Peggy Carter works in data analysis and code breaking for the Strategic Scientific Reserve, under John Flynn's command. The SSR are hunting down the Zodiac, and John isn't letting Peggy go. Peggy misses Steve as the boys go to get drinks, leaving Peggy alone in the office. The office gets a phone call giving the Zodiac's coordinates. They recommend three to five agents go, but Peggy works alone. She arrives at the location, but two men go outside to get her away. She, however, beats both of them up, and when the guy inside grabs a gun, he looks back up to see her gone. He goes outside only for a gun to be pointed at his head. She gets him to tell him the location of the Zodiac. 
She gets him to scream for help so more guards come rushing in, only for Peggy to knock two of them out with a pole without hesitation. The last guard looks around and Peggy doesn't hesitate to walk around the corner and shoot continuously. She throws a smoke bomb through the door and enters the room wearing a gas mask. She finds the Zodiac and retrieves it before it's revealed there's another guard wearing a gas mask. He takes her mask off but she's able to defend herself and before being choked to death, she's able to stab him and then kick him away. She grabs a suitcase and walks out. She then arrives back and gets heckled by her boss, although there's another call from Howard Stark for Agent Carter, saying she'll be running shield with him from now on. John tells her the news and she leaves. Outside of Earth and across the galaxy, two alien races, the Kree and the Skrulls, have been in constant war with each other. Since the Kree are the ultimately superior species, due to their technological advancements, the Skrulls have been numbered down significantly to the brink of extinction. The Kree Empire continues to attempt to wipe the Skrulls from the face of the galaxy. In 1995, at the height of the war, Veers resides in Hala. She has constant nightmares that haunt her, mainly consisting of an airplane crash on a foreign peninsula, and watching a woman being murdered in front of her by an unknown scroll, Asylian. She also remembers this as the earliest memory of when she gained her powers, that allow her to shoot photon blasts out of her fist. Veers now trains with Yon-Rog, aiming to control her powers, but also to become a member of Star Force. Although Yon-Rog believes she is ready, the supreme intelligence, the artificial intelligence that rules the Kree Empire, which appears in physical form of whoever you admire, figures otherwise, but nonetheless allows Veers and the team which consists of Minerva, Kurath, Broncha, and Atlas. Yonrog gives the Star Force a briefing to rescue a Kree operative named Solar. Yonrog informs the team that Solar has been captured on the planet Torfa, so Yonrog instructs the team to perform an incursion on the planet. Veers and the rest of the Star Force land underwater and use their suits to reach the surface. Soon they realize that the Torfa natives are scrolls, and that the mission was an ambush. They fight the scrolls as best as they can. Veers is abducted by Skull General Talos, disguised as Solar, who kidnaps her to a Skull spacecraft, while the rest of the Star Force retreat. On the spacecraft, Telos gains access to Veers' memories from various points in her life. Veers awakens just as Talos unlocks her memory containing information on coordinates for something connecting to a light speed engine. She fights scrolls off and runs through the ship, being unable to shoot any photon blasts, but eventually is able to break them off and shoot away. She then orchestrates an escape off the ship and begins heading towards planet C-53, aka Earth. Veers and the scrolls crash in Los Angeles. Veers crashes through the roof of a blockbuster video in the middle of the shopping plaza, while Talos and the scrolls assume the role of surfers on a beach the next day. Veers uses her skills to be able to communicate with Yon-Rog, learning she will be stranded on Earth for the next 22 hours. She attracts the attention of S.H.I.E.L.D. after a night shift police department officer reports her in. Nick Fury and Phil Coulson arrive at Los Angeles to interrogate Veers, dismissing her Kree authority and her claims that the scrolls have arrived on Earth. The interrogation is interrupted by one of the scrolls. Veers gives chase to the scroll on a subway train, but the scroll evades her and escapes amid the crowd at the train station. Fury and Coulson give chase to Veers, who finds out that the scroll turned into to a grandma. As the scroll drops the crystal and runs to turn into someone else, Fury realizes that Coulson was actually abandoned at the shopping complex, and the Coulson sitting passenger side next to him is a second scroll imposter. The two have a scuffle, and the scroll is killed when their car crashes into oncoming traffic. Veers lost the scroll at the station, but utilizes the scroll crystal containing her lost memories and begins recollecting them until it breaks up. She dresses in a civilian outfit she stole from a display and steals a motorcycle to drive to Pancho's bar in the nearby town of Rosamond. 
Fury and Keller take possession of the deceased scroll, and while performing an autopsy, Keller authorizes Fury to work with Veers, and eventually hand her in shield custody. Fury finds Veers at the bar, and now fully convinced that the scrolls are a threat, the two question each other to ensure that they are not scroll imposters. Fury takes her to the Joint Dark Energy Mission Facility in Nevada to confirm Veers' claims of her origins on Earth. She learns that she was a fighter pilot for the United States Air Force alongside a fellow comrade, Maria Rambeau, both under the tutelage of Wendy Lawson for Project Pegasus. Veers recognizes Lawson as the woman murdered in all of her dreams, and later learns from Yonrog that she was a Cree named Marvell. Fury reports their location to Keller, and a group of agents led by Keller arrive, including Coulson. Upon realizing that Keller has been compromised by Talos the whole time, saved by Veers, Fury goes rogue with her, with Coulson allowing the two to escape. Motivated to seek answers from Rambeau, Fury and Veers, accompanied by Goose, a cat who they encountered at the facility, hijack a quad jet and travel to the Rambeau residence in New Orleans. Both Rambeau and her daughter Monica Rambeau are surprised to see Veers still alive. The two identify Veers as Carol Danvers, a fighter pilot who was seemingly killed with Lawson in a test flight gone awry. They also identify Goose as Lawson and Danvers' pet. Talos and Norex arrive at the Rambeau residence, only to negotiate a temporary alliance, after Talos reveals that he was in possession of a black box from the plane crash. Upon hearing the recording from the black box, Danvers finally recollects the memory of what happened. The assassination of Lawson was orchestrated by none other than Yon Rog, who had uncovered Marvel's deception. Marvel instructed Danvers to destroy the energy core powering the lightspeed engine, but in an attempt to destroy it, Danvers gained cosmic abilities after absorbing the energy from the exploding engine. With no recollection of her memories, Yonrog was authorized by the Supreme Intelligence to train her into becoming a Kree operative. Talos reveals that Danvers has been deceived by the Kree, and that the Skrulls are simply homeless refugees constantly on the run from the Kree, on the brink of extinction. Talos confides in Danvers that Marvel was actually a Kree double agent, who was attempting to help the Skrulls by testing the lightspeed engine, which can help them flee Kree occupation forever, and that the black box in Danvers' memories contained the coordinates to a former laboratory cloaked in Earth's orbit that Marvel had used, containing the last of the scroll refugees as well as the energy core that powered the engine. Later that night, Danvers shows different suits to Monica Rambeau so that they can pick the right one, and Monica decides upon Danvers' new suit. The next day, Yonrog arrives on Earth to confront Danvers. He quickly realizes that the Danvers he was communicating with was Norex, and swiftly executes him. Danvers, Fury, Talos, Maria, and Goose take the quad jet to the laboratory, revealing it from its cloak, and find the core which Lawson called the Tesseract in a research. Upon finding refugees, Talos is reunited with his wife and daughter. The Star Force, however, ambushes them and uses their device to stop Danvers from being able to use her powers. Danvers goes to fight Yonrog but fails, so Yonrog places Danvers under stasis to confront the Supreme Intelligence. She awakes to have a conversation with the Supreme Intelligence. Danvers tries to fight the Supreme Intelligence but it throws her to a wall and pushes her through it. It then shows her memories. Danvers hits the ground but then gets back up. The Supreme Intelligence pushes her away, but she's able to remove the inhibitor that has been limiting her full power potential, snapping her out of her stasis, waking her up and she blasts the Star Force, stealing the Tesseract back. She blasts agents away and wants Fury to take the Tesseract, but then Fury realizes that Goose is actually a Flurkin, and witnesses her abilities firsthand after she swallows the Tesseract. 
Danvers uses her powers to easily take down Starforce. Fury and Maria are then cornered, but Goose takes down several soldiers. In a battle for the Tesseract, Danvers overpowers Korath, Bronchar, and Atlas, while the Skrulls escape on the Quadjet with Rambo and Fury. Yonrog fights Danvers, but she overpowers him. Yonrog realizes the Tesseract isn't with Danvers, and so he distracts her while the other Starforce members continue to fight her. Talos is shot by Yonrog as the door closes and Maria drives the ship, being able to shoot the laboratory's wall in order to escape. As they head down to Earth, so does Yonrog, who takes Danvers down with him. He shoots her off the ship and she falls. She then controls her powers and flies towards Yonrog, who was shooting at Maria and Fury's ship, taking him down and causing him to crash. Ronan and the accusers arrive in Earth's orbit and begin to dispatch Kree ballistic missiles at Earth to kill Danvers and the Skrulls. Danvers flies through the sky, however, and destroys the missiles by pushing one back and hitting the others. Ronan orders that they all fire at her, and she single-handedly destroys one of the Kree warships easily heading to Ronan's ship and staring at him coldly, prompting the accusers to retreat. Yonrog arrives on Earth and challenges Danvers to a duel, but she instantly blasts him with a Photon Blast. She then sends him back to Hala with a warning for the Supreme Intelligence, declaring war. In the aftermath, Goose claws and blinds Fury's left eye while his guard is down. The Skrulls take temporary shelter at the Rambo residence, where Talos begins to recover from his injuries. Danvers tells Fury to keep the Tesseract on Earth and hands Fury a modified transmitter pager to call her in the event of an emergency. Danvers says goodbye to Monica and Maria, flying into the sky to join the Skrulls in finding a new home. Sometime later, while drafting the Protector Initiative, Coulson comes in to show Fury possible new eyes, and tells him that they still haven't found the Tesseract. He leaves, and upon learning that Danvers's callsign was Avenger during her time in the Air Force, renames it to the Avengers Initiative in her honor. Elsewhere on Earth and years later in 2008, Playboy and visionary industrial genius Anthony Tony Stark, son of the now deceased Howard Stark and CEO of leading military defense contractor Stark Industries, flies with Lieutenant Colonel James Rhodes a member of the US Air Force, to a war-torn Kunar, Afghanistan, to demonstrate his company's new Jericho missile. After his presentation, while riding in a transport convoy, Stark is ambushed and critically wounded. He runs out of the car and runs away, but a missile lands right in front of him, blowing him away and embedding several pieces of shrapnel into his chest, several fragments dangerously close to his heart. He's eventually found by the Ten Rings, where he's held captive in a cave. An electromagnet built by fellow captive Ho Yinsen keeps the the shrapnel that wounded Stark from reaching his heart and killing him. The Ten Rings leader Raza offers Stark freedom. In exchange, Stark must build a Jericho missile for the terrorist. They get everything that he needs to build it and Tony and Yinsen agree that Raza will not keep his word of letting Stark live. While pretending to work on the missile, Stark and Yinsen secretly build a powerful electric generator called an arc reactor to power Stark's electromagnet. They then begin to plan to build a powered suit of armor designed by Stark to help them escape. The Ten Rings check up on them, noticing they're working it and go away without noticing that Stark and Yinsen are going ahead with their suit of armor. The Ten Rings eventually realize they're building something different and ambush the workshop when they discover Stark's plan, but they begin torturing Yinsen. But Stark says he needs him, so they let him go, telling Stark he only has until tomorrow. So Stark continues to build his suit. He begins to put the suit on and the Ten Rings can't find Stark on the cameras, so they send their agents to look for him. The agents try to open the door but it explodes. They send all their agents there as Yinsen begins to power the suit up. Yinsen 
Quentin runs out the cave to save Stark time and begins shooting at them to get away, but eventually he's cornered. The suit finishes powering up as the agents enter. They look around, but using the armored suit, Stark flies his way out of the cave and eventually finds a mortally wounded Yinsen. Stark goes to him, but Yinsen reassures Stark and urges him to continue his escape as he's going to die and finally reunite with his family. And in no time, Yinsen dies. An enraged Stark walks towards the cave exit with no fear as he burns the terrorist stockpile of Stark Industries produced weapons. He then flies away to escape, but quickly crashes in the desert, which destroys the suit. After being rescued by a search party, including Rhodes, Stark returns home. He immediately calls a press conference to announce that his company will no longer manufacture weapons, having seen firsthand the strife that they cause in the wrong hands. Obadiah Stane, his father's old partner and the company's manager, meets with him and tells Obadiah he wants to keep looking into arc reactor technology, and shows him his own arc reactor to convince him. In his home workshop, Stark creates a more powerful arc reactor for his chest, with his trusted personal assistant Pepper Potts' help. He then looks at his suit blueprints, and begins to spend the next few months building an improved version of the suit, with multiple tests, and after noticing the suit freezes up when it's at a certain height, is eventually able to make it fly around perfectly. After a rocky landing, he opens a gift from Pepper. Elsewhere, the Ten Rings have Stark's suit and are experimenting on it, and while his new suit is being painted red and gold, at Stark's first public appearance after his return, Christine Everhart informs him that the Stark Industries weapons, including the Jericho missile, were recently delivered to the Ten Rings, and are being used to attack Elmira, Yinsen's home village. Stark confronts Stane about the supplied weapons and learns that Stane is trying to replace him as the head of the company. Enraged, Stark continues to build and test his suit, and eventually dons his new armored suit with the help of his machines, and flies to Afghanistan, where he lands without fear. He fights and helps save the citizens of Golmir from the Ten Rings' wrath. Stark begins to fly away, being shot down. He then rises from the ground and fires a single missile at a tank hitting it directly and walking away. He begins to fight off more soldiers and then begins to fly home. While flying, Stark is called by Rhodes, who basically tells him he knows it's him. Stark is annoyed by two F-22 Raptors on behalf of the US Air Force. He gets chased around the air and phones Rhodes, immediately revealing his identity in an attempt to call off the attack. Stark flies down and helps one of the failing pilots to activate the parachute. Stark flies home and Pepper learns of the suit. Meanwhile, Rasa from the Ten Rings meets with Stane, and offers to exchange the designs and suit with him. However, Stane has Raza and his faction eliminated, taking the suit for himself. Returning to Stark Industries, Stane orders his scientists to have a new suit reverse-engineered from the wreckage. Seeking to find any other weapons delivered to the Ten Rings, Stark sends Pepper Potts to hack into the company computer system from Stane's office. Potts finds evidence of Stane supplying weapons to the terrorist, but also discovers that Stane had initially hired the Ten Rings to kill Stark in Afghanistan, and after an uncomfortable encounter with a suspicious Stane, Potts meets with Phil Coulson to inform him of Stane's activities. Stane's scientists reveal that they cannot finish his suit, as no one can manage to duplicate Stark's arc reactor. So, Stane ambushes Stark at his home, using a sonic taser to paralyze him and take his current arc reactor. Left to die, Stark manages to crawl to his lab and saves himself by reusing his original arc reactor. Meanwhile, Stane puts the arc reactor in the old suit. Rhodes arrives at Stark's, as Potts and several S.H.I.E.L.D. agents attempt to arrest Stane, but he hears this. Stark puts the suit back on and bids Rhodes farewell. Stane dons his suit and attacks the agent, 
happens. But Stark arrives in the nick of time and pushes Stain away. Stark fights Stain and leads him to the maximum height of his old suit, which he fixed in his new suit. With little to no power, Stark lures Stain atop the Stark Industries building and instructs Potts to overload the large arc reactor there. She begins to do so and distracts Stain long enough until he gives her the signal. She hits the button and unleashes a massive electrical surge through the tower that knocks Stain unconscious, causing him and his armor to fall into the exploding reactor, killing him. The next day, the press dubbed the armored hero Iron Man, and Agent Coulson gives Stark a cover story to explain the events of the night and Stain's death. At a press conference, Stark begins giving the cover story, but then instead announces that he is indeed Iron Man, shocking the public as the crowd of interviewers suddenly begin roaring out questions. Afterwards, Nick Fury visits Stark at his home, stating that Iron Man is not the only superhero in the world, and that he wants to discuss the Avengers initiative. In Russia, the national media is televising the news conference in which Tony Stark revealed his identity as Iron Man to the world. During this, a sick Anton Vanko dies in the arms of his son, Ivan Vanko, telling him that the only thing he has left to leave him is his knowledge, which turns out to be blueprints for the Arc Reactor, which motivates Ivan to seek revenge on Stark as he builds the Arc Reactor. Throughout the years up until this point in 2011, Stark continued to use the Iron Man suit to protect people and his fame has increased massively. He reopens the Stark Expo to fulfill his father's dreams of endorsing inventors and inventions that will one day benefit the world. As Stark leaves the stage, he notices that his blood toxicity is rising. After being summoned to attend a Senate Armed Force Committee hearing on the existence and threat of the Iron Man armor and similar suits being developed in retaliation, Senator Stern demands that he hands his armor technology over for military application. Stark, however, refuses as he says the Iron Man suit and Tony Stark is the same concept, and to give it over would be to turn over himself. He then proves that other attempts by foreign powers to duplicate the Iron Man suit have failed miserably, and also embarrasses corporate rival Justin Hammer, who had testified against him, by showing he had also made a bungled attempt at creating a prototype. Stark then returns home, where Jarvis confirms that the toxic levels of his blood have risen. The palladium that is powering the arc reactor keeping the shrapnel from reaching his heart is slowly killing him, and there are no other suitable replacements. What's keeping him alive is also the thing that's killing him. Later, Stark makes Pepper Potts see of Stark Industries and makes Natalia Rushman his new assistant. At the Monaco Grand Prix, Stark takes out the Formula 1 driver who is representing Stark Industries and drives it himself, seeking some enjoyment before he dies despite putting himself in immediate danger. Unbeknownst to anyone else, Vanko, or Whiplash for a better name, has gained a pass to the Grand Prix through the means of his associate, plotting an attack on Stark, using his modified harness with electric whips. Vanko appears on the racetrack and attacks the racing cars, knowing Stark would come. He attacks Stark and begins to go towards him, but with the aid of Happy Hogan who directly hits Vanko, who gets hit again and again by Happy, Stark tries to get the briefcase they were carrying, and uses it to put on the portable Mark V suit, and now with the suit on his thrown around, but is eventually able to easily defeat Vanko by taking his arc reactor. Stark discovers that Ivan is the son of disgraced Russian physicist Anton Vanko, who collaborated on the first arc reactor with Stark's father, Howard Stark. Vanko is later broken out of jail by Justin Hammer, who recruits him to help him make his own Iron Man suits, and gain revenge on Stark by tarnishing his name and image. Stark throws what he believes will be his last birthday party and promptly proceeds to get drunk while wearing the armor. When Stark begins to endanger his party guests, by blasting objects out of the air in their vicinity, Rhodes goes downstairs to put on the Mark II armor. He heads upstairs and tells everyone to get out. Rhodes then goes to Stark to begin to fight him. They fly around the place and fight each other. They both then fire at each other and create a large blast with their shots. Rhodes then takes the suit and flies to a military 
base. And the next day, Stark, disgraced and hungover, is approached by Nick Fury of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Rushman, who in reality is Natasha Romanoff, who injects him with lithium dioxide to abate his symptoms. They provide him with a box of his father's old research that can hopefully be used to find a cure for his pedillion poisoning. Coulson, however, goes to investigate something happening in New Mexico. Using his father's research, Stark discovers a message from his father that leads him to examine the original 1974 diorama of the Stark Expo. In reality, a disguised diagram for the molecular structure of a new element. Stark hand-builds a particle accelerator with the aid of Jarvis and synthesizes this new element, creating a new perfected arc react that cures his palladium poisoning. Realizing Hammer's involvement with Venko, Stark immediately tries the new arc reactor and races to the Stark Expo. At the Stark Expo, Justin Hammer unveils his new military drones based on the Mark II armor, and Rhodes' new upgraded suit. Stark arrives though and faces the new suits. Stark talks to Rhodes and tells him that Hammer is working with Venko. Unfortunately, it is soon discovered that Venko has complete control of both the drones and Rhodes' new armor, and Stark flies away as the robots go on the attack. Hammer attempts to regain control of the drones, but Pepper calls the police. As Stark battles against these remote-controlled enemies, Happy Hogan and Romanoff race to Hammer's Hammer Industries headquarters to stop Venko. By the time they arrive and Romanoff defeats all the guards, they soon realize that Venko has already departed for the expo in a new, more powerful suit of armor. And while Stark and Rhodes fight, Romanoff is able to give Rhodes control of his armor again, so that he and Stark can fight Venko's bots together. Stark and Rhodes suit up and work together to take all the bots down, as Hammer is put into NYPD custody. Venko, however, with his own powered suit with advanced whiplashes arrives. The two armored allies fight their best fight with Venko and work side by side to hold their ground. The two are chained by Venko's whiplashes, but they combine their powers by shooting at each other and create a large blast with their full power to successfully take Venko down. But Venko's armor and the hammer drones are revealed to have been equipped to self-destruct. As they begin to detonate, Stark races as fast as he can to save Potts, reaching her successfully. He flies her to a rooftop where they reconcile and inevitably kiss, and Rhodes keeps the suit. At a debriefing, Fury informs Stark that while Stark is most unsuitable for the Avengers initiative, S.H.I.E.L.D. wants him as a consultant. Stark agrees on the condition that Senator Stone himself present him and Rhodes with their medals for bravery. Not too long after, but elsewhere on Earth, Bruce Banner recalls the events in which he was transformed into a monster by experimenting on him trying to make humans immune to gamma radiation. He destroys the lab and hospitalizes his lover, Betty Ross. Ross's father, General Thaddeus Ross, forced Banner to go on the run for years as he is now a fugitive of the United States Army. Banner finds a home in Rosenha, Brazil, where he works at a soft drink bottling factory, and has learned breathing techniques and martial arts to ward off his transformations. Banner has not had an incident for five months and has been looking for a cure ever since. When Banner gets a cut, his blood drips into a bottle at the factory, and is ingested by an ill-fated consumer in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Ross uses this incident to pick up on Banner's trail, and sends British special ops expert Emil Blonsky with an attack team to capture Banner. Banner then makes an escape to the bottling factory he works in. During the run, he bumps into a gang of thugs, one who was his former enemy at the bottling factory. During the confrontation, Banner transforms into the Hulk at the bottling factory, and one by one ends up taking out the thugs and everyone on the team. Before Hulk escapes, Blonsky, the last soldier alive, takes a good look at the Hulk, before Hulk throws a forklift truck at him, which he barely survives. Banner escapes and goes to Guatemala, and then the US. 
where he finds the now-recovered Betty Ross at Culver University. Dating psychiatrist Leonard Sampson and his friend Stanley Lieber, a pizzeria owner, gives him a job as a delivery boy. He uses this job to continue his research by sneaking past a security guard at the university. Ross sees Banner at the pizzeria and they later reunite. Ross is informed by Blonsky that Banner escaped because of the green monster. Ross then continues to explain that Banner was the monster, created by a failed experiment meant to replicate the super soldier program. Blonsky then volunteers to be given a small dose of an altered super soldier serum, another failed experiment but considered very promising, that increases his strength and agility. Blonsky then leads a second attack on Banner at Culver University, where he and his team encounter Banner who then transforms into the Hulk. They are then pushed back by the Hulk and Hulk yells as they all begin to fire at him. Hulk runs to them but easily defeats them all. Blonsky mocks the Hulk who seemingly gets killed by Hulk and a helicopter flies in and attacks, causing Hulk to throw a metal at it, destroying it completely and then saving Betty Ross from an explosion, and he then takes her to the Smoky Mountain National Forest. Banner and Ross go to Greyburn College in New York City to meet Mr. Blue, who was revealed to be Samuel Stearns. Stearns invented a potential antidote and Banner accepts it, despite the risks. Banner is restrained and a transformation is induced, but is successfully reversed through Stearns' antidote. Stearns revealed that he has synthesized Banner's blood into a large supply in hope of using it in the next stage of human evolution, while Banner tries to convince him otherwise. Meanwhile, it's revealed Blonsky survived and is healed, and joins the army for another attempt to get Banner, who was suddenly tranquilized by one of Ross's snipers. Ross and Banner are taken into custody, while Blonsky confronts Stearns and asks him to give him a sample of Banner's blood to add to his power. Stearns warns that the super soldier serum and gamma radiation together could create an abomination, but Blonsky doesn't change his mind. The procedure transforms Blonsky into a Hulk-like monster who knocks Stearns into a sample of Banner's blood, and goes on a rampage through Harlem looking for someone who could challenge his new strength, the Hulk. Despite his fears that he has cured himself of Hulk permanently, Banner is given permission to fight Blonsky and jumps from General Ross's helicopter in an attempt to re-trigger his transformations, as he feels Hulk won't let him die. Banner emerges from a crater in the street below as Hulk, and proceeds to face Blonsky. Hulk and the Abomination run to each other and begin their lengthy, destructive, and harsh fight, while also protecting Betty and General Ross, who had been put in harm's way. Hulk continues to fight the Abomination and chains him up fully. Hulk stomps on his chest and yells loudly after his victory. Hulk pushes the Abomination to General Ross in the US Army, and after briefly seeing Betty again is forced to run away once more, and must go back into hiding. 31 days later, Banner is in Bellacula, British Columbia, trying to learn how to control his transformations instead of curing them. Meanwhile, Phil Coulson, who's still heading to investigate the situation in New Mexico, stops at a Roxham gas station to fill up his car, and as he tries to decide between which donuts to buy, two armed robbers enter the shop and hold the night clerk at gunpoint, telling her to empty the cash register. Coulson reveals himself to the criminals and finds stupidity, offering to surrender his pistol. However, he tricks them into allowing him to slide her over through the next aisle, and so while they're distracted, the agent takes them both down. Coulson then casually pays for his donuts and leaves the night clerk staring in awe, and recommends that she inform the police that she was the one who subdued the thieves. Coulson then continues to drive to a remote impact crater in the New Mexico desert. Upon finally arriving, over the phone he informs Fury that they found it, which is revealed to be Mysterious Hammer. Rewind just a little earlier in the week and travelling to Asgard, Thor Odinson, now an adult who carries Majunia, prepares for a ceremony where he would be formally recognised as Crown Prince. Loki looks on enviously. Before Odin can follow through with a proclamation, he senses the presence of intruders. Three frost giants infiltrate the security rooms that hold the casket. However, the destroyer appears and stops the intruders from reattaining the casket, killing all three. Examining the remains, Odin seems calm, yet Thor is angry and wants to attack. 
and Odin disagrees. Thor gathers Loki and his close friends Volstag, Vandril, Hogan and Sith and they ride out to the Bifrost Bridge. Heimdall allows them to pass and the six are transported to the Frost Giant's domain, Jotunheim, a frozen crumbling wasteland. They confront Laufey who taunts the Asgardian warriors. Frost Giants surround the six and Laufey allows them the chance to leave peacefully. Loki manages to persuade his brother into accepting the offer and they prepare to depart. However, upon walking away Thor reacts rashly to an insult and a battle starts between the Asgardians and Frost Giants. And during the battle, Loki experiences an unusual reaction when he is touched by a Frost Giant. Luffy releases a Frost Beast and the Asgardians retreat to the Bifrost. Thor kills the beast but once again the team is surrounded and things look desperate. However, Odin arrives and intervenes to save the warriors, apologizing to Laufey for the intrusion and attempting to reinstate peace. But Laufey states that they are now beyond reason, that the Frost Giants are now at war with Asgard. He attempts to stab Odin who blasts Laufey back and takes the young Asgardians home. Back at the Asgard side of the portal, Odin lets the four friends go and confronts Thor and Loki. Odin is furious that Thor has dragged Asgard back into war and tells Thor that he's not fit to be king. Odin strips Thor of his powers, banishes him to Earth and sends Majunia after him a few seconds later, saying, whoever holds this hammer if he be worthy shall possess the powers of Thor. On Earth, Thor is immediately hit by Foster's van as they drive into the storm that he emerged from. Thor faintly begins to question where he is and becomes aggressive to the point that Lewis tases him, knocking him out. The three scientists load him into their van and take him to the hospital. Once again, he starts fighting as he wakes up and he is eventually tranquilized. Selvig tries to get Foster to leave and be, saying that he is some kind of nut, but she is curious and attracted to him. At the hammer, however, someone eventually finds it and begins trying to get it out. When the scientists begin looking at all the things they gathered from their research and see Thor's body in an image of the atmospherical disturbance, the trio go back to the hospital but Thor has escaped. As they drive off in the van, they hit the Asgardian man again and knock him out, but this time they take him with them. Meanwhile, a crowd of people are trying to get the hammer out of the ground, but Coulson finally arrives and calls Fury about it. Meanwhile, Foster gives Thor civilian clothes that belong to her ex-boyfriend. On Asgard, Thor's four friends begin to suspect Loki had something to do with Thor's banishment, and he admits that he called the guard to tell Odin. Loki realizes that he's not pure Asgardian, and Odin admits that Loki was taken from Jotunheim as an infant and raised as his own. Loki is confused and angry as Odin falls into a coma-like state called the Odin Sleep, leaving Loki to become acting king. After overhearing locals discussing a satellite crash 50 miles due west, Thor decides to go there immediately, and once again Selvig tries to get Foster to leave him alone, and she reluctantly agrees. But they immediately see S.H.I.E.L.D. taking all their gear away to do with the recent occurrences. Thor however walks about the town and tries to get a horse in the pet store. Foster appears and gives him a ride and the two head west in the van. After dark, Foster and Thor arrive on the scene. Thor infiltrates the encampment while Foster huddles in safety. After beating up many agents and being targeted by a man named Clint Barton, a boa who never misses a shot and who awaits orders to take the shot, Thor beats up the final guard and finally reaches the hammer but is unable to lift it. He howls at his powerlessness and drops to the ground, putting up no fire as shield agents close in and take him. Phil Coulson questions Thor, and when he leaves him alone briefly, Loki appears in the room. Loki tells Thor that Odin is dead and he cannot come back to Asgard, leaving Thor distraught. Selvig, with a fake driver's license, arrives and lies to the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents, telling him that Thor is Foster's ex-husband and is under the influence of steroids. Coulson lets Selvig take Thor, who grabs Foster's notebook on the way out. Back in town, Selvig takes Thor out for a drink, now trying to convince Thor to leave Foster alone due to the complications he has, and would continue to cause her. The two chug drinks in bond 
Bond. Back at Asgard, Loki is able to use the Bifrost to meet with Laufey. It is revealed that Loki was the one who let the frost shines into Asgard to try to retrieve the casket during Thor's coronation. He makes a deal with Laufey that he will let them into Asgard again to kill Odin and have their casket, and in return they will return home in peace. Loki comes back and commands Heindel to open the Bifrost to no one. On Earth, however, Thor brings the now drunk Selvig to Foster's trailer, and Thor and Foster go outside to gaze at the stars, and Thor explains the Nine Realms and the Bifrost bridge to her. She figures out the bridge is a theoretical Einstein-Rosenbridge wormhole, the very same that she's been researching. Back on Asgard, Heimdall allows the four young Asgardians and friends of Thor to use the Bifrost if they want, and walks away, and they all arrive on Earth. Loki, however, goes to the Destroyer and sends him to destroy everything. However, Thor's friends arrive, who tells him that Odin is still alive. On Asgard, Loki walks to Heimdall in anger, and freezes him entirely, using the hatchet's power. The Bifrost is used once more as the Destroyer arrives in New Mexico Desert, and when Coulson and his crew confront the bean, it starts blasting everything with a heat ray. Thor and the three scientists attempt to get everyone away safely as the four Asgardians confront the destroyer. Unfortunately, however, they get easily defeated and Thor asks them to head away from this fight. Thor on his own goes to confront the destroyer and asks Loki, who can see and hear what's going on from Asgard, to leave the humans alone and return for himself. The destroyer, however, gives Thor a vicious backhand slap and sends him tumbling, apparently dead. Jane runs to the body in tears. However, Thor's selfless act of protection proves him worthy to once again wield Majulnir, which frees itself from the crater and returns to Thor's hand. He is restored to full life and once again fitted in his red cape and armor. With his powers returned, he easily deflects the destroyer's blast and defeats the destroyer. Coulson arrives and talks to Thor, who is told by Thor that they are allies, and for them to return Jane's equipment and research. They then head to the last Bifrost opening when he realizes that Heindel isn't answering, as the frost giants invade Asgard through the portal, walking past the frozen Heindel. Moments later, Heindel breaks free from his ice and prepares the Bifrost. Thor then leaves Earth to return to Asgard, promising Foster he will return. Laufey goes to Odin's bedchamber, and as he prepares to kill the Norse god, Loki kills Laufey to appear to be the hero. However, Thor arrives, but after a quick conversation is knocked out of the building. Loki goes to and sets the bridge up to destroy the ice planet Jotunheim. Thor flies to him to try and stop him and the two engage in combat. Thor immobilizes Loki with Majulnir and starts to destroy the Rainbow Bridge to stop the portal. When the bridge eventually shatters and the Rainbow Bridge is destroyed, the two brothers fall into space but Odin arrives and catches Thor, who holds Loki's staff. Loki, however, admits defeat and allows himself to fall disappearing into the void. All seems normal back on Asgard, although Odin is saddened by the turn of events. Thor mourns for his brother and misses Jane Foster, whom he was unable to visit with the Bifrost now destroyed. Odin tells Thor that he's proud of him, and Thor goes to Heindal, gazing out over the severed edge of the Rainbow Bridge, and assures him that Foster is looking for him. As back on Earth, Foster is in a new lab with new equipment, now being assisted by S.H.I.E.L.D. Afterwards, Selvig has been taken to the Joint Dark Energy Mission Facility, where he meets Nick Fury. Fury shows him the Tesseract in a briefcase, which he says could be the source of unlimited power. Loki then appears in the reflection, invisible to Selvig and Fury, and says, I guess that's worth a look, which Selvig repeats due to Loki's subtle influence. Sometime after this, Phil Coulson walks into a restaurant where Jasper Sitwell is eating breakfast, and informs him that the World Security Council wishes Emil Blonsky released from prison to join the Avengers Initiative. They see him as a war hero and blame his fight in New York City with Bruce Banner on Banner himself. They order S.H.I.E.L.D. to send an agent and negotiate Blonsky's release from custody with Thaddeus Ross, and the two agents decide to send a patsy to sabotage the media so Ross will refuse to release Bonsky. Tony Stark is perfect for the job and arrives at the bar, where he finds a drunken and defeated General Ross. Upon acknowledging the recent battle in Harlem, the two discuss a team being put together. Tony ends up annoying Ross so much that Ross tries to have him removed from the bar. 
In reply, Stark buys the bar and schedules it for demolition. The next day at the restaurant, Sitwell arrives at Coulson eating breakfast. Coulson informs him that their plan worked and that Blonsky will remain in prison. Elsewhere, researchers in the Arctic Circle find the buried wreckage of an aircraft, and while investigating the aircraft's interior, two of the researchers discover Captain America's shield and eventually Steve himself. After almost 70 years in ice and being presumed dead, Steve wakes up in a bedroom. Steve realises he's not where the lady says he is when he hears the game is from May 1941 and has already happened, so it's not live. She presses a button and guards come in, but he pushes them out the way and runs out the building with guards following him. He runs faster and faster, arriving at the Big Apple, where security surrounds him and Nick Fury shouts, At ease, soldier. Steve and Nick Fury meet, and Fury informs Steve that he's been asleep for almost 70 years. After Fury asks if he'll be okay, Steve says he will, but he had a date. About a year after Fury's big week of learning of and or recruiting Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, and Hulk, the year hits 2012 and after being exiled from the Nine Realms following his actions in Asgard, Loki wanders the periphery of outer space, before coming into contact with the other, the servant of a mysterious warlord. The other makes a deal with Loki. In exchange for the Tesseract, a powerful energy source being studied by S.H.I.E.L.D. on Earth, his master promises to give Loki command over the Shatari, a warmongering race of cyborgs so that he may conquer humanity. Seeing this as a chance for greatness, Loki accepts. On Earth, Nick Fury, Maria Hill, Phil Coulson, Eric Selvig, and Clint Barton are called to the Joint Dark Energy Mission Facility in the Mojave Desert, where Dr. Selvig is researching the Tesseract. The Tesseract has recently begun emitting strange quantities of energy on its own accord, prompting the facility to be evacuated. Barton tells Fury that there's been no messing with the Tesseract from this side, but before any necessary precautions can be made, the Tesseract activates, opening a portal from which Loki appears. He immediately attacks the agents surrounding him and defeats them all. He goes to Barton and uses the scepter, given to him by the other, to enslave the minds of Barton. Fury grabs the Tesseract however as Loki announces his plan, and takes over Selvig and several other S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. As the building is about to blow, they shoot Fury, and despite the efforts of Fury and Hill to try and stop them, Loki escapes with the Tesseract. In response, Fury reactivates the Avengers initiative. Natasha Romanoff is currently trapped, but upon Coulson calling and saying their exact location and threatening them, they give her the phone. Romanoff puts Coulson on hold and immediately defeats them all. She picks the phone back up and Romanoff is sent to locate Bruce Banner, who has been living in Kolkata, India as the Doctor. Banner is lured out by a young girl who immediately leaves, and Romanoff confronts and then briefs Banner on the card situation. Fury himself meets with Steve Rogers, informing him of Loki's theft of the Tesseract requesting his help in recovering it and subduing the invader. Agent Coulson is then sent to recruit Tony Stark, who sees all the Avengers he's being teamed with, and Pepper goes to leave for DC so Stark can work. All accept the offer. Meanwhile, Loki uses a septic to communicate with the other, who warns him that the consequences will be unspeakable if he should fail. The group gathers on the helicarrier, which first was a boat that turned into its true form. Banner starts tracking the gamma radiation emitted by the Tesseract, and when Coulson is trying to get Rogers to sign his cards, Shield tries to find Loki. Loki is eventually discovered in Stuttgart, Germany, where he attacks a man named Heinrich Schaffer before terrorizing a crowd of people attending a gala, providing a distraction so that the brainwashed Barton may retreat Viridium to stabilize the Tesseract. However, Rogers arrives and protects an old man from being killed by Loki. Romanoff arrives as well to apprehend Loki, and Rogers and Loki and Cajun and even fight until the timely intervention of Stark, who forces Loki to surrender by aiming every gun in existence at him. After capturing him, they board a Quinjet and start their return trip to the Helicarrier, although a lightning storm suddenly forms and Thor appears, transported to Earth by Odin and Heindel's dark magic. Thor jumps on the jet and arrives, taking Loki from the team's custody and carries him to a nearby forest. Thor attempts to persuade 
persuade Loki into abandoning his campaign and returning to Asgard, but Loki, blinded by his jealousy of Thor and contempt toward Odin, refuses. Stark flies in and attacks Thor, pushing him down into the forest. Stark engages him in battle and Thor attacks him with lightning, which only powers up his suit to blast at him. The two fight continuously, but before any further damage can be done, Rogers intervenes and attempts to get Thor to stand down. Thor responds by lunging at Rogers with Majornia, only for the captain's shield to absorb the blow. After destroying a lot of the forest, Thor finally agrees to work with the humans, and joins them into bringing Loki to the Helicarrier. On the Helicarrier, Loki is imprisoned inside a cage designed to hold Banner's Hulk. Fury attempts to interrogate him regarding the Tesseract's location, but Loki remains silent. Thor reveals Loki's plans to the Avengers. With the Tesseract, Loki hopes to open a portal that will allow the Shatari access to Earth, thus beginning an alien invasion. While Stark and Banner work on locating the Tesseract, Stark is intrigued by Banner's level of control over the Hulk. Rogers, annoyed by Stark's erratic behavior and disrespect towards authority, tries to get him to follow orders more carefully, which instigates a rivalry between the two. Amidst their arguments, they begin to question S.H.I.E.L.D.'s intentions deducting that Fury is hiding something regarding their plans with the Tesseract. Stark reveals that he has started hacking the agency's mainframe to unlock their secrets, while Rogers leaves to investigate the restricted areas of the helicarrier for himself. Both Stark and Rogers' investigations stumble upon Phase 2, which they realize is a project aimed to use the Tesseract to make weapons. The Avengers confront Fury with their discoveries, to which he reveals that S.H.I.E.L.D. began using the Tesseract to manufacture weapons in response to the incident with the Destroyer in New Mexico. A massive argument ensues, during which the brainwashed Barton, accompanied by various soldiers also working with Loki attacks the helicarrier, crippling one of its engines. The resulting explosion destroys the lab where the group is arguing, causing Romanoff and Banner to fall into the boiler area, trapped by wreckage. Despite Romanoff's attempts at calming him down, the injured Banner transforms into the Hulk and chases Romanoff through the helicarrier. Thor comes to her rescue and brawls with the Hulk, only to be outclassed in strength. A shield jet attempts to lure the Hulk away from Thor, only for the Hulk to leap at the plane and take it apart. The jet explodes and the Hulk is sent carrying toward the ground. Rogers and Stark try to repair the damaged engine, but Loki's underlings hinder their efforts. Romanoff confronts Barton and after an intense fight she is able to break Loki's control by delivering a concussive blow to Barton's head. Thor attempts to prevent Loki from escaping but is tricked by an illusion of Loki and trapped in his former prison cell. Coulson tries to save Thor, but Loki stabs him through the chest with his scepter and then jettisons Thor from the helicarrier. Thor breaks free from his cell at the last second, landing in a field, while Rogers and Stark eventually overcome their aggressors and get the helicarrier airborne again. However, the victory is bittersweet as Loki escapes and Coulson dies from his injuries. Fury attempts to use Coulson's death to motivate the Avengers into cooperating as a team, but Rogers and Stark get into another argument. However, the two realize that Loki plans to open a portal above Stark Tower, at the center of New York City, in an attempt to satisfy his ego. Rogers, Romanoff, and Barton take a Quinjet to New York City, City, following Stark in his suit. Stark arrives first, failing to stop the brainwashed Shelvig from using the Tesseract to open the portal in conjunction with a device he built. Stark confronts Loki. The two engage in a brief battle of wits, with Stark failing to intimidate Loki with his threats regarding the Avengers. Loki unsuccessfully tries to possess Stark as his arc reactor physically blocks the Scepter's power and instead throws Stark through a window. Fortunately, Stark manages to get his Mark VII armor, which attaches to Stark before he can hit the ground. Stark then attempts to incapitate Loki, but Selvig's device initiates opening a portal above New York. The Shatari fleet emerges, beginning Loki's invasion. Barton, Romanoff, Rogers, and Thor join Stark to destroy many Shatari, but more pour from the portal. Banner arrives on a motorbike and uses a special technique to willingly transform into the Hulk, 
He hits a huge vehicle and with Stark's help, they destroy it entirely. The Avengers assemble on the street as the Shatari keep coming through the portal. Rogers tells them all the plan and they all go their separate ways to fight. The Avengers work together to fight hordes of Shatari and Hulk arrives at Loki and pushes him out the way. Loki attempts to threaten Hulk but Hulk grabs him and throws him around easily. Romanoff makes a way to Selvig's device and Selvig, now free of Loki's control, reveals that Loki's scepter can close the portal. Meanwhile, the World Security Council attempts to end the invasion by locking a nuclear missile at Manhattan against Fury's request. Fury tells the team about the missile heading their way and that the entire city will explode. Romanoff and Selvig continue to attempt to shut the portal down, as Iron Man, however, decides to lay down his life and sacrifice himself to intercept the missile and take it through the portal toward the Shatari fleet. So Stark pushes the missile up and takes it through the portal, before running out of power and falling through space as the missile hits the Shatari ships, killing the rest of them as a hive mind of sorts. Stark closes his eyes as Romanoff shuts the portal, and Stark just manages to fall through the portal and back to Earth. The Hulk catches Stark as he falls and saves his life. The rest reach Stark and he finally wakes up. He suggests that they get shawarma as the battle is finally won, as Loki tries to leave only for the Avengers to pin him down. The world, changed forever, is taken over by the idea of a superhero team. The Avengers become the centre of media attention, admired by the public as heroes. However, after such an intense battle, the Avengers simply gather at an empty shawarma palace and eat in silence. Although sometime later they join again in Central Park, as the Avengers and S.H.I.E.L.D. watches Thor escorts Loki and the Tesseract to Asgard. Afterward, the Avengers diverge, though Fury notes that at such a time that a new world-threatening menace emerges, the team will reassemble. The Stark Tower has lost all of its letters, and now all that stands is an A to represent the Avengers. Meanwhile, the other meets with his master Thanos and informs him of Loki's failure. He shares his concern over the strength of the Earth's heroes, commenting that attempting to re-challenge them would be deadly. Thanos then smiles sadistically. He is not afraid. After the Battle of New York, Benjamin Pollack and Claire Wyss, a down-on-their-luck couple, find a discarded Shatari gun, referred to as Item 47 by Shield and decide to rub a few banks. S.H.I.E.L.D. assigned Felix Blake and Jasper Sitwell on a mission to neutralize the couple and retrieve their weapon. During the briefing, the two reminisce about the recent death of Phil Coulson. Sitwell tracks the couple down, and the subsequent confrontation results in the motel room where the couple is staying to be wrecked, and all of the stolen money blown into pieces. Instead of killing the couple, due to how Palak managed to reactivate the Shatari weapon, Sitwell recruits both of them into S.H.I.E.L.D., with Palak assigned to the R&D think tank to reverse engineer the Shatari tech and Weiss becoming Blake's assistant, Blake not being too keen on the idea. Palak's work at S.H.I.E.L.D. is to refine the Shatari technology first into a more human-friendly design, then into heavier vehicle-mounted weapons, and finally into an artillery piece. Tony Stark begins narrating the story of how he lost everything, stating how it all started at a New Year's Eve party in Bern, Switzerland, 1999. Stark meets the eccentric Aldrich Killian, who promotes his company Advanced Idea Mechanics. However, Stark deciding to research another operation, extremist with Mayor Henson, misleads Killian into believing he was interested in his ideas. He sends him to wait on the roof, never intending to show up. Stark witnesses the powers of extremist firsthand, as it can genetically manipulate living organisms, and as the New Year's fireworks go off, Killian is left alone on the roof. Thirteen years later, months following the Battle of New York, Tony Stark has spent all his time building dozens of new powered suits, and tries a new one on. It's clear that his near-death experience while destroying the Shatari has had a deep effect on him, as he starts showing signs of post-traumatic stress disorder, not helping is the emergence of a new threat. A powerful terrorist leader named the Mandarin has been responsible for multiple bombings. In order to assure the public that the US government is capable of handling the threat, they have given James Rhodes war machine armor a Captain America-inspired 
inspired paint job and renamed him Iron Patriot to a mixed reception across the US. Stark meets Rhodes in a diner and the two discuss the Mandarin. Rhodes reveals there have been more bombings than have been reported on the news and intelligence agencies have been left mystified by the lack of physical evidence left behind. Rhodes insists that Stark not get involved as the US government is keen to handle this themselves to reassure people who have been left nervous following the Shatari invasion. The discussion is interrupted when two children ask Stark to sign a drawing of him carrying the nuclear missile through the wormhole, and the image clearly puts Stark on edge. When one of the children asks how he escaped the wormhole, this triggers a severe panic attack and Stark leaves abruptly, concerning Rhodes. The situation becomes even worse when Pepper is visited by Killian, who happens to be her old love interest. Killian is now far more business savvy and confident, and no longer shows any sign of his previous handicap. Pepper rejects Killian's invitation into advanced idea mechanics, and when Pepper comes home, Stark finally admits that something about him has changed since he left New York, and he hasn't been able to sleep. Later that night, Stark has a nightmare about his near death, and when it detects that he is in distress, one of his suits nearly attacks Pepper before Stark powers down the suit and she goes to sleep downstairs. Happy Hogan, who has been promoted to Stark Industries Head of Security, since Iron Man is hardly in need of a bodyguard at this point, becomes suspicious of Killian's bodyguard Eric Seven and investigates him at a Chinese theatre. He pretends to bump into him and steal something from the suitcase. He then witnesses Jack Taggart unexpectedly combust from taking extreme destroying the Chinese theatre, and Hogan sees Seven escape, mysteriously regenerating from his injuries. When leaving the hospital after visiting Hogan, a pointed question by a reporter causes a furious Stark to make an impromptu statement towards the Mandarin, promising revenge and giving him his home address as a challenge. Later, Stark is unexpectedly visited by Hansen, and at the same time, Stark's home is attacked and destroyed by the Mandarin helicopters. The Iron Man suit attaches itself to Potts and she saves Hansen, but the home is attacked attacked by more missiles. Stark takes the suit from Potts when she's clear from the building and it attaches to him. Stark takes down one of the helicopters and then finds a way to destroy the second, but the second helicopter hits him down. More missiles are shot destroying his suits, and the helicopters keep shooting and he falls with the building, straight into the water where his suit is filled with water and he is crushed with rubble. Jarvis takes his arms off and is able to help Stark out of the water and begins flying on autopilot. So Stark survives the attacks but is left stranded in a rural town, Rose Hill, Tennessee, when Jarvis follows a flight plan left in his system and Stark's experimental armor does not have sufficient power to return to California. Unfortunately, Jarvis powers down as the suit runs out of charge, leaving Tony with nothing but a dead suit and the clothes on his back. Stark uses his apparent death to his advantage, beginning to conduct an investigation into an explosion that bears the same hallmarks as one of the Mandarin's attacks but which the Mandarin did not claim responsibility for. Stark befriends a local boy named Harley Keener and hides out in his garage where he begins slowly charging his suit. Eventually, the world believes Stark to be dead, but Potts learns from Hansen that her boss Killian might be working for the Mandarin, who starts issuing more threats of violence. Using what little information he has, Stark discovers that each of the Mandarin's explosions were triggered by soldiers that were injected with extremists, the same experimental treatment engineered by Hansen. Stark, however, witnesses the power of extremists firsthand when he is attacked by Alan Brandt and Eric Seven, a pair of agents working for the Mandarin. Stark is able to get away and is able to set fire to a building that explodes Brandt, and even though Eric Salvin had set a water tower on fire using his thermal abilities and had brought the tower down on Stark survived and after shooting Seven with a repulsor, he then steals Seven's car keys. Stark then leaves Kenner and flees Rose Hill, while unknowingly to them, Salvin survives. Further investigating into the Mandarin, he realizes that all the soldiers were once 
members of Advanced Idea Mechanics, Killian's company. Stark goes into a man named Gary's van, and after getting his help, is able to deduce that Killian had updated Extremis and distributed the program to the Mandarin for his terrorist attacks. Extremis, however, has a fatal flaw. In the event a user is unable to regulate their internal body temperature, they will start to gain heat at an exponential rate and explode. Hansen confirms working with Killian to Potts in an attempt to have Stark fix Extremis's flaws. However, unbeknownst to them, Killian arrives and kidnaps Potts after learning that Hansen visited Stark prior to the attack on their mansion. With Keener's help, Stark traces the Mandarin to Miami, and after a panic attack, he begins to build a variety of homemade weapons. Stark heads to Miami, where he infiltrates the Mandarin's headquarters with his weapons. There, he discovers that the Mandarin is actually a British actor named Trevor Slattery, who is completely oblivious to the acts that the Mandarin has carried out. The Mandarin is Killian's creation, who used Hansen's research to cure for his own disability, and expanded the program to include injured war veterans. After veterans started growing unstable and exploding, Killian used their deaths to cover the flaws in extremists and manufacture a terrorist plot. Realizing Killian's motivation, Stark blames himself for setting Killian on the path that would ultimately see him create the Mandarin. Killian reveals he has kidnapped Pepper and subjected her to the extremist treatment, using her as a leverage against Stark. When Hansen goes against Killian and threatens to sabotage the extremist program, Killian shoots her dead. As he controls the Mandarin, Killian has also manipulated the American intelligence agencies as to the Mandarin's location. He uses this falsified intelligence to lure James Rhodes with the Iron Patriot armor. Stark, however, does his hand movement to get the armor sent to him. Rhodes gets out and tries to fight before he gets blocked with fire. Stark's armor then attaches to him and Stark is able to escape captivity. The rest of the armor attaches to him and with Rhodes, they get to the Mandarin who tells them as much as they know. Killian sends Seven in the Iron Patriot armor to commandeer an attack on President Matthew Ellis aboard Air Force One. Seven plants a bomb on the plane and kills multiple Secret Service agents before abducting Ellis. Stark intervenes and kills Seven, but the bomb goes off, sucking out multiple passengers. Stark flies out the plane and saves all the passengers and crew against all odds from their deaths and drops them in the water. But Stark gets hit by a truck. Luckily, that was just a suit without him actually in it. Ellis, however, is nonetheless captured by Killian. They follow him to a container terminal where he intends to kill Ellis on live television. Vice President Rodriguez will assume control of the country following Killian's orders in exchange for a sample of extremists to cure his daughter's disability. With the Mandarin and the President under his control, Killian will be able to manipulate global events for his own profit. Stark and Rhodes infiltrate the container terminal, with Stark going to save Potts and Rhodes the President. Stark summons each of the Iron Man suits he's created, controlled remotely by Jarvis, to support them from the air. Literally all of them. Stark discovers that Pepper has survived the extremist procedure, however before he can save her, the rig collapses around them. Stark has no time to process this as he is forced into a fierce fight with Killian, whilst wearing various Iron Man suits while Rhodes secures President Ellis and leads him to safety. Stark continues to fight Killian using multiple suits and eventually traps Killian in one of the Iron Man suits and has it self-destruct. Killing Killian. He jumps off and is saved by one of his suits, but a deformed Killian emerges from the wreckage and reveals to Stark that he is the real Mandarin, before attempting to kill Stark, but is instead hid away by Potts, who survived her fall courtesy of the abilities she received from Extremis. A piece of armor attaches to her and she uses it to kill Killian. In the aftermath of the events on the container terminal, Stark makes a promise to Potts that he will find a cure for her Extremis condition and orders Jarvis to remotely destroy each of Iron Man's suits. 
Roberts. Both Vice President Rodriguez and Trevor are taken into police custody as Stark decides to undergo surgery to remove the pieces of shrapnel embedded in his heart. Stark also rewards Harley Kenner for his help by filling his garage with cool and expensive items. Stark has decided that even without his suits or the arc reactor in his chest that he throws into the ocean, he will always be Iron Man. Stark finishes telling his story and it's revealed that he was telling it to Bruce Banner, who had fallen asleep near the beginning, as Banner insists he isn't a psychiatrist as he hasn't got the temperament for the job. Stark starts telling the story again. Trevor Slattery has been placed in Seagate Penitentiary for his involvement with Aldrich Killian's campaign as the Mandarin. Slattery is actually a celebrity there and even has Harmon as his butler. He is being interviewed by Jackson Norris who is ostensibly creating a documentary about Slattery. During his final session with Slattery, Norris reveals himself as a member of the Ten Rings in disguise. Taking Slattery into his custody, Norris reveals that the real Mandarin is mad at the actor for making a mockery of his name. In the distant past, a cosmic event known as the Convergence occurs, opening portals between the Nine Realms. A sinister race called the Dark Elves attempts to use the Convergence as a way of unleashing the Aether, a force of destruction with the capability of destroying the entire galaxy. The leader of the Dark Elves, Malekith, nearly succeeds in using the Aether to cause the instantaneous destruction of the Nine Realms under the misguided belief that he can recreate them in his own image. He is opposed by Bor, the then King of Asgard and the father of Odin. He uses the Bifrost to rip the ape from Malekith's grasp just as he attempted to enact his plan, robbing the Dark Elves of the most potent weapon. The Dark Elves flee as they cannot defeat the Asgardians and are all wiped out in battle, while the Asgardians, unable to destroy the Aether, seal it away in a place it can never be found. In 2012, after the Shatari invasion, Loki is brought before Odin in shackles. Odin gives Loki a life sentence in prison for his crimes against humanity, promising him that Thor will be made king one day after he's cleaned up the damage that Loki has caused. One year later in Vanaheim, home of the Vanir, Thor alongside warriors Vandero, Volstag, Hogan and Sif fights against the Marauders, a ragtag group of invaders that have been systematically terrorizing the Nine Realms for the past two years. The Asgardians win the battle and while Hogan remains on Vanaheim to help his people rebuild, Thor and his friends return to Asgard via the Bifrost Bridge, which was repaired by the power of the Tesseract and a party is held in the celebration for Thor's victory. Back on Earth, Jane Foster is in London, having been called there by Eric Selvig to investigate readings of an unknown nature. After having not heard from Thor for some time, she goes on a date with a man named Richard Madison. Their date is quickly interrupted by Darcy Lewis, who explains that Foster's scientific equipment has been picking up strange signals. Signals that have not been detected since the events that took place in New Mexico two years prior. They get in a car where Lewis's own intern, Ian Boothby, is waiting for them, and they drive to where the signal is at the height and end up at an abandoned storage house. They find that a number of portals have opened, leaking them to Earth to several different worlds, and altering the laws of physics, causing gravity to shift without warning. While Lewis and Boothby continue to play around with the portals, Foster is swallowed up by one of them and transported to an unknown planet. She finds her in a dark chasm where a strange vault is located. Upon touching the vault, a red substance, the Aether, emerges from it and infests her body. She eventually passes out. Thor leaves his party quickly. He visits Heindal daily, asking each time how Foster is faring. Odin clearly does not approve of Thor's affections for Foster as she will be dead long before him. He can't see her now, however, as Foster is being infected with the Aether. She teleported back to Earth, waking up five hours later. She walks outside where Lewis and Boothby have been waiting. The police had been called there by Lewis. 
but Thor suddenly arrives, seeking to investigate Foster's well-being. While overjoyed to see him, Foster slaps Thor in the face for taking two years to visit her even though he was on Earth during the Battle of New York. Thor apologises to her and she quickly forgives him. The police attempt to arrest the three for trespassing on private property and the policeman tries to touch Foster, but the Aether forces him away. Thor then quickly takes her to Asgard to investigate the nature of the Aether, knowing that it was beyond mortal ability to handle. Once there, Heindel greets them, but Jane Foster is quickly taken to the healing chambers so that they can learn what's wrong with her. They find the Aether in their body, but they don't know what it is. Odin, angered that a human has entered Asgard, orders for her to be taken back to Earth. But when a guard touches her wrist, the Aether reacts defensively, just as it did with the police. Odin, recognising the Aether, tells Foster of its many possible origins using the Book of Yggdrasil, and how the Dark Elves nearly used it to destroy the realms. While Odin works to find a way to remove the Aether without killing Foster, Frigga befriends and protects her. Meanwhile, altered by Foster's use of the Aether, Malekith and his ilk awake from their long sleep, consumed with vengeance and eager to procure the Aether to once again transform the universe into darkness. The Dark Elves plotted their next offensive against Asgard. Under Malekith's orders, Ulgrim allows himself to be captured by the Asgardians while in disguise as a marauder, and, using Val technology, turns himself into Curse, a superpowered warrior that the Dark Elves use frequently in their war against the Asgardians. He frees all the prisoners except Loki, and they start a prison riot, distracting the Asgardians so that Malekith can lead his squadron of ships into Asgard with little opposition. Thor hears of this in a battle takes place, during which the palace is breached and heavily damaged. After fighting with Malekith, it's revealed that Frigga, having suspected the diversion, lures Malekith into a duel by creating a holographic replica of Foster. Frigga nearly succeeds in besting Malekith, but Curse intervenes and stabs her when she refuses to give up Foster and the Aether's location. In retaliation, an enraged Thor disfigures Malekith's face with a bolt of lightning, forcing the Dark Elves to retreat. He rushes to his mother, and Frigga then dies from her injuries. A funeral is later held for the dead Asgardians and Frigga, and a grief-strucken Odin has Jane Foster confined. Thor knows that Malekith will return for Foster, but Odin, blinded by hate and grief, refuses to release her and intends to destroy Malekith through whatever it takes. So, Thor comes up with a plan to move her, even though he would be committing treason. With Heindal distracting Odin from them, Thor sees the depressed Loki and has Loki freed from his cell, as Loki knows of secret portals that can transport Foster to another world, drawing Malekith away from Asgard. With help from Sif, Feindrau, and Volstag, Thor, Foster, and Loki hijack a downed Dark Elf ship and make their way out of Asgard and to find a hidden portal that teleports them to Svartalfheim. As they make their escape, however, Foster's body is slowly being infected by the Aether, draining her of life. The trio lands in the wastelands of Svartalfheim, and by then, Foster's body has completely channeled the Aether, enhancing her perceptions but weakening her physically. Malekith senses the Aether's transfer and confronts the trio, and at that moment, Loki appears to betray Thor, cutting off his hand and giving Foster to Malekith willingly. Loki tells Malekith that in return for the Aether, he wants a front row seat to watch Asgard's destruction. Malekith then proceeds to drain the Aether from Foster's body, freeing her, which is when Loki's betrayal is revealed to be a ruse, and Thor's injuries is revealed to have been nothing more than a holographic projection meant to lull Malekith into a false sense of security and to free Foster. Calling for Majornia, Thor tries to destroy the Aether while it's in the open, but fails as it's indestructible. The Aether then goes into Malekith, Curse then battles Thor while Malekith and his minions leave the planet, and Curse quickly gains the upper hand against Thor. Loki comes to Thor's aid, stabbing Curse through the chest with his sword, but this has no effect on Curse, who seizes Loki and drives the sword into his own body. Loki manages to press one of Curse's implosion bombs, however, and sets it off. 
destroying curse. Loki then apologizes to Thor for his actions and seems to die in his arms. After mourning Loki, Thor and Foster then enter a cave, believing that they have failed in stopping Malekith. Suddenly, Foster's cell phone gains reception and so she realizes there must be a connection to Earth there. So they venture deeper into the cave, finding a portal. The portal teleports them safely back to London. Meanwhile, an Einherjir guard appears in the same area where Loki died and returns to Asgard to inform Odin of what transpired. While Jane Foster has been in Asgard, Darcy Lewis has been fruitlessly trying to reach S.H.I.E.L.D. when she and Ian Boothby see on the news that Eric Salvig has been running around nude at Stonehenge and has now been put into a retirement home for psychiatric care. They go there to get him out and he tells them that his sanity was shaken after being hypnotized by Loki during the Shatari invasion. For the past 12 months, Selvig has studied the effects on the Convergence and has developed devices which can teleport people to different worlds. They meet up with Thor and Foster and Selvig tells them that the people who lived in England after the previous Convergence had built certain objects to create a secret map to where the Convergence would reach its peak. The location is revealed to be Greenwich and after putting two and two together, Foster theorizes that Malekith plans to spread the Aether through the portal so that he may destroy all of the worlds at once. They travel to Greenwich the next morning, and when they arrive, they find that a number of portals have opened up above the city, a sign that the Convergence is nearing its peak. Malekith soon arrives and Thor engages him in battle, with both evenly matched. The fight takes them through various portals throughout the city, transporting them into different worlds. And while the two are fighting, the scientists use Selvig's device to deal with the Dark Elf soldiers, accidentally summoning a frost beast in the process. Thor and Malekith are soon separated by one of the portals, and Malekith, now unopposed, unleashes the Aether into the portals. Thor soon regroups with his friends and takes Selvig's devices, noting that while the Aether might be indestructible, Malekith himself is not. Using the devices, Thor impales Malekith with them, allowing Foster to teleport him back to Svalthoheim, stopping his attack. However, Malekith's damaged arc starts to crash and nearly crushes Thor and Foster, when Selvig uses the last of his devices to teleport it away. It ends up on Svalthoheim and lands on Malekith, killing the Dark Elf leader. The portal then closes and the ordeal is finally over. Sometime later, Thor returns to Asgard, where Odin congratulates him on his victory, despite the crimes he committed. Odin comments that Thor make a wise king, but Thor responds by saying he's not ready to bear the weight of the throne, saying he would rather be a good man than a good king. Thor then leaves Asgard to reunite with Foster and Earth, but as he leaves, Odin is revealed to be Loki, having faked his death and unsurped Odin's throne. Later, Sif and Volstagg hand over the captured Aether to Tanvalir Tivan. Tivan appears eager to take it, but is curious as to why the Asgardians don't just keep it secured in their own vault. Volstagg explains that the Tesseract is already on Asgard, and that to keep two Infinity Stones in the same place would be unwise. As they leave, the Collector remarks, one down, five to go. Thor returns to Earth where he happily reunites with Foster, unaware that the Frostbeat that was teleported to Earth during the Convergence is still running rampant throughout London, chasing a flock of birds. Two years after the Battle of New York, Steve Rogers continues working as an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. While out on a morning jog in Washington DC, Rogers frequently passes a man who later introduces himself as Sam Wilson, a veteran United States Air Force pararescue trooper who now works as a counselor at the US Department of Veterans Affairs. After the jog, Wilson and Rogers share and bond over their common experiences in adapting to life after each serving tours in the armed forces. Natasha Romanoff arrives to take Rogers with her on a mission to rescue the hostages of the S.H.I.E.L.D. vessel Lemurian Star, which had been taken over by a group of hired pirates led by George's Vetrock. 
Rogers, Romanoff and Brock Rumlow, along with other members of Strike, eliminate the pirates and rescue the hostages. However, mid-mission, Rogers discovers that Romanoff had gotten her own secret mission from director Nick Fury to extract the shield intelligence from the ship onto a USB drive. A suspicious Rogers remarks that Romanoff's disappearance nearly jeopardized the mission. Back at the Triskelion, Rogers is angry with Fury for lying to him. Fury, as a sign of trust, takes Rogers to the basement where he introduces Roger to Project Insight. Project Insight consists of three next generation shield helicarriers that will be launched into the air and connected to Project Insight satellites at 3,000 feet into the air to neutralize enemy hostile targets. Rogers tells Fury that this isn't freedom, this is fear. Later, Rogers visits the Captain America exhibit at the Smithsonian Institution and also visits an elderly Peggy Carter who is suffering from a form of dementia in a retirement home. He also meets with Wilson again after watching him speaking during the end of a session for veterans with PTSD. Meanwhile, Fury discovers that the data on the USBs is inaccessible. He informs Secretary Alexander Pierce, who had just concluded a meeting with the World Security Council, about the hijacking of the Lemurian Star. Fury asks Pierce to make a formal request to the Council to delay Project Insight due to Fury's rising suspicions. Fury leaves the Triskelion and is en route to meet with Maria Hill when he is attacked by assassins impersonating police. After an intense chase, he gets away, suffering a broken forearm, but is then soon stopped by a masked man in the middle of the road, who shoots a disc grenade under the Fury's SUV, flipping it. However, before the masked man gets to Fury, he manages to use a high-tech device to cut through the vehicle and street and escapes into the sewers. Rogers arrives at his apartment and, after talking to his neighbor, he becomes suspicious when he hears that his stereo is still on. He sneaks in through his window and finds the injured Fury sitting in a chair in the dark. He tells Rogers that his wife kicked him out, while communicating through written text on his phone that the story is a misdirection because they are being eavesdropped on. Fury tells Rogers that S.H.I.E.L.D. has been compromised, before being shot several times by the assassin from earlier, standing on the adjacent building. Fury gives the USB drive to Rogers and tells him not to trust anyone, before falling unconscious. Rogers' neighbor smashes in the door, revealing herself to be Agent 13, who had been tasked by Fury to keep an eye on Rogers. He then pursues the masked man, jumping through the window into the next door office building. He throws his shield at the masked man on the rooftop, but is surprised when the man is able to catch the shield with his cybernetic arm and throws it back before jumping off the building and disappearing. Fury is taken to a hospital in critical condition. His heart stops during surgery, and after the doctors fail to revive him, his body is collected by Maria Hill. Romlo tells Rogers that he is wanted at the Triskelion for an urgent meeting. Feeling suspicious, Rogers quickly hides the USB in the vending machine and leaves. At the Triskelion, he is questioned by Pierce who says that he's one of Fury's oldest friends and wants to know who killed him. Rogers does not trust Pierce and says nothing about the USB or the circumstances of Fury's death, merely reiterating that Fury said not to trust anyone. He leaves Pierce to go to the hospital. While in the elevator, Rogers is joined by Rumlow and eventually several strike operatives, and soon realizes that they are there to capture him. They then begin to attack and he fights the attackers and successfully knocks them all out one by one, before jumping out of the elevator to avoid arrest. After landing, he drives away on his motorcycle and disables an attacking Quinjet, then declares Rogers a fugitive to be taken out by S.H.I.E.L.D. for withholding information on Fury's death. Rogers arrives later at the hospital, where he notices that the USB is gone. Romanoff appears from behind and reveals that she has taken it, and he angrily asks her what she knows about all that's happened. She tells him that the Masked Man is an assassin known as the Winter Soldier, and she had encountered him once before. She decides to follow Rogers, and they go to an Apple store to see if they can access any of the valuable information on the USB, but they, as Fury did,
did find nothing. However, they are able to trace the location where the program on the USB was written, but Rumlow and his team arrive and try to find them but fail to do so. They steal a truck and drive to the location while talking about each other's past. When they arrive, Rogers realizes that they are at Camp Lehigh, where he trained during World War II. They find a secret storage room full of old computers inside an early shield office. There, they find a more modern looking USB slot and they put the USB in. The computers power up and someone starts to talk to them. That someone is Arnim Zola, who tells them that he was recruited by S.H.I.E.L.D. after World War II, and that he helped to rebuild Hydra inside S.H.I.E.L.D. However, in the 1970s, when he had received the news that his body was dying, and with S.H.I.E.L.D. still needing his help, he had his mind transferred into computers. He had been working on an algorithm that Hydra wanted. He told Rogers and Romanoff that some of the deaths of S.H.I.E.L.D. leaders had been due to Hydra while showing them a picture of Howard Stark and implying that Stark's death might not have been an accident. He was also involved in the Winter Soldier program. But before Rogers and Romanoff can get any more information out of Zola, a S.H.I.E.L.D. missile shows up and destroys the bunker. Rogers and Romanoff are able to survive the explosion while back at Hydra, and Pierce turns out to be working with a masked man and shoots his house cleaner, Renata, for accidentally seeing the two men talking together in his home. Rogers and Romanoff seek refuge with Sam Wilson. Wilson tells them that he can offer them assistance as he is part of a military project involving advanced personal flight suits. Rogers and Romanoff then go back to Washington DC to capture Jasper Sitwell, who is working for Hydra. Sitwell had just finished a meeting with Senator Cern, another Hydra conspirator, when Wilson calls Sitwell and forces him on the roof of a tall building. Wilson, working with Romanoff and Rogers, gets Sitwell to inform them that Zola's algorithm could calculate if a person would be a threat in the future based on their past actions. Sitwell also tells the three that Hydra are going to use Project Insight as a weapon to eliminate what they view as threats against themselves and the world, mentioning Tony Stark, Bruce Banner, and Stephen Strange. Though this would also mean that millions of innocent people would die. The group heads towards the Triskelion, but are attacked by the Winter Soldier and his men. A battle breaks out, and as Captain America and the Winter Soldier fight, the Winter Soldier's mask is torn off revealing himself as Roger's former comrade and best friend, Bucky Barnes, who Roger's thought was killed during World War II. When Roger's calls out to him, he does not recognize the name. Barnes escape and Roger's, Romanoff and Wilson are taken into custody by Rumlow and his men. While they are in the prison van, one of the guards stuns the other, revealing herself to be fellow S.H.I.E.L.D. Maria Hill. She then uses the mouse hole to cut a hole in the van and escapes with the gang. Hill takes them to a secret facility where Fury is resting. The director didn't die, although he was severely injured. Fury had taken an anti-stress serum developed by Banner that lowered his heart rate to only one beat per minute so that he would appear dead. Hill and Fury tell them that Project Insight is only hours away and that they have to act quickly. The helicarriers would reach through thousand feet, connect to the Insight satellites, and zero all their targets before firing. The only way to prevent this is to use three special chips that would take away S.H.I.E.L.D.'s control over the helicarriers. Later, Rogers recalls how after the death of his mother, Barnes offered him a place to stay so that he wouldn't have to cope alone promising to be there until the end of the line. Wilson warns Rogers that Barnes may not be able to be taken alive, but Rogers vows to save his friend. As Rogers had lost his suit earlier, he breaks into the Smithsonian and steals his old uniform. Barnes is being prepared for battle, but he starts to ask who Bucky is. He sees memories showing how Hydra found him after falling off the train. Barnes then was taken to Zola, who amputated his destroyed left arm and replaced it with a cybernetic one. He also remembers how he was put in cryostasis between missions, so that he 
he would not age. Pierce decides he is beginning to remember too much about his past and they brainwash him again. The members of the World Security Council arrive at the Triskelion. They are each given badges to wear on their collar that will grant them access to anywhere in the Triskelion. They then meet in Pierce's office. Rogers, Wilson and Hill break into the Triskelion and take control of the communication systems. Rogers reveals to staff that there are Hydra infiltrations and S.H.I.E.L.D. led by Pierce, and that they cannot be allowed to initiate Project Insight. Rumlow and his men enter the control room and threaten Cameron Klein unless he launches the helicarriers. However, Agent 13 intervenes, beginning a gunfight, but Rumlow still manages to get the helicarriers in the air. Pierce pulls a gun on Councilman Jakuna Sign, but Romanoff, using a photostatic veal, reveals herself to be disguised as Councilwoman Pamela Halley, and stops him. Romanoff begins to upload all of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Hydra's secure files to the internet. Pierce, held at gunpoint, informs Romanoff that two Alpha-level clearance members are required to disable the encryption so that the files can be uploaded, but there is only one present, Pierce. Fury, another person with an Alpha-level clearance, arrives in the scene. Fury notes that Pierce probably erased all traces of Fury being the director of S.H.I.E.L.D., but he had made a backup retinal scan using his damaged eye instead of his normal working one. Fury and Pierce then scan their retinals and use their two Alpha-level clearances to disable the encryption, allowing Romanoff to upload the files. Rogers and Wilson manage to put the chips in, with some hardship, for two of the helicarriers, but when Wilson is going for the last one, his jetpack is damaged by Barnes, and he's forced to skydive down to the Triskelion. Hill notifies Wilson that Romlo is heading to the council, so Wilson intercepts him, and the two begin to fight. Rogers attempts to place the final chip, but he is confronted by Bucky. Rogers and Barnes fight, and during their conflict, Rogers tries to remind Barnes of his past as his friend. At Pierce's office, the upload has finished. However, Pierce refuses to be taken in and uses his mobile device to trigger a small device in the security badges that have been given to the World Security Council members as colors, instantly killing them by burning a hole in their sternums. Romanoff is spared and Pierce uses the device on the security badge to threaten Fury and Romanoff into lowering their weapons. During this time, the InSight helicarriers have connected with the satellites and are beginning to run Zola's algorithm, scanning for targets. Rogers manages to place a final chip on the helicarrier seconds before before the Insight helicarriers fire, changing their targets to each other and causing them to shoot each other down. Pierce witnesses the destruction of the Insight helicarriers and decides to use the device on the security badge to threaten Romanoff to fly him out of the Triskelion. However, Romanoff activates a taser disc on herself, temporarily disabling the device on the security badge and giving Fury enough time to shoot Pierce and kill him. Wilson, still fighting with Romlow, sees the crashing helicarrier and jumps out of the 41st floor through the window, where he's saved by Fury and Romanoff. The chamber where Rogers and Barnes are fighting in is severely damaged by the crossfire between the helicarriers. Rogers says he is not going to fight any longer, throwing his shield away and promising Barnes that he will be with him till the end of the line, reciprocating the promise Barnes gave decades ago. Rogers then falls out of the helicarrier and into the water beneath, about to drown, when a hand grabs him and drags him from the water. It is Barnes, who after seeing Rogers is still alive, then disappears. When Rogers wakes up sometime later, a lot of new events have happened. Romlo, who was buried under rubble, is later seen being attended by doctors. Shield is now unstable due to Hydra. Romanoff appears in a congressional hearing at the United States Capitol with the high-ranking members of the United States Department of Defense to discuss who was responsible for Shield's downfall. Fury is officially dead and he has destroyed all evidence of being alive, even ditching the eye patch for sunglasses. If somebody would ask what happened to him, Fury wants Rogers to answer that he is dead. Because all of Shield's secure files were uploaded to the internet along with Romanoff's past, she sets out to find herself a new identity, first handing Rogers 
a file with information on Barnes, and his recreation by Hydra experimentation. When Rogers looks at the file, Wilson realizes that he's going to look for Barnes, so that he convinces him of who he really is. Rogers tells him that he doesn't have to go with him, but Wilson replies, I know, when do we start? Sometime later, Baron Strucker is holding the scepter inside the Hydra research base in Sokovia, stating that there are Hydra agents worldwide. He then walks over to a pair of cells, and he stops in front of them and says, this is the age of miracles. One of the cells contains a man who is running around at tremendous speeds, and the other one contains a woman who levitates a few blocks before she causes one to explode. The two are said to be the only survivors of a group of volunteers that were subjected to Strucker's experiments. Meanwhile, Barnes, dressed in civilian clothing, is at the Smithsonian Institution where he finds a whole section of the Captain America display dedicated to him, trying to remember his past. Back in Missouri 1988, a young boy named Peter Quill stands by his mother, Meredith, as she lays dying in a hospital bed. Close to death and delirious, Meredith laments on Peter's father, whom the boy has never met, describing him as an angel. When Meredith passes away, a distraught Peter flees from the hospital. After distancing himself from the building, he enters a field where a spaceship suddenly appears, the occupants of which bring Peter aboard and depart into space. 26 years later, Quill is now an adult and a member of the Ravengers led by Yondu, Udonta. The Ravengers are hired by the Broker to recover an orb from the planet Morag. Quill, who has grown bitter towards the Ravengers for abducting him and ruining his childhood, travels to Morag alone and steals the orb for himself, only to be intercepted by Korath the Pursuer, who served under Rodan the Accuser. Although Quill escapes with the artifact, Yondu discovers that he has stolen the Ravengers' prize and issues a bounty for his capture. Meanwhile, Ronan is revealed to be so searching for the orb is a part of a deal with Thanos, in exchange for the annihilation of Xandar. To aid in the hunt, Thanos has lent Ronin, Gamora, and Nebula. By tracking the Ravagers' brokers and past dealings, the villains learn of Yondu's deal with the broker and send Gamora to Xandar to intercept Quill. On Xandar, Quill attempts to sell the orb to the broker, but upon learning that Korath is working with Ronin, the broker refuses to become involved with the orb and turns Quill away. Suddenly, Quill is ambushed by Gamora, who takes the orb and flees into the streets. A fight ensues drawing in two bounty hunters, Rocket Raccoon and Groot, who both seek to collect Udonta's bounty. However, the Nova Corps, Xandar's prime military force, arrive and arrest the group, imprisoning them in the kiln. In the kiln, the other prisoners, aware of Gamora's relationship with Thanos and Ronan, threaten her life. Drax the Destroyer even attempts to kill Gamora for the murder of his wife and daughter by Ronan, but Quill convinces him that he can get to Ronan through Gamora. Gamora reveals that she intended to betray Ronan and keep the orb, having grown weary of Ronan's methodology, deeming him insane and a risk to galactic stability. Learning that Gamora has a buyer who is willing to pay a very hefty fee for the artifact, Rocket, Quill, Groot, and Gamora work together to escape the climb. Learning of Gamora's betrayal, a furious Ronan meets with Thanos in person and angrily berates him for not taking Gamora's betrayal seriously. When the other scolds Ronan for disrespecting his warlord, Ronan angrily breaks the other's neck, killing him and forcing Thanos to speak to Ronan directly. Undaunted by Ronan's complaints, Thanos waves Ronan away, and while Gamora's betrayal is an issue, Thanos entrusts both Ronan and Nebula with fixing that problem. As Ronan departs, Thanos grimly warns him that if he returns empty-handed again, he will bathe the stairways in his blood. Quill and his allies, accompanied by Drax, manage to escape the Klein, where they distract the guards by disabling the station's artificial gravity. They flee in the Milano, flying around the galaxy and they travel to nowhere, where the fugitives spend time in the boot of Jemahai, while Gamora was waiting for her contact. 
Drax and Rocket, both heavily intoxicated, get into a fight after Drax insults Rocket's appearance, after which a morose Rocket laments on his creation and the pain he was forced to endure. While Drax furiously leaves the proceedings, the rest of the group are summoned by Karina to meet with Tenelia Tavan. Arriving at Tavan's museum, the group hand the orb over to Tavan, who opens up the artifact to reveal an Infinity Stone, an item of immeasurable power that destroys all but the most powerful beings who wield it. Tavan explains that the stones were the remnants of six singularities that predate the universe, their power compacted into six stones, and that their power was too great for all but the most powerful beings to yield. All others are inevitably destroyed. Tavan prepares to give the outlaws their payment, but Karina, seeing this as a chance to free herself from servitude under Tavan, suddenly grabs the stone and taps into its power. A massive energy pulse is fired from the orb, killing Karina and blowing up much of Tavan's collection. They close the orb as quickly as they can and Quill, Gamora, Rocket and Groot barely escape with their lives. Gamora, finally understanding the full extent of the danger the orb holds, attempts to convince the others to hand it over to the Nova Corps for protection, when Ronan and his forces suddenly arrive, having been summoned by the drunken Drax. While Drax battles Ronan, the others attempt to escape using the mining pods and are pursued by Ronan's Sakaran minions, led by Nebula. Ronan easily defeats Drax while Nebula destroys Gamora's pod, leaving her floating in space. Nebula takes the orb and Ronan's forces depart. Despite Rocket's insistence that they flee, Quill finds himself unwilling to leave Gamora and summons Yondu before following her into space, giving her his helmet to survive. Yondu arrives and collects the pair before they succumb to the exposure. Quill manages to negotiate a truce with the Ravengers after convincing Yondu that they can recover the orb from Ronan and sell it. Groot convinces Rocket and Drax to rescue Quill and Gamora, and the three attempt an attack on their ship to recover their friend. Reunited, the group agrees that facing Ronan means certain death, but that they must stop him from using the Infinity Stone to lay waste to the galaxy. On the Dark Aster, Ronan contacts Thanos, who demands that the Kree deliver the orb to him as promised. However, Ronan embeds the Power Stone in his hammer, taking its power for himself, promising that after the destruction of Xandar, he will come for Thanos himself. Hateful of her adopted father for all the suffering he brought upon her throughout her life, Nebula agrees to aid Ronan, and Quill sends a message to Rohomian Day, warning the Nova Corps of Ronan's attacks as they prepare to get the orb back. Allying with the Nova Corps fleet, Quill's group and the Ravengers arrive at Xandar, confronting the Dark Aster. While Rocket assists the Nova Corps fleet, the rest of Quill's team breach the Dark Aster and move toward Ronan. Gamora battles Nebula while Quill, Drax, and Groot battle and kill Korath and the Sakarian soldiers. Defeating Nebula, Gamora tries to convince her sister to abandon Ronan and join her in freedom. Deeming Gamora's new choice as insane, Nebula refuses her sister's offer and flees from the battle in a hijacked Ravenger ship. As the battle proceeds, allies begin to fall as Necrocraft start falling from the sky onto the city, killing many in the process including Horaz, while Rocket and other Ravengers were attempting to destroy the ships before they hit the ground. Ronan uses his new power to destroy the Nova Corps fleet, including Garth and Sal, and easily overmatches Quill's team. Before he can kill them, Rocket flies his ship into the Dark Aster and directly into Ronan, seemingly killing him. The extensive damage causes the Dark Aster to crash land on Xandar, with Groot apparently fatally sacrificing himself to shield the group so that they can survive. Quill's team survives, but their relief is short-lived when Ronan, unscathed by the crash, emerges from the wreck and prepares to destroy Xandar. Quill suddenly starts dancing, distracting Ronan long enough for Drax to destroy the Kree's hammer with a Hadron Enforcer. The Infinity Stone flies from the hammer and Quill grabs it, but its power begins to destroy him until he joins hands with Gamora, Drax, and Rocket, who share its burden. The four then direct the stone's power towards Rodan, utterly destroying him. Gamora immediately places the stone in a new orb, and Quill gives it to Yondu as part of their deal, although Quill warns 
them that they should not open it since Yondu had seen what it's capable of doing. Yondu and the Ravagers then leave Xandar, commenting that they made the wise choice in not delivering Quill to his father, like they had been hired to do so many years ago. Once they have left, Quill reveals that he has switched the containers, and in the aftermath, Quill's group, now calling themselves the Guardians of the Galaxy, after a mockery by Ronan, are praised by the Nova Prime, Arani Rael Histories, who expunges their criminal histories. She also reveals to Quill that, based on medical reports, they have deciphered that he's only half-human, and that his father belongs to an ancient alien race that they have not yet encountered. The Guardians then leave Xander in the Milano, which was repaired by the Nova Corps, and after Quill reads his mum's letter to him and opens up a new mixtape called Awesome Mix Vol 2, he puts it on, and accompanied by a recovered twig from Groot which is already beginning to regrow, the Guardians of the Galaxy ventures out into the galaxy in search of adventure. Meanwhile, Yondu later opens up the orb to find one of Quill's troll dolls, not even surprised. The Infinity Stone is put into a safe place and Tavan sits in his destroyed archive, where he is licked by Cosmo and mocked by one of his collections, Howard the Duck. Sometime later, Groot sits in his pot when two machines clean him up. He looks at the new leaves forming on him and plucks them off. Later, he's eating cheese balls when his pot cracks because he's getting too big. The machines then pick him off the counter and replace him with a bigger tree. The angry and cold Groot wraps himself in a blanket, but the machines take it from him and put it on a new tree. Groot has a fit and throws a yarrow root at the tree, only for it to ricochet and knock Groot off the table. Groot catches himself before hitting the ground. He makes his way back up on the table and extends his branches to grab the tree, but they slip and wrap himself instead. Groot then uses a pipe above him to swing from there onto the tree. He faces plants right in front of it and starts punching the tree. He breaks off a branch and runs away, but the branch emits green goo that wraps around Groot. Groot then slingshots into the tree and they both fall onto the floor, breaking Groot's pot. Groot tries to get up and finds that he has legs. He attempts to walk, but he can't get up. Once he does, he runs to the tree and gloats. Later, he eats cheese balls with the tree and slaps one of the machines. Back in time in 1980, Meredith Quill is courted by Ego, who shows her an alien seedling he'd planted in the woods of Missouri. 34 years later in the present, the Guardians of the Galaxy are renowned as heroes two months after defeating Ronan the Accuser. They accept a job from Aisha, leader of the Sovereign, to defend valuable batteries from the Abelisk in exchange for Nebula, whom the Sovereign captured following the Battle of Xandar. So they fight the Abelisk while Groot dances to music. After defeating the Abelisk, Rocket Raccoon steals several of the Anulax batteries from himself. The Guardians receive Nebula, and when the Sovereign discovers the Anulax batteries were stolen, they attack the Guardians' ship, the Molino, with their own fleet of Omnicrafts. But the Sovereign fleet is single-handedly destroyed by a man named Ego. When they reach the jump point and go through it, the Molino is heavily damaged and forced to crash land on a nearby planet. Ego, however, appears on the planet, revealing himself as Peter Quill's father, arriving with Mantis, Quill's sister. Ego invites Quill to return to his home, accompanied by Gamora and Drax the Destroyer. Rocket and Groot, however, remain to repair Molino and guard Nebula. Aisha hires Yondu Yudonta, who had been exiled from the Greater Avenger community for trafficking children, to recapture the Guardians. Yudonta's crew track down the Molino and capture Rocket, but when Yudonta shows reluctance to turn Quill over to the Sovereign, Taserface leads a mutancy with help from Nebula, who tricked Groot into freeing her. Quill, Gamora, Drax, and Ego, along with Ego's empathetic assistant Mantis, travel to Ego's home, a living planet that is an extension of his body. Ego explains that he's a celestial who created a humanoid avatar to travel the galaxy and interact with other species. Quill soon learns that he can access and manipulate the power within Ego's planet. Drax becomes friendly with Mantis, who wants to reveal a secret about Ego. Taserface imprisons Rocket and Udonta aboard the Selector and turns Groot into a mascot for the crew, while Nebula gets a new hand and takes a ship and leaves, planning to 
track down and kill Gamora, blaming her for a torturous cybernetic enhancement inflicted by her father Thanos. In their imprisonment, Rocket and Yudonta discover they are very alike, and Yudonta shares his low opinion of Ego, who originally hired Yudonta's ravages to deliver Quill after his mother's death. He reveals to Rocket that he has decided to keep Quill safe in his own way, instead of handing him over to Ego. Groot attempts to steal a new Yaka Arrow controller for the Yaka Arrow to aid an escape attempt and is helped by Kraglin of Fontery, a Ravenger loyal to Udonta. Together, Rocket, Groot, Udonta, and Kraglin escape in a detached section and engage in a risky space maneuver to reach Ego's planet in time to help Quill. Taserface alerts the Sovereign of the escape before Udonta kills him and the Ravenger mutantly. Nebula arrives at Ego's planet and tries to kill Gamora, but Gamora survives and reaches an uneasy truce and together she and Nebula explore the caverns beneath Ego's planet and discover hundreds of skeletal remains. Ego reveals his master plan to Quill. He travelled the universe and, finding the life forms he found disappointing, he planted seedlings on thousands of worlds that would terraform them into new extensions of Ego, but he needed a second celestial's power to activate the seedlings. So he conceived children with hundreds of women all across the galaxy and hired Udonta's ravengers to collect them. Every other child was killed when they were proved unable to access celestial power, but Quill can harness the power. Quill is hypnotized by Ego's power until Ego reveals he deliberately caused the death of Quill's mother, prompting Quill to fight back. Quill is gathered by Ego. Ego uses him to activate all the seedlings which begin their terraforming that will eventually consume every world and every person. Mantis informs Gamora, Drax, and Nebula of Ego's plan just as Rocket, Groot, Udonta, and Kraglin arrive. Reunited, the Guardians smash through Ego himself to reach the core of Ego's planet, where a thick shell protects Ego's brain. Upon Upon reaching the cavern, a battle ensues with the Sovereign fleet and the Celestial, but Mantis is able to put Ego to sleep momentarily. Rocket gets Groot to run, and he plants a bomb made from the stolen Sovereign batteries on Ego's brain. Udonta and Nebula are able to craft a way to shoot out of their ship to destroy the Sovereign fleet, and the Guardians reunite, but Mantis gets hit, which wakes the Celestial back up. A hole opens up and most of the Guardians escape, but Quill remains to battle his father, who attaches himself to him again, causing the seedlings to grow more and more, but Quill eventually and uses his access to Ego's celestial power to battle him thoroughly. Groot is able to reach the brain and attaches the bomb to it, activating it and beginning to run away. Rocket and Groot escape, while Udonta stays to help Quill, who is continuing to harness the Celestial's powers and continue fighting. The Guardians have to leave without Quill, and the bomb explodes. Ego melts away and the planet starts collapsing as Quill loses his powers, and sits watching everything around him be destroyed and preparing for his death. But Udonta flies in and saves Quill, and sacrifices himself to keep Quill safe as he has come to view him as a real son, much to Quill's sadness. Later, the Guardians cremate Udonta's remains. Quill says his final goodbyes and they release the ashes into space. Nebula reconciles with Gamora but chooses to leave to kill Thanos anyway. Kraglin is given Udonta's arrow by Quill and both Groot and Quill listen to music together. Suddenly, a swarm of Ravenger ships appears and surround the Guardians' ships. It turns out that Rocket sent word of about Udonta's sacrifice and all the Ravengers came to perform a traditional Ravenger funeral for Udonta signifying his acceptance back into the Ravengers. The Guardians all group together to watch the funeral parade. Afterwards, Obfontory takes up Yaka Ara and Controller and tries to master it, only to end up non-fatally impaling Drax. Stucker, or Gord, is moved by the death of Udonta and reunites with his former teammates Aleta Orgord, Martinex, Charlie27, Mainframe, and Kruger. Aisha, now imprisoned by a fellow Sovereign for wasting resources in her hunt for the Guardians, is seen with a birth bod containing a male inside. 
that she names Adam. While elsewhere around the galaxy, the Watcher informant discusses his experiences on Earth, along with a group of Watchers, until they start to walk away. Sometime later, Groot finds twigs on a tree stump, and five minutes later, he has an entire fort made out of twigs. Suddenly, a Vloo with a long trunk knocks Groot off of his fort. A Manta bird then grabs the Vloo to eat it, knocking down the fort. Groot screams in anger for 37 minutes before falling down out of exhaustion. On the ground, he lifts up a rocks and finds a race of tiny grunts in a hole. Groot terrorizes them. He blows on them, throws a twig, stomps besides them until they've had enough and start firing at Groot with weapons. Out of fear, Groot hides in the ground until he farts a leaf. He sees that the grunts use it for food and happily gets more. However, on the way back with a pile of leaves, he accidentally steps on all of them. He carefully puts the rock back on top of them before leaving like nothing happened. A few grunts survive and pop out of the rock. Sometime later on the quadrant, Groot wakes up and drinks some water before hearing a loud noise. He gets out of bed and puts on a wrist watch, using it as a flashlight. He finds a toilet and uses it, while looking at a book he found about Thanos, before walking back to his bed. On the way back, he notices a shiny alien on the ship. He searches around for it until an explosion happens, blowing a hole through the wall. Groot investigates, finding the shiny alien that shapeshifts to look like Groot. The two Groots have a dance-off until Lua gives him a tip on his dancing. He shapeshifts into his true self to show Groot how to dance before shapeshifting shifting back to Groot. The two then dance around the quadrant until they get to an escape hatch. Groot then pushes him over the line and presses the button, sending Luo into space. Sometime later, Groot walks around the planet until he finds a puddle. He sticks a twig into it and sees the mud, deciding to take a bath. He jumps in it, takes a bug, and squeezes it, turning the puddle a fluorescent colour. He then covers himself in mud and puts a fruit on his eyes. When Groot wakes up, he finds that the mud made him grow leaves. He jumps up with leaves all over his body, and when he looks in a reflective tree stump, he likes the look and decides to trim it up. However, the leaves grow yellow fast and die. He takes more mud and grows various hairstyles like an afro and a moustache, but the leaves keep dying. Dying. Meanwhile, the bird tries to sleep, but Groot's noises causes him not to. It attacks Groot and then laughs at him. Groot doesn't mind it and goes back to the puddle, only to find that it's dried up. The bird continues to laugh at him, so Groot cuts all of its hair off and uses it as a scarf, heading back to the ship. Sometime later, Groot walks around the ship with Peter Quill's backpack. He finds a comic for Alf in the backpack and decides to use it for an art project. He gathers up hair from Rocket Raccoon, a motherboard, Drax the Destroyer's soap, and some other things. Groot then creates art but needs glitter, so Groot builds a bomb and detonates it, sending the debris onto his paper like glitter. Groot then finds that there is a giant crater in the ship, so he uses duct tape to form a bridge across it. Soon, Rocket wakes up and sees what Groot has done. He asks why it looks like a bomb went off, and Groot says that a bomb did go off. Rocket starts scolding, but Groot shows him what he made, a picture of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Suddenly, another explosion goes off, causing Rocket to fall into the hole, but Groot pulls him out. In 2015, the Avengers reassemble to track down and eliminate Hydra's remaining members themselves themselves, using Tony Stark's resources to help. Their latest mission brings them to the location of the alien scepter that Loki utilized during the Shatari invasion. The scepter is now in possession of Baron Wolfgang von Strucker, one of the notorious heads of Hydra, who has been using energy drawn from the alien weapon to power advanced weaponry as well as attempting to empower living humans. A raid on Strucker's base in the eastern European country of Sokovia commences, with the Avengers battling Hydra forces to reclaim the scepter. During the battle though, without Strucker's approval, two of his agents join the fray, Pietro and Wanda Maximoff. 
Sokovian twins who are the only humans to have survived exposure to the scepter's energy and have gained supernatural powers as a result. Pietro can move at superhuman speeds while Wanda possesses a powerful plethora of psionic powers. The twins are able to hold their own against the Avengers but are unable to prevent the heroes from capturing Shocker. Stark finds the scepter and Wanda attempts to stop him by using her powers to implant a vision in his mind. In his vision, Stark sees his teammates dead or dying while the Shatari launch an even larger invasion on Earth. Upon seeing Stark's nightmare, Wanda suspiciously allows him and the Avengers to take the scepter. Returning to Avengers Tower with the scepter, Stark and Bruce Banner begin studying the weapon. Their research leads to a discovery of a net of neurons that, according to Stark, could be reconfigured into an artificial intelligence stored inside the scepter's gem. The two scientists extract it for use in Stark's secret peacekeeping program, Ultron, designed to allow the Iron Legion to operate independently and safeguard Earth under the direction of an advanced AI without telling the team though. After three days, the project is seemingly met with little success. However, while the Avengers throw a party to celebrate their recent victories, Ultron suddenly activates. Somehow already self-aware, despite Stark's work has not made it that far ahead, Ultron immediately determines that the only way to save Earth is to eradicate humanity, which he deems as the prime factor in the planet's turmoil. Jarvis attempts to stop Ultron, but the more powerful AI appears to destroy him, and then takes control of the Iron Legion armors. After the Avengers have finished their party, the team, joined by Maria Hill, James Rhodes, and geneticist Talon Cho, hold a small contest to see who can lift Majunia, and obviously no one can do it, even with their advanced powers. Although Rogers makes a small movement, their contest is interrupted when Ultron suddenly walks to them all. He claims they're all killers and directs the Iron Legion to attack them, and an intense battle ensues. During that battle, Ultron has a chance to kill Cho, but mysteriously spares her life. While most of the Iron Legion is destroyed by the Avengers, one drone manages to escape with a scepter and flees to the Sokovian Hydra base, where Ultron uses the Hydra technology stored there to begin construction of an army of robotic drones as well as his own mobile unit. After the battle, the team confronts Stark about his secrecy and they all argue. Elsewhere, Ultron recruits the Maximoff twins, who have a vendetta against Stark because a Stark Industries bomb killed their parents. Wanda had seemingly allowed Stark to make up for the scepter with hopes that his fear of letting the world die would lead to him constructing his own undoing, which in this case appears to be Ultron. After Ultron kills Strucker to lure the Avengers out, he and the twins travel to South Africa to acquire Vibranium that came from Wakanda, now an arms dealer, Elias Claw's possession, although Ultron takes it off his hands and then takes off his hand. The Avengers try to stop them, but Ultron pushes back and a fight ensues. Later in the fight, Wanda hypnotizes Thor, Black Widow, and Captain America, giving them all vivid hallucinations that render them invalid. She then hypnotizes Banner, turning him into the Hulk, which sends him to attack Johannesburg. Iron Man decides to call in Veronica, which deploys the Mark 44 armor Stark needs to defeat Hulk. The two see each other and begin to face off, fighting each other vigorously. But after a long and disruptive battle, Iron Man is able to knock him out. The destruction they cause starts a public backlash against the Avengers, who are forced to go into hiding. The team takes refuge at Clint Barton's homestead, where they meet his pregnant wife Laura and children Cooper and Lila. Having experienced apocalyptic visions in this hallucination, Thor leaves, traveling to the mystical Water of Sight to determine the meaning of his hallucination, where he sees the six Infinity stones all together. Meanwhile, Ultron, Pietro, and Wanda go to Dr. Cho's laboratory in Seoul, South Korea, where Ultron reveals his plan to use the vibranium samples in conjunction with Cho's synthetic tissue from the regeneration cradle to create a more powerful body for himself, with 
the Scepter's gem as its primary power source. To ensure her cooperation, Ultron takes control of Cho's mind with the Scepter. Back at the safe house, Romanoff and Banner plan to run away and start a new life together when Ultron is defeated. Nick Fury arrives at the homestead and encourages the Avengers to form a plan to stop Ultron. Banner deduces that Ultron is planning to create another body made of synthetic tissue, using the regeneration cradle developed by Dr. Helen Co. As Ultron transfers his consciousness into the synthetic body and Cho implants the gem into his forehead, Wanda curiously looks into Ultron's mind and discovers his plan to destroy humanity. Realizing that Ultron used them, the twins turn against Ultron, who leaves the laboratory with the regeneration cradle. Arriving in Sewell, Captain America, Black Widow, and Hawkeye find and then battle Ultron. Black Widow is at the cradle, but the Ultron bots then fly the truck away. The twins arrive at the train and help fight against Ultron, who prepares to derail the train to slow the Avengers down. Black Widow escapes with the cradle, but as the cradle goes into the Quidjet, Black Widow is grabbed by Ultron. The twins aid Captain America in rescuing passengers from the train, while Hawkeye takes the cradle back to Avengers Tower. At Stark Tower, Stark and Banner plan to upload Jarvis, which surprisingly survived Ultron's earlier attack by escaping into the internet, into the synthetic body as an attempt to rectify the mistake with Ultron. Believing Stark is about to potentially create another Ultron, Captain America and the twins try to stop them, but Thor arrives and brings the body to life with lightning. The body rises and thankfully proves friendly. Thor explains that the Scepter's gem is the Mind Stone, one of the six Infinity Stones, the most powerful objects in existence, which Thor saw in his hallucination, and he claims that its power could be advantageous against Ultron. The twins and the being, who was later given the name Vision, ally themselves with the Avengers, who return to Sokovia to end Ultron's threat once and for all. Arriving in Sokovia, Banner rescues Romanoff. The Avengers evacuate civilians from the city and begin to fight Ultron's new army of robots, while Vision attempts to kill Ultron from the net so that he can't escape from there. The Avengers are unable to evacuate everyone before the city begins to ascend. They find that Ultron has used the remaining vibranium samples and Chitari anti-gravity technologies being studied in the Hydra facility to build a machine that lifts a large part of Novigrad, the Sokovian capital, into the sky. His intent is to crash it into the ground to replicate a meteor strike, causing a mass extinction event. Fury and the revived shield, joined by a war machine, arrive in a helicarrier to assist in evacuating the last civilians. The team assembles and converges on the location of Ultron's device. If Ultron gets a hand on the device, they lose. So Ultron sends in all of his army to the one location, and the Avengers begin fighting back. There, they wipe out most of Ultron's drones and severely damage Ultron's primary body. In retaliation, Ultron hijacks the Avengers' Quinjet and fires at all of them, and then kills Pietro, who sacrificed himself to protect Hawkeye. Hulk leaps onto the helicarrier to drop Black Widow off, and then leaps into the Quinjet and tosses Ultron out of the rear hatch. Ultron crash lands in an abandoned tram, where a grieving Wanda finds and destroys him by ripping his heart out. But one of Ultron's drones crawls and deactivates the device, causing no Novigrad to begin plummeting towards the Earth and forcing the Avengers to flee aboard the helicarrier alongside the evacuated civilians, and the city falls. As Vision flies back into the falling city and rescues Wanda, Iron Man decides to fire his uni-beam, and Thor summons a lightning strike to reflect off the vibranium core. The ensuing explosion shatters the city into rubble, which falls safely into a nearby lake. Hulk, learning that they won and seeking peace after the battle, departs in the Quinjet. Ultron's consciousness attempts to flee in the last remaining drone, but Vision confronts him. The two have a brief exchange of ideals before Vision obliterates the drone. A 
effectively ending Ultron's threat. The Avengers establish a new Avengers facility in upstate New York, run by Fury, Cho, Maria Hill, and Eric Selvig. Romanoff assumes Banner is dead because the Quinjet cannot be tracked, and silently mourns for him, but Fury assures her that he is likely still alive. Believing the Mind Stone is safe with Vision, Thor returns to Asgard to learn more about the Infinity Stones, while Barton and Stark also leave the team. Captain America and Black Widow assemble War Machine, Vision, Falcon, and the Scarlet Witch, the new Avengers team. Meanwhile, elsewhere in the galaxy, Thanos retrieves an Infinity Gauntlet, saying fine, I'll do it myself, and begins his crusade for the Infinity Stones. Rewinding to 1989, and Hank Pym resigned from S.H.I.E.L.D. after discovering Howard Stark's attempt to replicate his own shrinking technology, which Pym believes is very dangerous and vows to suppress it. Back in the present day, Scott Lang has been released from San Quentin State Prison after serving three years for burglaring a former employee. He reunites with his former cellmate Lewis and his two other partners, Kurt Gorsha and Dave, who all offer him a position in a burglary. However, Lang exploits his intention about going straight. Furthermore, he learns that his ex-wife has gotten engaged to a police officer, Jim Paxton. His wife also reveals that he cannot see their child anymore if he does not provide child support. Relentless and hopeless, Lang inadvertently accepts the burglary job offered by Lewis, when he's unable to strike up a job because of his negative criminal records and backgrounds. Lang confidently infiltrates the house and cracks open a safe and finds something which he refers to as an old motorcycle suit. He takes it to his apartment after escaping. He starts toying with it and wears the suit, triggering a button. He then inadvertently shrinks down to the size of an insect and struggles to return to his original size. Eventually, the suit enlarges back to size, which after being terrified by this frightening experience, he immediately attempts to return it back to the house where he smuggled it from, only to be discovered by the police and arrested. Pim, the owner of the house which Lang broke into, poses as a lawyer and ends help smuggle the Ant-Man suit to Lang's cell to help him break out. Although confused, Lang wears the suit and escapes the prison with the help of a group of ants. Lang discovers that Pim manipulated him through Lewis into stealing the suit as a test, and wants Lang to become the new Ant-Man and steal the yellow jacket suit from Cross, which Pim considers as extremely dangerous equipment literally capable of mass destruction. Pym requests Van Dyne to spy on Cross and she does so. Although representing her father for their strained relationship and not saying anything about her mother and also not letting her stop Cross. Meanwhile, Lang is trained by Van Dyne and Pym to perfectly control and manipulate the Ant-Man suit that additionally supplies superhuman strength while teaching him to control ants. Later, Pym finally tells Hope the truth about the death of her mother, Janet Van Dyne. Her mother was the counterpart of Pym's Ant-Man superhero identity, the Wasp, who sacrificed herself to prohibit a Soviet nuclear launch missile to be activated. In the process, she disappears into the subatomic quantum realm. He admits that he does not want the same to happen to Hope, then the two reconcile. Pym sends Lang on a very risky mission, where he attempts to steal a device from one of Stark Industries' warehouses, which turns out to be where the new Avengers compound is. He is spotted by and then meets the Falcon, but this eventually leads to a fight between Lang and Falcon, but he was able to steal what he needed. However, Cross perfects the Yellow Jacket suit and invites Pym to the unveiling, to which Lang and his original team plan their mission. The congregation ceremony of the Yellow Jacket suit is taking place, so Lang 
in the ant man suit, along with his crew in a swarm of ants, infiltrate the building, planting explosives and sabotaging all of the servers. Lang is prepared to steal the Yellow Jacket suit, however he is captured by Cross who was expecting this. Cross sells both the Ant-Man and Yellow Jacket suits to Hydra and the Ten Rings. Before Pym gets shot, Lang breaks free from his trap, fights the Hydra agents, and Cross runs away grabbing the Yellow Jacket suit. Lang chases Cross who's trying to escape, though Mitchell Carson escapes with Cross's unstable formula amidst the chaos. Then the planted explosives from earlier detonate, imploding the building into the quantum realm. Cross then dons the Yellow Jacket suit and fights Lang. Lang traps Cross in a bug zapper, but before he can sabotage this suit, he is tased and arrested by Paxton. Cross escapes though, and holds Lang's daughter Cassie as a hostage, to lure Lang to him. They both fight again, but as a last effort, Lang shrinks to a subatomic size to finally penetrate and sabotage the Yellow Jacket suit. They both shrink uncontrollably into the nothingness subatomic quantum realm, with Cross imploding due to his suit being damaged by Scott, who smashed through the suit's mechanisms and circuits. Scott travels to and arrives in the quantum realm, fighting unconsciousness and after hearing Cassie calling for him, finds the will to escape, and puts a disc with enlarging pimp particle formula inside the suit's regulator and switches it back on, successfully escaping the quantum realm and reverting to his original size. Witnessing the heroism of Lang, Paxton covers up for him and wriggles him out of serving time. Scott remembers nothing from his experiences within the quantum realm, with Pym believing that the human mind might not be able to process it. But seeing that Lang survived the quantum realm, Pym wonders if his wife is still alive, and upon leaving his room witnesses Hope and Lang kissing. Months later, Lewis informs Lang that the Avengers are looking for him, mostly just Wilson, and after Lang's departure, Pym congregates the upgraded prototype of the wasp suit to Hope, offering it to her, to which she replies, it's about damn time. Back in 1991, Hydra operatives inside the Russian armed forces travel to their Siberian facility and revive the Winter Soldier from a cryogenic state. After using a set of condition trigger words to ensure the Winter Soldier's loyalty, Vasily Karpov orders him to intercept an automobile and execute its occupants. In the present day, Captain America, Black Widow, Falcon and the Scarlet Witch learn that Brock Rumlow plans to steal a biological chemical weapon from the Institute for Infectious Diseases in Lagos, Nigeria. After being cornered, Rumlow attempts to commit suicide with a bomb vest, trying to take Rogers with him in an act of revenge. Maximoff, however, contains the explosion, but she loses control of her powers and inadvertently destroys a nearby building, killing several relief aid workers from Wakanda. At MIT, Tony Stark demonstrates Bath, a piece of technology aimed to recreate and relive old memories, and follows with a speech where he introduces a grant being awarded to all students, giving them all the proper funding to move forward with their own inventions and ideas. Before leaving the stage, he is shaken when the teleprompter makes reference to Pepper Potts, whom he has broken up with over his refusal to give up being Iron Man. Outside, he's confronted by Miriam Sharp, whose son was killed in the Battle of Ultron in Sokovia, whose story shakes Stark, especially when she says that she blames him and the Avengers for her son's death and not Ultron. One month after the incident in Lagos, in their headquarters the Avengers are visited by Stark and Thaddeus Ross, waiting for them. Ross explains that due to the events of New York, Washington DC, Sokovia and the recent disaster of Lagos, for this reason the United Nations has decided that the Avengers can no longer be allowed to operate privately. To that end, it has been decided that the Avengers will sign the Sokovia Accords something that has been approved by 117 countries, which will establish an international panel to control the Avengers movements. Meanwhile, retired Karpov is ambushed by Helmut Zemo, who gets the book for the Winter Soldier and asks for information regarding the 1991 mission. Karpov refuses, forcing Zemo to kill him. 
The team is divided over the act and continuously argue about it. Stark supports government oversight because he feels guilty for his role in creating Ultron and the devastation Ultron caused. He also feels like the Avengers need to take more responsibility for their consequences of their actions, as he did when he discovered Stark Industries were secretly shipping weapons to the Ten Rings. However, Rogers worries that the Avengers may be compromised if it comes under the control of a nefarious third party, such as the infiltration of S.H.I.E.L.D. by Hydra. During their debate about the Accords, Rogers learns that Peggy Carter has passed away in her sleep and abruptly leaves for a funeral in London. While there, he learns that Sharon Carter was Peggy's great niece, as she delivers a eulogy about how one should never back down from what they believe in. This solidifies Rogers' resolve not to sign the Accords. He also learns that Tony, Rhodes, and Vision have already signed the Accords. Wanda finds herself confined to the facility by Vision, ostensibly for her safety, since emotions are running high after what happened in Lagos. In Vienna, the signing of the Accords is set to take place. T'Challa meets Romanoff, who then meets King T'Chaka of Wakanda. They begin the signing of the Accords until suddenly a terrorist bomb kills King T'Chaka. When security cameras reveal the suspect as Bucky Barnes, T'Chaka's son T'Challa vows revenge. Against Romanoff's vice, Rogers and Wilson decide to go behind Ross's back and bring in Barnes themselves. Following a tip-off by Carter, Rogers is able to find and locate Barnes, but officers are there to kill him too. So Bucky runs, and after T'Challa, now King of Wakanda and the Black Panther, begins to attack, an intense and long chase ensues. But soon after, the four of them are cornered by officers and Rhodes. Barnes is captured, and Rogers, Wilson, and and T'Challa are arrested for obstruction of justice. While Barnes is in captivity, Rogers and Stark argue about the Accords further, with Rogers nearly convinced to sign, until he learns of Wanda's in-house arrest. At a power grid station outside the city, a box sent by Zemo contains an E-bomb, which explodes and shuts down electricity for the entire city, including the cameras and computers that were monitoring Barnes. Barnes is released by Zemo, who uses Hydra's trigger words to send him on a rampage. Rogers and Wilson intervene just as Barnes is escaping containment, with Rogers attempting to contain Barnes while Wilson chases after Zemo, who is attempting to flee this, the facility. The rest of the Avengers fight Barnes, who is eventually able to lose them. Zemo escapes however, and Barnes nearly gets away in a helicopter before being caught by Rogers. In a panic, he intentionally crashes the chopper, and as it falls into the nearby river, pulls Rogers in with him, before being knocked unconscious by the impact. After coming to his senses, Barnes tells Rogers that Zemo is headed for the abandoned Hydra facility in Siberia, where he and five other Winter Soldiers were created using the Super Soldier Serum he stole in 1991. Back at the Joint Counter-Terrorist Center compound, Stark convinces Ross to give him 36 hours to bring his renegade comrades in, and assembles Romanoff, T'Challa, James Rhodes, and Vision. Feeling he's still undermanned, Stark travels to Queens and meets Peter Parker, a high school student who has been using enhanced agility and tensile webbing of his own design to fight crime while disguised as a spider-based hero known as Spider-Man. When Stark asks him why he's doing this, Parker explains that he understands the price of not doing the right thing, and so Stark recruits him. Believing Zemo intends to release the other Winter Soldiers and unleash them on the world, Rogers calls upon Clint Barton for aid in freeing Wanda, which Barton agrees to since he feels he owes her a debt as her brother sacrificed himself to save his life in Sokovia. He manages to break into the Avengers compound and convinces Wanda to come with him, who uses her abilities to overpower Vision. Falcon decides to recruit Scott Lang to join the team as well, having been imprisoned by his abilities following their duel a few months prior. Lang, who is in 
Borat getting to meet Captain America, quickly and easily agrees to join Rogers. Trying to flee Berlin and reach Siberia before Zemo, Rogers and his team assemble at Zipzing Ali Airport, where they hope to take a chopper out of their country. When sirens indicate the airport is being evacuated, Rogers instructs the team to suit up, and travels to a chopper alone, where he's confronted by Stark alongside his allies. When Rogers refuses to back down, the Avengers split, prepare themselves on either side, and a massive fight ensues, beginning the Civil War. During the fight, Rogers' Avengers decides to buy time for Rhodes and Barnes to reach the Quinjet, at the expense of imprisonment. Ant-Man uses his suit to grow Gargantuan, which creates enough of a distraction to allow Rogers and Barnes to reach the jet. The two are confronted by Romanoff, but she can't bring herself to take them down, and allows them to leave in Stark's Quinjet, while the rest of Rogers' Avengers are captured. As Stark and Rhodes chase the jet, Vision attempts to blast Falcon, who is following them, out of the sky. However, he misses and accidentally hits Rhodes, and Rhodes plummets to the ground. Stark and Falcon stop to try and save Rhodes, but they're too late. He survives the fall, but is left paralyzed. Romanoff, knowing she will be arrested for acting against the Accords, after Tony gives her a half-hearted warning, goes into hiding. Stark finds evidence that Barnes was framed by Zemo, and finds that the rest of the Avengers have been thrown into a top-secret prison, called the Raft, designed to hold and enhance people. He visits the dismayed former Avengers, and temporarily disables security in order to learn from Wilson where Rogers and Barnes are going. He follows the two to Siberia and is shattered by T'Challa. Rogers and Stark reconcile, and as they explore the facility, they discover the Winter Soldiers murdered by Zemo, who had never intended to release them. Zemo reveals that he is a Sokovian, and wants to punish the Avengers for the death of his family during Ultron's attack. Zemo shows Stark his security video from 1991, which reveals Barnes as the assassin who murdered Stark's parents, to steal samples of the Super Soldier Serum from their car. Stark asks Rogers if he knew, and Rogers tells him that he didn't know Barnes killed them. Not having received the answer he wanted, Stark asks again, and Rogers admits that he knew. A disillusioned and enraged Stark then turns on both of them, and another fight breaks out. They fight long and vigorously, Iron Man vs Captain America and the Winter Soldier. While trying to crush Stark's arc reactor, Barnes's robotic arm gets blasted off by a suit's unibeam, but Rogers continues to fight Stark. Having succeeded in his plans of ripping apart the Avengers, Zemo waits outside where he meets with T'Challa, and the two discuss vengeance and the terrible things it can lead a man to do. T'Challa has decided he will not let his desire for revenge consume him like it did Zemo and the Avengers, and prevents him from committing suicide, content on sending him to the prison. Meanwhile, Rogers finally manages to disable Stark's armor, and begins to depart with Barnes. As Rogers leaves, Stark bitterly tells him that his shield doesn't belong to him, but rather his father, who made it. Accepting that he is no longer worthy of it or the title of Captain America, Rogers reluctantly drops the shield and leaves with Barnes, leaving Stark knowing that today he lost. Under the custody of Everett Ross, Zemo hints that while he may be imprisoned, his grand plan wasn't as much of a failure as Ross suggests it was, knowing that the Avengers may now be irretrievably fractured. Back at the Avengers facility, Stark builds an exoskeletal frame for Rhodes to help him regain the use of his legs. Rhodes assures his friend that despite what happened, like him, he still believes he made the right choice. Stark receives a package containing a phone and a letter from Rogers. In the letter, Rogers apologizes for everything that happened and for not 
telling him the truth about his parents, as well as noting his regret that he cannot accept the accords. He tells Stark that he knows the day will come when the team will need to reassemble and act like one again. When that day arrives, Rogers and his team he freed from the prison will be there. Sometime later, Barnes and Rogers are granted asylum in Wakanda by T'Challa. Barnes chooses to undergo cryostasis until his brainwashing can be completely removed successfully. As Rogers warns T'Challa that the governments of the world will come to Wakanda if they find out Barnes is there, T'Challa dares them to try. Years back in 1995, young Natasha Romanoff and Yelena Belova are whisked away from their home in Ohio by their surrogate parents. Alexei Shostakov, aka Red Guardian, Russia's answer to Captain America, and former Black Widow, Melina Vostokov. The girls are given to Drakov, who puts them through the Red Room for further training. And unfortunately, Natasha and Yelena are separated. 21 years later in the present, following the battle between the Avengers at the airport, Romanoff is a fugitive from the government for violating the Sokovia Accords. She escapes from US Secretary of State Thaddeus Ross, fleeing to a safe house in Norway, reuniting with her contact, Rick Mason. In Morocco, Belova is still working for the Red Room. Belova kills Oksana, a former Black Widow, only to come in contact with a substance called Red Dust, which removes the Red Room's control over her. She sends this antidote to Romanoff's safe house in hopes that she will return to help her. As Romanoff unknowingly drives off with the antidote, she is attacked by Taskmaster, who studies other enhanced attacks and replicates them near perfectly, who is after the red dust. Romanoff fights Taskmaster vigorously and manages to evade Taskmaster, and she eventually learns that the dust came from Belova. The two reunite in Budapest, and after fighting themselves, Romanoff learns the Red Room is still active and that its leader, Drakov, is still alive. In order to join Shieldy as previously, Romanoff's mission had been to kill Drakov. After detonating a building containing Drakov and his young daughter Antonia, an act that has haunted Romanoff, both were presumed dead. They are then attacked by Black Widows and a chase ensues. Romanoff and Belova are then hunted by Taskmaster, but are eventually able to escape his grasp. They go on the run to get supplies and talk to reconcile, and they then talk over the details of Drakov's ideologies and plans. They then meet with Mason who supplies them with an aircraft. Romanoff and Belova then go to break Shostakov out of prison to learn where Drakov is. He receives an earpiece through a Red Guardian toy and begins the escape with Romanoff and Belova's help. They escape and upon being in the helicopter, he tells them that they need to speak with Vostokov, who they find living on a farm in Russia, using mind control on pigs. The family sits down for some food and drink and begins discussing their plans. Belova reveals that while they are not a real family, she still wanted to believe that they were so. Shostakov and Vostokov admit that they too wish they were a real family. Unfortunately, Vostokov gives their location to Drakov. His agents arrive at the house and immediately take them away to the Red Room, located on an aerial base. As Drakov congratulates Vostokov for finding Romanov and Belova, it is revealed that Vostokov and Romanov used face mask technology to switch places at the farm, having planned their capture. The rest of the family are able to escape where they were being held, while Romanov learns that Taskmaster is Drakov's daughter Antonia, who suffered severe damage from the explosion. Drakov was forced to put a chip in her head to help her, also turning her into the perfect soldier. Romanov discovers that she cannot harm Drakov due to a fair and lock he installed in every widow, which means none of them can harm him. Elsewhere on the ship, Vostokov attempts to take out the ship's engine. Meanwhile, Shostakov battles Antonia, and while Belova looks for the red dust vials, Romanov 
notices that Drakoff has been controlling widows all around the world via his control desk, and luckily Belova eventually finds the red dust vials. After goading Drakoff into punching her in the face multiple times, although that not being enough, causing Romanov to bang her nose against the table, Romanov manages to sever a nerve in her nasal passage to negate the pheromone, allowing herself to attack Drakov. The widows are all sent to Romanov, while Vostokov demolishes one of the flight engines to take down the station. However, Drakov escapes as the widows gang up on Romanov, and a giant fight ensues. Romanov is actually able to hold her ground longer than any normal person could, but ultimately she is defeated. Bulova, however, creates a red dust bomb, releasing the widows from their mind control. Romanov reaches the control desk and copies the locations of all the other widows worldwide to a portable drive, just as the red room begins to explode and fall. Before leaving the control room, Romanov picks up two vials of red dust that survived Belova's bomb. Vostokov and Shostakov are forced to escape the ship via aircraft. Romanov and Antonia meet again, and she lets her out of the cell Shostakov trapped her in earlier. Belova looks to Romanov and takes out Drakov's escape ship, killing him but causing her to fall through the air. Romanov, however, leaps from the sky, gives Belova a parachute as she and Antonia have one final battle through the sky. They fight each other intensely and Romanov activates the parachute so they safely land on the ground. Romanov and Antonia fight again but Romanov uses one vial of red dust on Antonia, freeing her from her mind control. The rest of the widows arrive as Belova, Vostokov, and Shostakov say goodbye to Romanov. Belova gives Romanov her vest to remember her by and Romanov gives Belova the last red dust vial and the portable drive, instructing her to find and free the other widows. As they leave, along with the recovering Antonia and all the other widows, Romanov awaits the arrival of Ross and his men. Two weeks later, Romanov, now sporting blonde hair, reunites with Mason, supplying her with a Quinn jet. Rewinding centuries ago though, as five African tribes war over a meteorite made out of the alien metal vibranium, a warrior, shaman, Bashenga, ingests a heart-shaped herb affected by the metal and gains superhuman abilities, becoming the first ever Black Panther. He unites all tribes except the Jabari tribe and forms the nation of Wakanda. As time passes, the Wakandans use the vibranium to develop highly advanced technology while simultaneously isolating themselves from the rest of the world and posing as a third world country. In 1992, King T'Chaka visits his brother Njobu, who is working undercover in Oakland, California. T'Chaka accuses Njobu of assisting black market arms dealer Elias Claw in stealing vibranium from Wakanda. Njobu's partner reveals he is Zuri, another undercover Wakandan, and confirms T'Chaka's suspicions. In the present day, T'Challa returns to Wakanda to assume the throne after one week, following T'Chaka's death at the hands of Helmut Zemo, and works with Okoye, the leader of the Duramalaje, to extract his ex-lover, Nakia, from an undercover assignment in Nigeria's Sambisa forest. After succeeding, he returns back to Wakanda, and reunites with his mother, Queen Ramonda, and sister, Princess Shuri. At the same time, Claw, with his new robotic arm after Ultron, and his associate Eric Stevens, steal a vibranium artifact from the Museum of Great Britain. Later at the ceremony, to formally induct him as the king, T'Challa drinks a liquid that removes his enhanced strength, and formally invites anyone to challenge his claim as king, in ritual combat. The challenger to step forward is M'Baku, the leader of the mountain-dwelling Jabari tribe, who claims that T'Challa is not worthy of being king. So the two prepare and engage in ritual combat, and even without his strength, T'Challa manages to best him and spares his life. T'Challa is crowned the new king and drinks a fluid derived from the heart-shaped herb. 
As his body digests the herb, T'Challa goes into deep sleep where he visits the ancestral plane and reunites with a vision of his father, who advises him he is a good man but also warns him that he has hard times ahead and should surround himself with people he trusts. With this, T'Challa wakes up from his dream. When Wakanda hears of Claus's actions, T'Challa's friend and Okoye's lover, Wakabi, who lost his parents as a result of the dealer's actions, urges the young monarch to bring him to justice. With new armor, T'Challa, Okoye, and Nakia plan to intercept Claw at an underground casino in Bussan, where he will be selling a stolen artifact to an unknown buyer. The plan, however, goes wrong when T'Challa discovers the buyer is CIA agent Everett Ross, who warns Claw about T'Challa. As a result, the Dora Milaje are forced to sabotage the operation, inciting a shootout and a fight with T'Challa. When Claw attempts to escape, T'Challa, Ross, Shuri, Nakia, and Okoye intercept him in a car chase across the city. Claw ultimately crashes and T'Challa comes close to killing him, but after watching civilians filming him, he's forced to decide against it and hands him into the custody of the CIA. The next day, while being interrogated, Claw is rescued by Stevens. Rather than pursue Claw, T'Challa decides to take Ross, who has been severely injured while protecting Nakia, to Wakanda where Shuri can use the nation's advanced technology to save him. While Shuri heals Ross, T'Challa confronts Zuri about N'Jobu. Zuri explains that N'Jobu planned to share Wakandan's technology with people of African descent around the world to help them conquer their oppressors. As T'Chaka arrested N'Jobu, N'Jobu attacked Zuri, forcing T'Chaka to kill him. T'Chaka ordered Zuri to lie that N'Jobu had disappeared and left behind his American son, Eric in order to maintain the lie. Eric became a US Black Ops soldier, adopting the name Killmonger. Meanwhile, Killmonger kills Kor and takes his body to Wakanda, revealing his identity before the tribal elders and challenging T'Challa for the throne in ritual combat. Deciding Killmonger has a legitimate claim, the ritual combat begins with T'Challa relinquishing his powers once again. The battle begins, but after killing Zuri, who says he's the reason for Killmonger's father's death, he defeats T'Challa and hurls him over the waterfall, where he's presumed dead. After ingesting the heart-shaped herb to gain the powers of the Black Panther, Killmonger orders the rest incinerated, but Nakia manages to steal one. Killmonger, supported by Wakabi and his army, enacts his father's plans, preparing shipments of Wakandan technology to be distributed to Wakandan operatives around the world, that of which includes New York, London, and Hong Kong. Nakia, Shuri, Ross, and T'Challa's mother, Ramonda, flee to seek the aid of the Jabari tribe, and learn Nabaku's men are caring for the comatose T'Challa, whom they had rescued in payment for sparing M'Baku's life. They feed the heart-shaped herb brought by Nakia to T'Challa, who returns to the ancestral plane again and meets the spirit of his father who tells his son it's time to let go and join him and his ancestors. T'Challa demands to know why Eric was left as an orphan in the US when he should have been brought home to his people. T'Chaka claims he did what he did for his people and Wakanda to allow them to remain in isolation, but T'Challa angrily rejects this and states that they cannot hide from the rest of the world forever. He then tells his father's spirit that he will not join them but will return to stop the monster his people created from sitting on the throne. T'Challa wakes up and immediately plans and then returns to Wakanda to stop Killmonger's plan. T'Challa returns to Mount Bashenga to challenge Killmonger for the throne, who is now wearing a panther habit of his own. Own. While Shuri, Nakia, and Okoye join the Dora and Jabari in battling the and the Wakandan army, Ross, piloting a remote jet, shoots down the planes carrying the weapons before they can leave the country. Killmonger overpowers the Dora and comes close to murdering Shuri, but T'Challa saves her and tackles Killmonger into the Great Mound. The Jabari arrive and they defeat Wakabi, forcing the border tribe to surrender. While T'Challa and Killmonger vie for supremacy, sonic disruptors using the transport in the mine incapitate their vibranium arm. 
armors. T'Challa uses this to his advantage, and the two fight. T'Challa hits a blade into the air and then catches it, overpowering Killmonger by impaling him with a dagger. Victorious shows mercy to Killmonger and fulfills his childhood wish to witness the sunset of Wakanda. Killmonger refuses T'Challa's offer to be healed and pulls the dagger out of his chest choosing to die a free man rather than being incarcerated. Rejecting the isolationism of past Wakanda kings, T'Challa establishes an embassy in Oakland, California, purchasing the apartment complex when Njubu was murdered. T'Challa appoints Shuri and Nakia to run the embassy, and soon after, T'Challa appears before the United Nations in the rebuilt Vienna International Center to reveal Wakandan's resources to the world, and to come out of isolation for the very first time. Later, Bucky Barnes, who was granted asylum by T'Challa wakes up in Wakanda and is met by Shuri, who begins to help him with his recuperation from his mental programming. Following the Battle of New York, Tony Stark and the federal government orders the United States Department of Damage Control to clean up the aftermath of the battle, driving salvage company owner Adrian Toomes out of business. Toomes convinces his crew to not surrender the Shatari technology already salvaged from the battle and use it to further a criminal agenda. Years later in the present, the crew are making big on exotic weapons weapons deals, and Toomes begins wearing a winged harness that gives him the ability to fly. After Peter Parker was recruited by Stark to help with the Clash of the Avengers in Berlin, Stark lets Peter keep the suit, and Parker resumes his studies after Stark tells him he's not yet ready to become an Avenger. Later, Peter quits his school's decathlon team in order to spend more time focusing on his Stark Industries internship, which is a cover for his crime-fighting activities as Spider-Man. One night, after preventing Toomes associates from robbing an ATM, Parker returns to his Queen's apartment, where his best friend, Ned Leeds, discovers his secret identity. The next Next day, Leeds pesters Parker all day about his abilities as Spider-Man. In during gym class that day, Leeds accidentally says Parker knows Spider-Man after hearing a conversation with Parker's love interest Liz Allen and her friends. That night, Parker goes to Liz's party. While changing into Spider-Man to make everyone think that Spider-Man is friends with Parker and Leeds, Parker sees from afar and then comes across Toom's associates Herman Schultz and Jackson Price, selling Shatari weaponry to local gangster Aaron Davis. Parker intervenes, but is picked up by the Vulture, who flies him to the sky and drops him into a lake. Parker nearly drowns, but is rescued by Stark, who is monitoring the Spider-Man suit he gave Parker and warns him against involvement with the dangerous criminals. Later, angry with Bryce for jeopardizing the operation, Toombs accidentally kills him with one of their weapons and gives his gauntlet to Schultz making him the shocker now. Retrieving a Shatari weapon left behind by Bryce, Parker works with Ned to remove the power core. A tracking device leads Schultz to Midtown School of Science and Technology, but Parker and Leeds manage to evade him. After planting his own tracking device on Schultz and learning that it leads to Maryland, Parker rejoins the decathlon team and accompanies them to Washington DC for nationals. Working with Leeds, Parker disables the tracker implanted in his Spider-Man suit and unlocks all of its secret features, including the built-in AI that Parker later names Karen. He tries to stop Toomes from stealing weapons from the damage control truck, but ends up being overpowered and trapped inside of the truck, causing him to miss nationals. He discovers that the Shatari energy core is unstable, and tries to escape the facility he's trapped in. With Karen's help, he gets it open and tracks Leeds to the Washington Monument, arriving just as the core explodes and traps Leeds in an elevator. Parker climbs the monument and performs a maneuver, evading local authorities and managing to save Leeds and his classmates, including Liz, who he almost attempts to kiss before the elevator plummets. Returning to New York City, Parker interrogates and persuades Davis to reveal Toomes' whereabouts. 
Confronting Toombs and his associates at the Staten Island Ferry, Parker captures the group's new buyer, Mac Gargan, but botches an FBI operation which was attempting to arrest everyone involved in the weapons sale. Toombs avoids the FBI after Parker attempts to shut down a malfunctioning weapon causing it to overload and tear the ferry in half. Parker tries his best to save the ferry and uses all of his strength until Stark, who had arranged for the FBI to apprehend Toombs, helps Parker save the passengers. Afterwards, Stark admonishes him for his recklessness, reminding him that he almost killed dozens of people as well as himself. Deciding Parker can no longer be trusted, Stark demands the suit back. Peter is left very upset, deciding afterwards to distance himself from Spider-Man and instead begins concentrating on his personal life. To that end, he finally makes a date with Liz and arranges to take her to the upcoming homecoming dance. Meanwhile, most of Toom's workers decide to leave the operation now that they know Stark is on their trail. With most of their Shatari technology gone, Toombs decides to make one final hit which will set him and his remaining associates up for life. On the night of the dance, Parker goes to Liz's house to pick her up only to get the shock of his life when he learns that Liz's father is none other than Toombs. Parker only just manages to maintain his composure, however during the car ride to the dance, Toombs learns that Peter went missing whenever Spider-Man was around, and deduces his secret. When Liz is out the way, Toombs tells Parker he'll let him live since he saved Liz in Washington, but warns he'll show no mercy if he continues to interfere with his plans. Although unsure if he can defeat Toombs without Stark's advanced tech, Parker realizes he cannot abandon his duties, and leaves the dance, dons the homemade Spider-Man suit, and races to Toombs' lair to confront him. Parker is first ambushed by Schultz but defeats him with the help of Leeds. He asks Leeds to be his guy in the chair, and he tracks Toombs. Parker realizes Toombs is planning to hijack the Stark cargo plane, transporting weaponry from Avengers Tower to the team's new headquarters. He then confronts Toombs in the lair who attempts to persuade him to his side. When Parker refuses, Toombs destroys the building's support beams and leaves him to die under the rubble. Parker struggles to get out but overcomes his self-doubt and pushes the rubble aside, allowing him to escape. Parker intercepts Toombs on board the now damaged plane and they fight. During their fight, Vulture's wings hit an engine, which causes the plane to begin to burn up and fall. Parker steers it towards the beach near Coney Island where it crashes. Toombs is still determined to get the equipment and the two engage in a confrontation that ends with the Vulture suit malfunctioning. Parker runs over and saves Toombs' life, but then leaves him for the New York City Police Department as he rests after an intense battle. Sometime later, Parker learns that Liz is moving away and Michelle Jones will be replacing her as president of the decathlon team. After being confronted by Happy Hogan, Parker is asked to visit the Avengers facility. There, Stark offers Parker an even more advanced suit and an invitation to join the Avengers officially. Parker declines Stark's invitation in favor of remaining a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Stark asks Happy to find an engagement ring for the awaiting press conference that was waiting for the big news, that news originally being the new Avengers member, where Pepper Potts is present. Upon returning home, Parker discovers that Stark has returned his upgraded suit and he puts it on looking toward the window. But unknowingly to Parker, May was standing right behind him the whole time, now knowing his identity, and then cusses in astonishment. Sometime later in the prison, an incarcerated Gargan approaches Toombs inside the prison, and explains that several criminals are banding together to extract vengeance against Spider-Man. When pressured by Gargan about Spider-Man's identity, Toombs denies any knowledge. In Kathmandu, Nepal, a group of rogue sorcerers infiltrate the Kamataj, an enclave that is known only 
only to the masters of the mystical arts. After beheading the librarian, the group's leader, Caecilius, steals a forbidden ritual from a book owned by his former mentor, the Ancient One. As the Zealots escape through a portal to London, the Sorcerer Supreme traps them in the Mirror Dimension. She takes down several Zealots, but fails to stop Caecilius and his surviving followers from escaping with the ritual. Elsewhere in New York City, Stephen Strange is an acclaimed doctor and a neurosurgeon working at Metro General Hospital with insanely precise hands but is also very arrogant and cares only for his wealth and success his talent brings. One night, as he travels to guest talk at a neurological society dinner, he is actively driving irresponsibly and is involved in a car crash after diverting his attention from the road. He survives and awakes at the hospital, although he discovers that his hands are badly injured, necessitating the insertion of metal pins into them. As a result, they continuously tremble, ending his career as a doctor. He continuously tries to come up with solutions to fix his hands to no avail. His former lover and co-worker Christine Palmer tries to help him move on, but Strange is desperate to heal his injuries and harshly orders her to leave him alone, so she does just that. After months trying experimental surgeries on his hands, using up all of his money and resources, Strange seeks out Jonathan Pangborn, a paraplegic who mysteriously was able to walk again. Pangborn helps him out and directs Strange to the secret compound Comitage, where Strange then searches for, asking anyone for help. Eventually, he's beaten for his watch, until another sorcerer under the Ancient One, Carl Mordo, comes to help, and decides to then take him in. The Ancient One meets Strange and after some conversation, he doesn't believe anything he's hearing. So the Ancient One shows Strange her power, knocking him out of his body and revealing the astral plane, and then showing him other dimensions and proving that he knows absolutely nothing about anything yet. Strange begs her to teach him, and with Mordo's convincing, she eventually agrees despite his arrogance, which reminds her of Caecilius. Strange begins the Tatalia under the Ancient One and Immorto, and learns from the ancient books in the library which are now protected by Master Wong, who tells Strange some books are far too advanced for anyone besides the Sorcerer Supreme. Ancient One traps Steven at Mount Everest, waiting to see if he's able to make it back. He tries his hardest and is able to make it back through. Steven gets a makeover and then asks Wong for more books to continue studying. However, Strange ends up just stealing the books himself. Strange advances quickly over several months with his studying, even secretly reading from the forbidden text and learning to bend time with the mystical eye of Agamotto. Mordo and Wong warn Strange against using such power and breaking the laws of nature. They talk to him about how no regular sources could do things he just did and read so easily. It's explained to him that while the Avengers protect the world from the physical dangers, the sorcerers protect it from mystical threats. They tell him how Earth is protected from other dimensions by a spell formed from the three buildings called Sanctums found in New York City, London, and Hong Kong. The task of the sorcerers is to protect the sanctums. Meanwhile, Caecilius and his followers use the stolen pages to begin summoning the powerful Dormammu of the Dark Dimension, where time does not exist and all can live forever. To ensure Dormammu's arrival, Caecilius and his followers begin targeting the sanctums, firstly destroying the London Sanctum, which accidentally sends Strange from Kamataj to the New York Sanctum. Strange looks around the sanctum and eventually Caecilius and his zealots arrive and get into a fight with Strange. Strange is able to hold his ground, and with the help of the mystical cloak of levitation, he's miraculously able to defeat them, but he gets attacked and escapes to the hospital to get a procedure by Christine. Strange travels to the astral plane and is able to help Christine before having to fight in the astral plane. Christine then zaps him back which wins Strange the fight, and allows him to stay alive. Strange then heads back to the New York Sanctum where Mordo and the Ancient One awaits him. The Ancient One then makes Strange Master Strange, the protector of the New York Sanctum. Strange and Mordo 
Mordo become disillusioned with the Ancient One, with the reveal that her long life has come from her own use of Dormammu's power. Kaecilius comes back and so Mordo and Strange attack him. Strange sends Kaecilius to the Mirror Dimension, but Kaecilius is able to control it too, and a chase for Strange and Mordo ensues. The Ancient One arrives to help the two, further proving she draws power from the Dark Dimension. She holds up a fight, but Kaecilius kicks the Ancient One out of the Mirror Dimension, sending her off a tall building to land on the ground, killing her. He takes the Ancient One to the hospital where they try and save her, and he goes into the astral plane to talk to the Ancient One, and she tells Strange that he can't see past this moment, meaning she dies here. She says that he too will have to break the rules, to balance out Mordo's spread fast nature, before dying despite the best efforts of Strange and a bewildered Palmer. Strange then prepares himself as Kaecilius arrives in Hong Kong to take the Sanctum, and Wong comes out of the Sanctum and a fight ensues. Strange and Mordo talk, and then arrive in Hong Kong to find the Sanctum destroyed. With the Dark Dimension already engulfing Earth, Strange then uses the Eye of Agamotto to freeze time, and then turns it back which brings Wong back to life. Kaecilius then freezes time, so only they can move. Strange then travels into the Dark Dimension itself and creates an infinite time loop inside that traps himself and Dormammu in the same moment forever. After killing Strange many times to no avail, Dormammu reluctantly agrees to leave Earth and never come back but only if Strange breaks the loop, taking Kaecilius and his zealots with him, which grants them their immortality, but at a horrific cost. Strange then turns back time entirely, bringing back the sanctum and peace on Earth. Although disgusted by Strange and the Ancient One's disregard for the consequences of defying nature, Mordo severs all ties to Kamataj and departs on his own. Strange then soon returns the Eye of Agamotto, which Wong calls an Infinity Stone, to Kamataj, and he then takes up residence in the New York Sanctum to continue his studies as the new Sorcerer Supreme. Thor has been captured by mysterious enemy forces on Muspelheim. He rambles towards a skeleton sharing his cage about his efforts to defeat some robots on Earth, and laments about his inability to find any of the infinity stones he had set out to locate. He notes that sometimes you have to get captured in order to get a straight answer out of someone, the someone in this instance being Surtar. Surtar releases Thor from his cage, chained and dangling, and taunts him with the knowledge of Odin no longer being on Asgard, also mentioning that Thor's absence has left it vulnerable. He announces that Ragnarok is coming to Asgard by his hand, and that all he must do to achieve this is to join his crown with the ethereal flame, which burns in Odin's vault. Thor takes the to call Majulnir, break out of his chains, and fight off Surtar's minions, before taking his crown as a trophy. When he attempts to return to Asgard, however, Heindal does not respond. His replacement, Scourge, only notices Thor's call when one of the women he's trying to impress points it out. Returning to Asgard for the first time in years, Thor is told by Surge that Heindar has been declared an enemy of the people and is on the run. Thor is unoppressed and goes to find Odin, who is watching a play about the valiant defeat of Loki, whilst laying about and being pampered by various women. Thor sees through Odin's deception and forces Loki to drop the charade. After ordering for Surtur's crown to be delivered to Odin's vault, Thor has Volstag transport him and Loki to Earth to find the real Odin. Unfortunately, upon arrival, Thor and Loki quickly discover that the retirement home Loki had placed Odin in has been demolished. At this point, some passers-by reveal that Jane Foster has broken up with Thor, although Thor insists to them that it was a mutual dumping. Suddenly, Loki is snatched away, leaving a mysterious address card behind, pointing Thor toward Bleecker Street. Here, he finds Doctor Strange, who insists on knowing why Loki has been brought back to Earth. Thor explains that they are simply trying to find Odin, and 
will immediately leave as soon as he is retrieved. Strange reveals that he knows of Odin's whereabouts, Norway incidentally, but notes that Odin asked not to be disturbed. Before Strange sends Thor and Loki to find Odin, he releases Loki from a portal that Loki fell into. Loki shouts at Strange that he had been falling for half an hour, and when Loki tries to attack him, he sends Thor and Loki directly to Odin. Thor and Loki find Odin, having shaken off Loki's spell, but he is dyspotian and dying. In his last moments, Odin makes a confession. Hela, the sister Thor and Loki never knew they had, and the goddess of death, will be released from her prison once he dies. She is far more powerful than her brothers and will grow stronger when she returns to the fires of Asgard. Odin tells his sons that he loves them one last time, before transforming into energy and dying. Thor becomes enraged at Loki, blaming him for Odin's death, his life expectancy having been presumably shortened during his time on Earth. Any thoughts of revenge, however, are put aside as a black mass forms in the air, and Hela emerges from her prison. When the brothers refuse to kneel to her, Hela attacks them. She appears to be able to summon any type of blade slash spear-based weapons from thin air, in quick succession. Thor throws Majunia towards her, but she easily catches it with one hand and shatters it. Loki panics and calls for the Bifrost. However, during their transportation, Hela intercepts them, and forces both Loki and Thor out of the beam. Bostag and Fundril are waiting inside the Bifrost dome, are killed almost immediately as Hela arrives. Scourge, present only because he has been given genitorial duty, is recruited to her side as Hela sets her eyes on the kingdom. Meanwhile, we find Thor deposited on an alien planet covered in junk. Sakaar. There are portals and wormholes of different shapes and sizes all across the sky, from which junk and debris from other worlds fall through to the surface. Thor is approached by hostile scavengers, who he manages to fight off without Majulnia until one of the scavengers uses an electrical net to capture him. The scavengers proceed to beat Thor into a spaceship lands near them. From within, a drunk woman appears, claiming Thor to be hers. The woman kills the scavengers with her ship's guns, seemingly rescuing Thor. Unfortunately, she ends up throwing a small disc at his neck, allowing her to electrocute and render him unconscious at the push of a button. With the disconnected to his neck preventing him from escaping, the woman takes Thor onto her ship. Back on Asgard, the Asgardian army, led by Hogan, has assembled to stop Hela from entering the kingdom. Unfazed by the hundred of soldiers and several gunships facing her, she announces Odin's death and that she's also disposed of Thor and Loki, demanding they recognize her as their new queen. Naturally, Hogan and the soldiers refuse to do so, leading Hela to instead fight the army. Despite the sheer numbers against her, Hela makes quick work of the entire fleet as she is quick, invincible, and able to summon an endless arsenal of swords and spears which she uses to impale the majority of the soldiers. Hela finishes off with Hogan, defiant to the last, who gets a large spear sent through his chest. She takes the throne and destroys the royal mural above it, revealing the original hidden behind. It's revealed that she'd always been Odin's most powerful weapon in his efforts to create the mighty Asgardian Empire, and that only when her ambition outgrew his did he imprison her. Hela breaks into Odin's vault, declaring the Infinity Gauntlet as a fake the casket of ancient winters as weak, and Surtur's crown smaller than she thought. She becomes briefly interested in the Tesseract, but declares the eternal flame the greatest of all. She smashes through the floor, revealing the Musolium beneath. With the power of the eternal flame, Hela revives the fallen Asgardian soldiers from her time, along with her massive pet, the Fenris Wolf. While sitting on her throne, Hela notes that while Odin was king, she was his executioner, and that now she is queen, Scourge is her executioner. Meanwhile, Heimdall sneaks into the Bifrost Dome and steals the sword, rendering the Bifrost useless. It's revealed that Heimdall has been slowly organizing a resistance against Hela. Without the sword, Hela cannot complete her conquest of all the realms, and she sends her soldiers to hunt down the resistance. 
Sora awakens to a holographic presentation of Asakar and the Grandmaster, the ruler of the planet and host of the gladiatorial contest of champions. The Grandmaster pays the drunk woman from earlier and obtains Thor, whom he declares to pit against his champion during a match. He states that Thor will earn his freedom should he be the victor. Still restrained, Thor discovers Loki, who is mingling and getting on with the Grandmaster and his company quite well. Due to his unusual relativistic efforts of how they both arrived and the planet in general, Loki has been there for weeks, earning the Grandmaster's favour. Thor is thrown into the gladiator's quarters where he meets with Korg, an exiled Cronin resistance fighter, and his friend Meek. Korg states that no one has ever escaped or beaten this champion. Thor is prepared to fight this man, having his hair cut by someone strangely familiar, and choosing his weapons. He finds a woman there who he recognises as an Asgardian Valkyrie. When she is unsympathetic to the plight of her home, he calls her a coward before being forced to go out and fight. The champion is revealed to be the Hulk. Thor, overjoyed at seeing his former teammate, attempts to talk, as well as negotiate with him, but makes the mistake of calling him Banner. He even tries Black Widow's calming technique, but it fails to work. Hulk overpowers him during the battle and is close to killing him, but Thor sees a vision of his father, causing his powers to surge. As the fight continues, the tables have turned and Thor is winning. But the Grandmaster, unwilling to see Hulk lose since he is a fan favourite, cheats and fixes the fight by activating the disc on Thor's neck. Thor awakened in a luxurious quarters with Hulk. Hulk refuses to return to Earth because he believes he's hated by everyone there, and therefore will not leave. He's shown to be friends and sparring partners with Valkyrie, but agrees to trick her into coming to his headquarters so Thor can steal her control device and remove the disc from his neck. Thor tries to get to the Quinjet that brought Hulk to Sakaar, but Hulk damages it, not wanting to leave. It is only when Thor accidentally activates a recording of Natasha's attempts to get Hulk to turn the Quinjet around that Hulk is pacified and transforms back to Bruce Banner himself. Banner has been in Hulk form since Sokovia, and as a result, the Hulk had completely taken over. Because of this, Banner was powerless and does not remember anything that has happened for the past two years since. He fears that if he becomes the Hulk again, Banner will be gone forever. The Grandmaster orders Valkyrie and Loki to track Thor and Banner down. Valkyrie finds them but agrees to help, having knocked out Loki after he made her see a vision of herself and her sisters falling at Hela's hands millennia ago, when she was the only survivor which caused her to turn to drinking in misery on Sakaar. Loki, not wanting to be stuck on Sakaar, tells Thor he has the Grandmaster's security codes, which gives them control over his systems. Heindal has told Thor that they need to go through the largest portal in the sky, which has the unfortunate nickname the Devil's Anus, to escape. But Valkyrie's ship is not up for the job. They break Korg and Meek out so they can begin a slave revolt as a distraction so that they can steal the Grandmaster's personal ship. Back on Asgard, Scourge has civilians rounded up to demand the location of the sword. When nobody would speak, Hela tells him to execute a randomly chosen woman, though Skurg seems to be uncomfortable with this. Just before he can do, a civilian agrees to tell Hela what she wants to know rather than see an innocent woman put to death. Back in Sakaar and Loki, inevitably, betrays them as they are escaping, but Thor quietly placed one of his discs on his back, leaving him being shocked on the floor. Thor tells his brother that he knows Loki will always be the god of mischief, but he had hoped that he would have shown some capacity for growth before leaving, with Loki still being shocked in the remote intentionally left out of reach. However, Korg arrives with a group of slaves and turns off the device later. Loki takes leadership of the group and steals a large ship with them. Thor, Valkyrie, and Banner arrive on Asgard, 
Hela begins an assault on the fortress where Heindal was hiding me as guardian civilians, but Thor calls her back to the throne room to fight. Banner and Valkyrie fight to help the civilians escape via the Bifrost, but they are cut off from behind by the undead army and in front by the enormous Sendrus. Despite knowing he may never turn back, Banner jumps off the ship and is splayed blade on the Bifrost in front of Fenris, failing to transform himself. As Fenris lunges towards the Asgardians, Banner transforms into the Hulk seconds later to fight Fenris, and Loki arrives with Korg, Meek, and his Sakarian allies, who will take on Hela's forces to buy time for the refugees to get aboard the ship. Thor is overpowered by Hela, who strikes him across the face, cutting out his right eye. She's about to finish him off when he once again has a vision of his father in Norway. Odin tells his son that Asgard is not a place, it is their people, and anywhere could be Asgard. Thor states he cannot defeat Hela without Majulnir, but Odin reminds Thor that he is not the god of hammers. Majulnir was never the source of Thor's powers, but was simply a focus for them. Odin assures that Thor's powers are greater than his ever were. Skurg, who is sneaked aboard and disguised, in deep regret over how he betrayed Asgard, turns on Hela and kills the rest of her soldiers before she kills him. With his powers in full force, Thor manages to resist Hela and carves through her army, but he realizes she's still too much for them. He and Loki agree that as long as Asgard exists, she will grow more powerful. The prophecy says that in order for Ragnarok to happen, Asgard must fall, and it is their place to ensure it, not to stop it. Thor and Valkyrie hold her off while Loki goes to the trophy room to retrieve Surtur's crown, noticing the Tesseract unguarded along the way. I wonder if he takes that. Loki places the crown in the eternal flame of Asgard, allowing Surtar to be reborn. As Hela approaches a weakened Valkyrie, Thor tells his sister their fight is over and she can have Asgard. Seconds before the resurrected Surtar emerges and destroys the palace, the now more powerful Surtar begins laying waste to Asgard, and Thor takes advantage of the distraction and knocks Hela off the bridge. Thor and Valkyrie discuss the fact that Surtar must be allowed to destroy Asgard as the prophecy foretold, just as Hulk attacks Surtar. Thor manages to call him off and Hulk grudgingly gives up on the fight and carries Thor and Valkyrie aboard the ship, which escapes. Hela suddenly emerges from the water and begins to impale Surtar. Unfortunately for Hela, she happens to be in the way of Surtur's sword, and is killed when Surtur's sword plunges through her straight into Asgard's core. Everyone watches from the ship as Adgard is utterly annihilated, killing Surtar and leaving only asteroids behind. Thor understands now that the destruction of his home was inevitable, and that Asgard still exists but now in its people. Thor begins wearing an eye patch similar to the one worn by his father. He thanks Loki for returning for him, and the two brothers finally reconcile. Thor then goes to the bridge and, with the surviving Asgardians watching on, takes the throne, really the captain's chair, and assumes his birthright as king of Asgard. With Loki, Hulk, Heindal, Valkyrie, Korg, and Meek by his side, the new king decides to set course for Earth. Later on, Loki asks Thor whether he will be welcomed on Earth after the battle in New York and Thor assures him that he will be. Thor is sure that everything will be fine until a much, much larger ship appears behind them. At the exact same time, Scott Lang spends time with his daughter Cassie. Although he was arrested and imprisoned for helping Captain America during a skirmish between the Avengers, in violation of the Sokovia Accords. Lang took a plea bargain and was allowed to return to the USA. Lang was sentenced to two years under house arrest, with a 20-year minimum prison sentence, if he leaves his home during his sentence. 
or defies the Sokovia Accords again. As Pym and Hope had provided Lang with the technology he used against the Avengers, the United Nations ruled them to have also breached the Accords. A warrant for their arrest was issued, forcing the two to go on the run. Lang spends the next two years keeping himself busy in various ways, including learning close-up magic. He also sets up a security company with his friends Lewis, Dave, and Kurt Korshta to earn an honest income. With just three days left until his release from house arrest, Lang has a dream about the Quantum Realm, and he relives one of Janet's memories of when Hope was a child. Despite not wanting to jeopardize his release, Lang contacts Pym on a phone he'd hidden away, and leaves a voicemail about the dream, before deciding he sounds like an idiot. Going on to apologize for all the trouble he landed on them, Lang smashes his phone. That night, as Lang relaxes, he notices something buzzing near nearby, before being suddenly knocked out. When he wakes up, Lang finds he has been kidnapped by Hope, who left an enlarged ant as a decoy to avoid suspicion from FBI agent Jimmy Woo. Hope is upset with Lang for using the Ant-Man suit and helping Captain America without telling her, as well as forcing her and her father into hiding. She tells Scott that his dream coincided with Pym briefly opening a quantum tunnel that leads to the realm. Lang reunites with Pym, who is also very bitter towards Scott for his actions. However, Pym sets his grudge aside, as he and Hope decide Lang is their only hope of locating Janet's coordinates in the quantum realm. Seeing the message's confirmation that Janet is alive, Pym and Hope work in their new lab, which Pym can shrink whenever they need to move, to create a stable tunnel. Hope arranges to buy a part needed for the tunnel from the black market dealer Sonny Birch. However, Birch has realized the potential profit that can be earned from Pym and Hope's research and double-crosses them. Hope then reveals she has a shrinking suit of her own, one which can fly and has blasters and uses it to fight Birch and his men off, and retrieve the part. Before Hope can leave, however, she is attacked by a quantumly unstable masked woman, referred to as the Ghost, and a fight ensues. Lang tries to help fight off the Ghost with a prototype suit, and they keep hold of the part, but Ghost escapes with Pym's portable lab. Lang announces that he can get them some help. Pym argues with Lang, but eventually agrees to meet with the ex-con security consultants. After talking, they decide to ask Pym's former partner, Bill Foster, for help in locating the lab. They go to the University of California, Berkeley, to meet with the professor. He argues with his former partner about their differences that eventually led to them splitting up. Meanwhile, Wu gets a lead on Pim and arrives at the college. Foster tells them that if they modify the fraction units on one of their regulators, they can maybe locate the lab. They thank him and quickly leave before Wu meets with Foster, who tells them that he hasn't talked to Pim in years. In the van, an annoyed Pim says that he got rid of the regulators with the new suit. Lang realizes that he still has his old suit that does have a regulator, so they call Lewis, who tells him that the trophy it's being kept in isn't at the house. Lang remembers that Cassie took it to school that day for show and tell. So, Ant-Man and the Wasp break into the school and grab the suit. However, Ant-Man's prototype suit glitches, causing him to unwillingly change size. They're able to grab the suit and escape while Lang is stuck in a smaller form. After locating the lab, the trio finds it in the middle of a forest and breaks in. They find Ghost suit and the occupant lying in something. They find the lab, but Ghost restrains Lang, Hope, and then Pym when they arrive, and reveals herself to be Ava Star. She tells them about how her father, Elias Star, accidentally killed himself and his wife during a quantum experiment that caused Star's unstable state. Foster reveals that he has been helping Ava after the accident, who they plan to cure using Janet's quantum energy. Believing that this will kill Janet in the quantum realm, Pym refuses to help them, but Pym stages a fake heart attack so the trio can fight. They grab the lab and escape. At XCon's consultant's office, Birch enters and uses a truth serum to get information from Lewis. However, Ava enters and now knows the location of Lang. 
explain. Birch, however, tells the FBI, knowing it's easier to steal from the FBI than from ghosts. But Pim and Hope are able to contact Janet with a tunnel fitted with a new path. She talks with them through Lang because of their quantum entanglement, and she then gives them a precise location to find her, but warns that they only have two hours to find her. Lewis warns Lang about the FBI and ghosts coming, who then confesses this to Hope and Pim which angers them and prompts them to severe ties with him again. Lang is forced to rush home to save his house arrest. Cassie sees the giant ant and gives Lang time to come back. Pim and Hope make the lab smaller, but this leads to them being arrested. Lang learns of this, but Pim and Hope's lab is being taken by Stoltz. However, he is found and killed by Ghost, who then takes the lab. Back at home, Lang is convinced by Cassie to rescue Hope and Pim despite the risks, promising that she'll love him no matter what happens. Lang is soon able to help Pim and Hope escape custody. Lang picks them up in a van and drives away from the station. They are able to locate the lab with the ant's help, and they then decide to have Pim dive into the quantum realm to get Janet. They will then shrink the lab and take it away from the enemy before they enlarge it in a secure location to get Janet and Pim home safe. They also meet Lewis at the pier. Ava knows that they're near the lab, so she goes to investigate, and Foster is cornered. Pim prepares to enter the quantum realm to retrieve Janet, while Lang fights Ava. As soon as Pim is inside, they shrink the lab. They they grab the lab back, but Birch and his men appear. A car chase ensues across the streets of San Francisco, with Ava taking the lab, and it begins to be a chase for the lab itself. But Lang's suit begins malfunctioning again. The chase ends at the pier where Birch is getting away on a boat. Lang tries to fly over with an ant he calls Antonio, but Antonio gets eaten by a bird. But Lang goes gigantic and grabs the lab from Birch. Pim finally encounters Janet in the quantum realm, and the two finally reunite. They head back to the ship, but Lang puts the building down as he falls into the water out of exhaustion from being too big. Ava grabs the lab and immediately enlarges it, while Hope tries to fix Lang's suit. Ava attempts to sabotage their return, taking Janet's energy, but Lang and Hope intervene and fight Ava, and eventually Pim and Janet arrive safely from the quantum tunnel, and Hope finally reunites with her. Ava in his pain, but Janet tries to calm her, and voluntarily gives some of that energy to stabilize Ava's condition. Then they all leave the building and then escape from the police. Wu rushes to Lang's house to catch him off guard when they know he's not there, but sees Lang playing the drums. Wu releases him at the end of his house arrest, and Lang then happily reunites with Cassie, while ex-con security's business begins to see some success. While Hank restores the family home, which he had shrunk and was hiding, on the beach for him and Janet to finally live in peace. Lang and Hope then watch a movie with Cassie, shrunk down. At the same time but back in space, the Asgardians have been attacked by Thanos' ship. Half of its passengers have been killed by the Black Order, the children of Thanos. One of them, Ebony Moore, announces that the survivors should rejoice in their defeat with Thanos. With Heindal and Thor unable to even stand, Loki is brought before Thanos himself. Thor, Heindal, and Loki soon find out that Thanos, wielding the Infinity Gauntlet, already accommodating the Power Stone, had begun his quest of hunting down the Infinity Stones personally. Thanos demands that Loki hand over the Tesseract, threatening to kill Thor if he doesn't comply. Loki initially hesitates, to which Thanos responds by torturing Thor with the Power Stone. Eventually, Loki can no longer see his brother suffer, and reveals the Tesseract, which he had retrieved from Odin's vault prior to Asgard's destruction, much to Thor's disappointment. However, Loki doesn't hand it over, and buys sufficient time for Hulk to attack Thanos, and save Thor from Thanos' grasp. Unfortunately, Thanos quickly overpowers and subdues the Hulk. Thor attempts to fight Thanos, only to be quickly defeated and immobilized in pieces of metal by Moore. With the ship's surviving members helpless against the power of Thanos, Heindal saves Hulk's life by summoning the power of the Bifrost Bridge the last time, and teleporting him to Earth and safe from harm. In retaliation, Thanos kills Heindal, leaving Thor in anguish. 
while saying that Thanos will die for that. After this, the Tesseract, which had been left on the floor, is handed over to Thanos by Moore. Thanos crushes the Tesseract and inserts the Space Stone within it into his gauntlet. Now in possession of two stones, Thanos orders his children to invade Earth and retrieve both the Mind Stone and the Time Stone. Loki then suddenly interrupts by pretending to pledge loyalty to Thanos. As he does so, he commits the bold yet fatal action of trying to kill Thanos with a dagger. Thanos sees through Loki's attempt and foils him with his newly acquired stone, and proceeds to grab him by the neck. Thor helplessly watches as Thanos breaks Loki's neck and drops his lifeless body to the ground before his very eyes. Thanos uses the Power Stone to destroy the Statesman while he and the Black Order teleport away, leaving Thor to die as he mourns over his brother's dead body as the ship explodes around him. Meanwhile on Earth, Hulk crashes into the New York Sanctum via Bifrost and turns back into Bruce Banner, informing Doctor Strange and Wong about Thanos. Strange and Banner find Tony Stark, who is having a date with Pepper Potts, and bring him to the Sanctum as well. Strange, Wong, Banner, and Stark discuss the Infinity Stones, eventually summarizing that Thanos is looking for both the Time Stone, held in the Eye of Agamotto, owned by Strange, and the Mind Stone, kept by Vision in his forehead. Banner insists that Thanos is the most formidable enemy that they ever faced, revealing that he was Loki's sponsor during the Battle of New York and will wipe out half the universe if he completes the Infinity Gauntlet. Stark suggests simply destroying the Time Stone, since they've got it on hand. But Strange refuses, as he and Wong have pledged to protect it with their lives. Banner asks where Vision is, and Stark admits that he's lost track of him, and that Steve Rogers might know where he is. Stark brings Banner up to date with everything that has happened since he left Earth. The Avengers have disbanded, and he is no longer on speaking terms with Rogers. Banner implores Stark to call Rogers, insisting that whatever happened between them doesn't matter compared to what's coming. Convinced, Stark takes out the phone Rogers sent him after the Civil War and prepares to make the call. Before he can, however, an ominous hum rings through the air, accompanied by a change in airflow. A massive ring-shaped Q-ship hovers above New York City, causing panic and fear in the streets. Strange manages to shut the ship's engine off as Ebony Moore and another of Thanos' children, the hulking Cole Obsidian, approach them. While Strange, Stark, Wong, and Banner confront the invaders, the Q-ship is witnessed from afar by Peter Parker, who rushes in to investigate. A turbulent battle erupts in the streets, but Banner finds himself unable to transform into the Hulk, despite his best attempts. As Wong fights Cole, trapping him in the Arctic with the sling ring, Ebony Moore, a fierce telekinetic, successfully abducts Strange, with Time Stone in tow. Unbeknownst to Moore, however, both Iron Man and Spider-Man, who was granted his Iron Spider armor, manage to stow away in Moore's Q-ship. As Wong returns to the Sanctum to protect it, Banner finds Stark's phone and decides to call Rogers himself. Having survived the vacuum of space after the ship's blast, Thor is rescued by the Guardians of the Galaxy, who receive the Asgardians' distress call. They take him abroad the Benatar, where Thor tells them how Thanos killed half the Asgardians to obtain the Space Stone, and decimated Xandar to obtain the Power Stone. Gamora recounts how Thanos travelled from planet to planet, killing half the population of each, and will do the same to the entire universe, should he complete the gauntlet by merely snapping his fingers. They figure that Thanos will be heading to nowhere in order to take the reality stone from the Collector. Thor decides to leave for Nidavellir, as he intends to ask Eitri to craft him a new weapon capable of defeating Thanos. Thor leaves with Rocket Raccoon and Groot, while Star-Lord, Gamora, Drax the Destroyer, and Mantis depart.
depart for nowhere. Meanwhile, Proxima Midnight and Corvus Glaive, two more of Thanos' children, ambush Vision, who attempts to live a normal life with Wanda Maximoff in Scotland. Vision is deeply weakened in the attack, while Maximoff barely manages to hold her own against both. However, reinforcements arrive. Rogers, Falcon, and Black Widow, who have been contacted and fielded by Banner, together force Proxima Midnight and a heavily wounded Corvus Glaive to retreat before they all return to the Avengers compound. Remembering how Thanos destroyed half of her people and adopted her in the process, Gamora makes Quill promise that he will kill her if she gets captured by Thanos. Although Quill is reluctant, Gamora makes him promise and swear on his mother. He eventually agrees, and the two share a kiss. As they arrive on a deserted nowhere, the Guardians of the Galaxy Galaxy witnessed Thanos violently interrogating the Collector over the location of the Reality Stone. Unfortunately, the group makes too much noise, and Thanos realizes their presence. Gamora goes on the offense, attacking and promptly defeating the Titan, who falls to the ground, seemingly killed. However, the group discovers that Thanos had already acquired the Reality Stone, and has been using it to cast a massive illusion. He drops the illusion, revealing a burning nowhere and himself alive and well. Thanos had expected Gamora to come and fight him, and is aware that she is the only person who knows the location of the elusive Soul Stone. Thanos easily subdues Gamora and incapitates Drax and Mantis. Quill aims to fire at Thanos' head, but Gamora begs Quill to keep his promise and kill her, with Thanos pushing Gamora against the gun, inviting him to do so. Despite his heartbreak, Quill pulls the trigger, only for the gun to shoot harmless bubbles, thanks to the Reality Stone. Thanos then teleports away with Gamora. Back at the facility, James Rhodes discusses recent events with Thaddeus Ross, who is outraged at Vision's recent disappearance. Rhodes counters that Vision is only missing because of the Sokovia Accords, which even he now regrets signing. Rogers, Wilson, Romanoff, Vision, and Maximoff arrive, and Ross demands that they should all be arrested. Rhodes cuts his transmission off and greets his old teammates. Banner emerges as well, sharing a brief reunion with everyone, and after bringing everyone up to speed, Banner suggests calling in Hawkeye for help. But Romanoff explains that he as well as Scott Lang are unavailable, having surrendered themselves to the US government, making deals to be placed under house arrest with their families. Together the team decide that the Mind Stone must be destroyed, and that Maximoff is the only member powerful enough to do that. However, in order to destroy the stone without killing Vision, Rogers suggests travelling to Wakanda. In Wakanda, T'Challa and Okoye deliver a new vibranium arm to Bucky Barnes, who has recovered from his mental programming. They warn him that a battle may be coming as they are providing refuge to the Avengers who will undoubtedly be followed by Thanos' children. In Ebony Moore's Q-ship, Stark and Parker successfully rescue Strange by blowing a hole in the ship's hull, fatally shooting Ebony Moore into space. While Strange advocates returning to Earth, Stark suggests keeping the course set on Titan in an effort to keep an element of surprise over Thanos. Strange agrees but warns Stark that he will have to protect the Time Stone, even if it means sacrificing him or Parker. On the Sanctuary 2, Gamora tells Thanos that she doesn't know the location of the Soul Stone and calls her a adopted father insane for planning to exterminate half of all life in the universe, though Thanos insists of his righteousness, of his ultimate desire for perfect balance. He informs Gamora that her home planet, Zen Uberi, has been thriving since he eradicated half of its population. As Thanos needs the Soul Stone to fulfill his goal, he reveals that Nebula is his prisoner. Thanos torches Nebula in front of Gamora, slowly pulling her body apart. Unable to bear it, Gamora reveals that the Soul Stone is hidden on Vormir. Meanwhile, Thor rocket Raccoon and Groot land in Nidavellir, where the forges have gone frozen and dark. They encounter Itri, now the only remaining dwarf on the forge, and he explains that Thanos ordered him to craft the Infinity Gauntlet, crippling the dwarf afterwards, so he could never forge anything else. 
However, Thor convinces Eitri that, working together, they have the power to defeat Thanos. In order to do, they plan on crafting a new weapon for Thor, Stormbreaker, a weapon that can summon the power of the Bifrost. On Sanctuary 2, Nebula manages to free herself and sends a message to the Guardians of the Galaxy, imploring them to meet her on Titan. Stark, Strange, and Parker barely manage to land the Q-ship on Titan's surface, where they are immediately ambushed by the Guardians, who have mistaken them for Thanos' minions. After a few tense moments where Quill believes Stark and his companions to be in league with Thanos, they all agree to work together. While the rest of the group tries to devise a plan, Strange uses the Time Stone to look into alternate futures. He then reports to his allies out of the 14,605 visions of the future that he foresaw, they were victorious in only one alone. Thanos and Gamora teleport to Vormir where they are greeted by Red Skull, now acting as a keeper for the Soul Stone after being banished there by the Tesseract in 1945. Schmidt tells Thanos that he must sacrifice what he loves the most in order to obtain the stone. Gamora is sadly amused, as she believes that Thanos does not love anyone or anything, making him incapable of completing the sacrifice or fulfilling his plans. When she sees that he's crying, she is incredulous at first, but Schmidt tells her that he isn't weeping for himself, but for her. Thanos sacrifices his Order by throwing her from the cliff to her death, and later awakens in possession of the Soul Stone. Meanwhile, the Avengers take Vision to Wakanda, where they are greeted by T'Challa and Balans. They ask Shuri if she can safely extract the Mind Stone from Vision, and she confirms that she can, but that it will take some time. Maximoff is ordered to stand by at the operation table, ready to destroy the stone once it's free. Moments later though, massive dropships land outside of Wakanda's protective energy dome. Meanwhile, Thor and Rocket successfully revive the Stark or of Nedavellir, but due to the mechanisms of the forge being damaged, Thor is forced to risk his life, using his own body to hold the forge's iris open. As massive armies of outriders led by Proxima Midnight and Cole Obsidian arrive in Wakanda, T'Challa gathers Dormalaje, Wakandan Royal Guard, the Border Tribe and the Jabari Tribe led by M'Baku, accompanied by Rogers, Barnes, Wilson, Rhodes, Romanoff and Banner using a suit of the Hulkbuster armor to meet them, hoping to buy Shuri enough time to complete her work. At first, the Outriders blindly throw themselves against the protective energy dome surrounding Wakanda, with many perishing against the dome's surface and only a few actually making it through. However, once the Outriders begin to move around the edge of the dome, Banner alerts the team that the beast could potentially flank them, gaining a clear path to vision. T'Challa then decides to partly open the barrier in an effort to keep the enemies in front of them. The strategy is effective, but at the cost of massive hordes of Outriders suddenly invading Wakanda quickly starting a fierce battle. While Thor and Rocket are able to break the ice that immobilizes the rings of Nidavellir's forge, the mechanism that focuses the neutron star's power is damaged. Thor exposes himself to the full power of the star, giving the forge enough time to melt the special metal needed to craft Stormbreaker. Thor is left near death, but while Eitri successfully molded the metal, the axe's handle cannot be found. Groot sacrifices his left arm for the weapon's handle, activating its power and reviving Thor. Although they are able to take down many of the hostiles, the Avengers and Wakandan armies are quickly outnumbered and overrun by the Outriders. However, Thor arrives via Bifrost with Rocket and Groot, using Stormbreaker to turn the battle in favor of the defenders of Earth. He demands to have Thanos brought to him so he can enact his revenge. Thanos arrives on Titan and is greeted 
greeted by Strange. During a brief conversation with Strange, he reveals that Titan was his home, and that overpopulation led to its ruin. Thanos had suggested that half the population be killed at random to save the planet, a suggestion which was obviously seen as insane. Thanos now believes himself to be merciful, as he plans to simply snap his fingers after acquiring all six Infinity Stones, and cause half the universe's population to cease to exist, without causing much pain, after which Thanos plans on simply resting. Nevertheless, they engage Thanos in an intense battle, but Thanos single-handedly repels the assaults of the Avengers, the Guardians, and Strange, until Nebula arrives and distracts him. Eventually, Strange, Parker, and Drax manage to pin down Thanos' limbs, while Mantis uses her powers to put him to sleep, although she partly fails as he remains half-conscious. He's still weakened enough that he is totally incapacitated, allowing Stark to try and force the gauntlet off of Thanos' hand. However, when Nebula deduces that Thanos had killed Gamora, Quill becomes enraged and attacks the Mad Titan, causing him to regain consciousness just as the gauntlet was about to be taken off. The fight turns decisively in Thanos' favour, as he unleashes the full might of the Infinity Stones upon his attackers, swiftly repelling them all. Thanos then confronts and overpowers Strange, but realises that Strange never used the Time Stone in the fight because Strange hit it. Before he can try to locate it, Iron Man attacks him, but is quickly outmatched and seriously wounded when Thanos stabs him in the stomach. As Thanos prepares to execute Stark, Strange agrees to hand over the Time Stone to Thanos, in exchange for Stark being spared. Thanos agrees and inserts the stone into the gauntlet, and departs to retrieve the last stone. Stark asks Strange why he would sacrifice the Time Stone just to save him. In Wakanda, the Black Order launches treasures, massive siege weapons which lay waste on the battlefield, prompting Maximoff to join and save Romanoff and Okoye. However, what no one has realised is that Corvus Glaive has successfully infiltrated the lab where he knocks out Shiri and her guards before the extraction of the Mind Stone can be completed. Glaive then attempts to take the Mind Stone from Vision, who flees onto the battlefield, and attempts to fight back but Corvus Glaive and Cole Obsidian overpower him. Banner arrives and manages to kill Cole Obsidian, despite still being unable to turn into the Hulk while Rogers fights against Corvus Glaive. Meanwhile, despite holding her own against the combined forces of Maximoff, Romanoff, and Okoye, Proxima Midnight is killed as well when Maximoff forces her into the path of a Thresher. Rogers is defeated, but Vision stabs Corvus Glaive with his own weapon from behind, killing him. With the Black Order defeated and the Outriders rooted by Thor, the Avengers seem victorious. However, Thanos teleports to attain the Mind Stone. All the Avengers, Okoye, T'Challa, and Groot gather to defend Vision, but Thanos effortlessly defeats them all one by one, including Rogers who was briefly able to hold back Thanos, much to the Titan's surprise. Realising that they have no other choice, Vision asks Maximoff to destroy the Mind Stone herself, which will likely kill Vision. She reluctantly agrees and successfully shatters the Mind Stone, moments before Thanos can reach it, vaporising both it and Vision. However, Thanos uses the power of the Time Stone to reverse time, and restores both Vision and the Mind Stone, ripping the Mind Stone out from Vision's skull, killing him for good. Having finally gathered all six Infinity Stones, Thanos prepares to execute his plan, but Thor arrives and catches Thanos off guard, unleashing his full power and full might of Stormbreaker upon the Titan in a last minute attempt to stop him, severely wounding Thanos as Stormbreaker buries itself in his chest. However, Thanos survives the attack 
He mocks Thor for not having hit him in the head and snaps his fingers in the gauntlet, completing his plan. Thanos is momentarily transported into the soul world, where he sees a younger Gamora, who asks what the cost of achieving his goal was. Sadly, Thanos admits that it has cost him everything. Thanos then returns to the real world, with the gauntlet now mangled from the massive amount of energy used and Thor furiously questions Thanos about what he did, as a rumble can be heard throughout the universe. Thanos simply smirks at him and teleports away. As Thor is left to wonder what the outcome will be, Barnes suddenly turns to ash in front of Rogers. The effects of the snap manifest. Half of the Wakandan army disintegrates, as does T'Challa, Groot, Maximoff, and Wilson leaving the survivors regrouping around Vision's body to look in horror and unable to do anything but accept defeat. On Titan, Mantis, Drax, and Quill vanish, along with Strange who tells Stark that there was no other way. Parker is the last to vanish and tearfully begs Stark not to let him go, as he can feel his death coming from his spider sense. While the traumatic Stark laments his failure, Nebula, the only other survivor, solemnly remarks that Thanos has achieved his goal. Thanos retires himself on a distant planet and while satisfactorily gazing out to the sunrise, considering his job done and smiling at his triumph. Back on Earth, Nick Fury and Maria here were monitoring the battle in Wakanda, when they witnessed the effects of the snap firsthand. An SUV crashes in front of them, and when Hill looks inside, the driver has vanished. A helicopter crashes into a nearby skyscraper, seemingly pilotless. When Hill turns to dust in front of him, Fury grabs the pager Captain Marvel gave him and prepares to send a distress signal. When he starts to vanish as well, Fury laments his death but manages to activate the pager, which signals Captain Marvel. Elsewhere, Lang ventures into the quantum realm to collect particles to help heal Star, while monitored by Pym, Janet, and Hope. But he is successful in harvesting the particles, Hope's countdown to bring him back suddenly cuts off. It is revealed that, as a result of Thanos' snap, Pym, Janet, and Hope have all been turned to dust, leaving Lang trapped in the quantum realm. Several of the remaining Avengers watch as the number of snap victims increase. The weight of their failure sits on their shoulders. They analyze Fury's retrieved pager at the Avengers compound, but the pager suddenly shuts down. As they discuss trying to find out who Fury was trying to contact, Danvers herself appears, asking where he is. Clint Barton guides his daughter Lila in archery at his homestead, while his wife Laura and his two sons prepare a picnic, when everyone except Clint suddenly vanishes into dust. 23 days later, Tony Stark and Nebula are adrift in space on the Benatar, their fuel and supplies dwindling. As Stark records a message for his fiancée Pepper Potts in preparation for his demise, Carol Danvers locates the space ship and brings them back to Earth. Stark reunites with Potts, Rogers, Romanoff, Banner, and Rhodes, and they mourn their defeat and loss of the Avengers. And Rocket joins Nebula as they mourn the fall of their fellow Guardians of the Galaxy. Stark furiously confronts Rogers on the notion that the Avengers remained fractured during their conflict with the Mad Titan, accusing him of lying on keeping the group together, before passing out due to exhaustion. With a tip from Nebula about her father's location, along with a snap-like energy signature two days prior, the team head into space for the Garden intending to kill Thanos, take the Infinity Stones back, and reverse the destruction. They discover Thanos alone, cooking a meal when they launch an ambush, but after Thor cuts off his arm, they find the Infinity Gauntlet emptied of its stones. Thanos revealed that he had destroyed them using their own powers, which nearly killed him. Although suspected of lying by Rhodes, Nebula vouches for her father, as he is never a liar. Surprised with the affirmation, Thanos reconsiders his torturous treatment on his daughter, but he is then immediately beheaded 
beheaded by Thor. Although the Mad Titan is dead, they failed to accomplish their mission of resurrecting his victims. Thus, they could do no more but walk away in defeat. Five years pass, and the surviving population have yet to cope with their losses. Rogers now runs a support group for people to try and help them come to terms with what happened. Stark and Potts are now married and are living in a remote cabin with their daughter Morgan. In San Francisco, Scott Lang escapes from the quantum realm when a rat activates controls left behind by the Van Dyne family before they vanished. Lang struggles to comprehend the state of the city and approaches the wall of the vanished, where he encounters his own name. Fearful for the fate of his daughter, daughter Cassie, Scott rushes to her house and finds her alive and well, and now a teenager. The father and the daughter tearfully reunite. At the Avengers facility, Romanoff now commands the team as they perform various assignments. Rhodes informs her of a recent cartel massacre carried out by Barton expressing his concern over how far their fellow comrade had fallen. Lang arrives at the compound and reveals to Romanoff and Rogers that although five years had passed, he spent five hours in the realm. He proposes that they could find a way to exploit the realm's time-bending nature to travel into the past and retrieve the stones from different times. But since the three have no knowledge of handling the quantum physics, they sought out Stark. Initially declining to help them as he believes it would mean putting his daughter Morgan in danger of being erased from existence, Stark later decides to spring into action after coming across an old photo of him and his late protege Peter Parker. He successfully develops a time-space GPS based on an inverted Mobius strip and Stark consults with Potts on his new discovery, who encourages him to do what's right for everyone else. Meanwhile, the other Avengers recruit Banner, who merged his intellect with the Hulk's physique to run time travel tests on Lang using his van. The experiment does not turn out as expected, as Lang constantly shifts between different ages. Afterwards, Stark arrives at the facility with the GPS and returns Rogers' shield to him, signifying their reconciliation, but makes it clear he won't sacrifice his daughter to undo what Thanos did, and Rogers agrees. The remaining Avengers begin to regroup. As Nebula returns to New York, Banner and Rocket travel to New Asgard and recruit Thor, who has become an overweight drunk, traumatized with his perceived failure to stop Thanos. Romanoff goes to Tokyo and finds Barton, who massacred a group of Yakuza as, as part of his vengeful crusade against criminals who survived the snap. Rocket and Stark build a time machine, while Barton volunteers to submit himself for a test run into the past. Grabbing a baseball mitt from his homestead, he successfully carries it back to the present as evidence that their plan works. The Avengers plan out their time heist, using points from their past to pinpoint destinations for Infinity Stones. The Space, Mine, and Time Stone are found in 2012, New York, the Reality Stone in 2013, Asgard, and the Power and Soul Stones on Morag and Vormir, respectively in 2014. They split into three teams and prepare to travel back in time to begin their missions. Mindful that they only have a finite amount of Pym particles since Hang Pym also perished in the snap. With this in mind, they begin. Rogers, Stark, Banner, and Lang arrive in 2012, in the midst of the battle in New York. Banner approaches the New York Sanctum and finds the Ancient One, who refuses to lend the Time Stone to him. However, she relents after learning that Doctor Strange had given it away to Thanos in the future, fearful that it was done for a reason. At Stark Tower, Lang and Stark attempt to steal the Tesseract, but lose it to Loki, who uses it to teleport away somewhere. Rogers obtains the Scepter from Strike Possession by finding Hydro Affiliation, but is forced to fight 
fight his 2012 self, who confuses him for Loki. After defeating his past self, Rogers reunites with Stark and Lang. With only enough pin particles for one trip each, Stark and Rogers decide to go back further to Camp Lehigh in 1970, where they have another shot to grab the Tesseract and can gather more pin particles. Lang is left with the scepter to return to the present day. At the shield base, Rogers stealthily obtains the particles from Hank Pym, but runs into Peggy Carter's office while evading security. He tearfully observes as she works in her office. Meanwhile, Stark encounters his father Howard after obtaining the Tesseract. With Howard's wife Maria expecting a baby, Tony offers parenting advice, saying that the good times he had with his father is all that mattered. Before they part ways, Tony hugs his father, having finally obtained his closure. Arriving on Asgard in 2013, Thor experiences a panic attack after seeing his mother Frigga, recalling that this is the day of her demise. Rocket attempts to encourage him to settle his grief and help him extract the Aether from Jane Foster's body, but Thor runs away, leaving the raccoon to do it himself. Thor unsuccessfully attempts to hide from Frigga and runs into her, who knows that her alternate son is from the future. Sharing a talk, Frigga lectures her son on the importance of failure, advising him to follow his own path rather than try and live up what he's supposed to be. Thor attempts to warn his mother about her impending death, but she silences him. As Rocket returns with the Aether in hand, Thor shares one last hug with Frigga before reaching out to retrieve Majulnir, finding that he's still worthy of wielding the hammer. In 2014, Barton and Romanoff board the Benatar for Vormir, while Nebula and Rhodes remain on Morag and wait for Peter Quill to arrive and lead them to the Orb's chamber. They knock Quill out and collect the stone, but when the two attempt to travel back, Nebula is left behind when her memories are entangled with those of her past self. The Thanos of that time uses the link to see into the future, learning that the same humans who had foiled his 2012 invasion are returning to reverse his ultimate victory. Determined to know more, Thanos captures Nebula as she attempts to warn Barton and Romanoff of his newfound involvement. Past Nebula confronts her future self and collects her GPS and pin particles, handing it over to her father. Meanwhile, Barton and Romanoff arrive on Vormir. They meet Red Skull who informs them that the sacrifice of a loved one must be carried out in order for one to retrieve the stone. Barton laughs at the concept, but Romanoff deduces that it is indeed the truth as Thanos had murdered his daughter Gamora there in their time. Understanding the severity of the situation, the two struggle to decide who should give their life for the cause. While Barton insists that he should do it due to the carnage he left behind in the wake of his grief, Romanoff declares that her life's work has led her to this moment. As they dash to the cliff, they wrestle to keep each other from sacrificing themselves. Ultimately, Romanoff makes the jump and dies, leaving the soul stone with Barton. The Avengers return to the present day. Stricken with their loss of one of their own, they realize that her death cannot be undone, and that their efforts to save the universe must not leave her death in vain. They construct a new gauntlet and load the six stones onto it. Thor attempts to volunteer to perform the snap, but Banner steps in due to the stone's gamma radiation. While severely scarring his arm, he successfully snaps his fingers, and brings the victims of the snap back to life. Elsewhere, past Nebula, who travelled to the present in place of her future self, opens a time portal, allowing Thanos to bring Sanctuary 2 forward from 2014. The barely have any time to celebrate their success when the ship abruptly opens fire on the compound with a barrage of missiles, leveling the facility to a pile of rubble. As Thanos sends past Nebula to retrieve the stones, her future self reveals to Gamora their improved relationship in the future. Gamora decides to join Nebula to stop her father. Meanwhile, Rhodes, Rocket, and Banner are trapped in the flooding area, forcing Lang to come and save them. Barton lands next to the gauntlet in the sewers, which is infested with outriders. After escaping them, he unknowingly passes the stones to past Nebula, who is then confronted by Gamora and Nebula, 
and eventually Nebula kills her past self once she threatens her sister. Stark, Rogers and Thor meet each other and confront Thanos on the ground, who intends to rebuild the entire universe using the stones, due to them trying to stop only half going. They begin a vigorous fight, and after Stark and Thor are overpowered and knocked aside in the ensuing fight, Rogers wields Majunia against the time-balanced Titan, now worthy of wielding it. However, Thanos severely injures him, and nearly destroys his shield with his sword. Thanos summons the rest of his army, which include the Shatari and the Black Order, to lay siege on Earth. Rogers prepares to face them alone, not giving up, even with all hope lost. But a series of portals appear behind him, containing the victims of the snap. The masters of the mystic arts have arrived with reinforcements from Kamataj, Wakanda, Contrixia, and New Asgard, along with the Avengers' rescued allies from Wakanda, Titan, and San Francisco. Lang, growing to giant size, retrieves Banner, Rhodes, and Rocket from the flooded depths. With the scales now balanced, Rogers calls for the Avengers to assemble, and leads his allies into the battle for the fate of the entire universe. The battle ensues, and Banner tells Barton that they must get the stones back to their respective times, and away from Thanos. With their main time machine destroyed in the initial attack, their only other option is the van. Ant-Man and the Wasp go to hotwire the dead vehicle. As Thanos' forces close in on Barton, he passes the gauntlet onto Black Panther. As Thanos prepares to charge at T'Challa, he suddenly finds his path blocked by a vengeful Wanda Maximoff, seeking revenge for his 2018 self's murder of Vision. As Wanda engages Thanos, T'Challa runs, only to become entrapped by Ebony Moore. Seeing T'Challa's predicament, Spider-Man swoops in and snatches the gauntlet. Meanwhile, Wanda's attack leaves Thanos at her mercy, as she effortlessly breaks his sword and lifts him into the air, the whole time ripping chunks of his armor from his body. In order to escape her grasp, Thanos orders another missile barrage from Sanctuary 2, against Corvus Gleave's protests that deals great damage to both sides. One of the missiles takes out a dam, forcing Doctor Strange out of the fight to prevent the battlefield from flooding. Suddenly, Sanctuary 2 redirects its fire to an object arriving from outer space. It was Carol Danvers, who came to single-handedly destroy the warship. Retrieving the gauntlet from Parker, she enlists the aid of her fellow female comrades as she dashes to the now-activated van. However, Thanos uses his sword to destroy the vehicle and the quantum portal. With the gauntlet in Thanos' reach, Star Rogers, Thor, and Danvers make their last stand to keep it out of his hands. However, he manages to shake all of the opposition aside and equip the gauntlet. Strange informs Stark that this is the one future that ends in their victory. And determined, Stark dashes at Thanos one more time, but he's knocked aside as the Titan wins once again and snaps his fingers. Although nothing happens, as the stones have been stolen by Stark and transferred onto his own suit. With a very being that has haunted him for the past 15 years now at his mercy, and all of his comrades fighting by his side, Stark snaps his own fingers. Thanos watches in horror as his forces crumble to dust in front of him, only to meet that same fate soon after. Stark is mortally wounded from his usage of the stones, and is greeted by Rhodes, Parker, and Potts as he lays dying. Potts assures her husband that they are going to be alright, and allows him to rest. Stark's arc reactor then permanently shuts off, Potts giving him one last kiss. Rogers and Thor mournfully watch at a distance, and Tony unfortunately passes away. The Mad Titan's final defeat and the return of the Vanished calls for celebrations all around the world, including in Wakanda and San Francisco. At Stark's funeral, he leaves a final holographic message for his family and closest friends, including a heartfelt goodbye for Morgan. Stark's original arc reactor is sent adrift in the lake outside their cabin, with the Avengers and their allies in attendance, including those who had past grievances with Stark. All the Avengers say their goodbyes and mourn the loss of Tony Stark.
Outside New Asgard, Thor names Valkyrie as Asgard's new ruler, while he abdicates to join the Guardians of the Galaxy, following his mother's advice. Meanwhile, Rogers prepares to go back in time to return the stones in Majornia to their proper times, bidding goodbye to Barnes. But as Banner is unable to bring him back when prompted, Barnes alerts Sam Wilson to the presence of an elderly man nearby. It is an aged-up Rogers, who had chosen to remain in the past and live out a full life with Peggy Carter. He presents Wilson with a new shield, passing the mantle of Captain America onto him. Wilson, now Captain America, sees Roger's ring and asks if he wants to tell him about her. He says no, while reminiscing about the dance they finally got to have. Immediately after seizing the Tesseract as a result from the actions of time-displaced Avengers, Loki is arrested by the Time Variance Authority TVA, for creating a branch timeline and is taken into their headquarters, outside of time itself. Following an extensive screening process, Judge Ravona Renslayer sentences the God of Mischief to be pruned, but Agent Mobius M. Mobius intervenes and instead takes him into the Time Theater for interrogation. As Loki contemplates his ability to possess free will in a predetermined timeline, Mobius shows him his intended future in the Sacred Timeline, which includes his role in the death of his adoptive mother. Loki is left in disbelief, and when Mobius momentarily leaves the room for a briefing with Hunter B-15, Loki manages to escape and retrieves the confiscated Tesseract. However, he discovers it is powerless in the TVA. B-15 rushes to prune Loki, but he returns to the Time Theater and uncovers more of his future, from his strengthened bond with Thor to his death at Thanos' hands. Mobius later recruits Loki to respond to a renegade Loki variant, who had been attacking the TVA's Minutemen in various time periods. Loki, Mobius, and B-15 travel to a 1985 Whisk in search of the variant, who had kidnapped Hunter C-20. They are, however, forced to reset the timeline once Loki stalls for too long. Seeking to use their Loki to understand and help capture the variant, Mobius assists Loki in testing a theory for finding it hiding within apocalyptic events. They travel to 79 AD, Pompeii, and warn the locals of the impending destruction of the city. No branches are formed, so the pair return to the TVA to investigate details of other apocalypse to discern where the variant is most likely to hide. A hurricane in 2050, Alabama is selected, so Loki, Mobius, and B-15 accompany a Minuteman unit there. The variant, aware of the arrival, enchants B-15 and various civilians to interact with and attack Loki. As the variant reveals herself as a female Loki, Mobius finds C-20, who reveals she has given up the classified location to the creator of the TVA, the Timekeepers. The variant uses a stash of reset charges to bomb the sacred timeline and create multiple branches, forcing the TVA into action. As she leaves for the TVA headquarters through a time door, Loki gives chase and leaves Mobius behind. He attempts to recruit the variant to help him take down the timekeepers, but his efforts fall flat. When Renslayer arrives, Loki uses a tempad to transport himself and the variant to 2077 Lamentus 1, a moon doomed to collide with a planet in a few hours. With the device low on power and stuck with Loki, the variant revealing her allies as Sylvie Laufey.Tier is forced to team up with him to survive. Their quest to scour for sufficient power sources come up futile, but they learn from a Lamentian homesteader about the Ark, a spacecraft the two hypothesized to be able to recharge the Tempad. But while attempting to ferrovate a train to the launch base, the guards force Loki and Sylvie out, breaking the device in the process. 
forced to travel on foot, Loki and Sylvie plan to hijack the Ark and launch it early to avoid certain doom. Along the way, Sylvie reveals to Loki that while enchanting C-20 for information on the Timekeepers, she discovered repressed memories of a life C-20 previously had on Earth. Loki learns those who work for the TVA are variants themselves, having been abducted from the sacred timeline. Arriving at the launch base, Loki and Sylvie dash to the Ark, but are only able to witness its destruction. Preparing for their demise, the two continue to bond, eventually beginning to hold hands. This, however, creates a unique branch in the sacred timeline, and the TVA arrests the duo in the nick of time. Before being thrown into a time cell, Loki informs Mobius of his own variant nature. A confused Mobius then relays the information to B-15, who begins to recognize memories of her own previous life due to Sylvie's enchantment of her. In the time cell, Loki is verbally and physically abused by Sif, continuously in a time loop eventually forcing him to confess to his narcissism. While celebrating Sylvie's capture with Renslayer, Mobius swaps his tempad out with hers, and excuses himself to the library, where he finds a recording of C-20 that affirms to him of his variant origins. After retrieving Loki from his temporal incarnation, Mobius is pruned by Renslayer, who had learned of the tempad swap. She then takes Loki and Sylvie to the Timekeeper's chamber, where the reformed B-15 assists the two to fight. After knocking out Renslayer, Sylvie then uses her weapon to reveal that the Timekeepers were actually just animatronics, and entirely fake. As Sylvie prepares their next move, Loki prepares to confess his feelings to her, but is pruned by a recovered Renslayer. Sylvie disarms Renslayer and attempts to interrogate her on the origins of the TVA, but finds that she is also clueless. Instead, Renslayer informs her that Loki is alive in a void at the end of time, where Sylvie realises that no branching timelines can be made due to the uncertainty surrounding time's end. When Renslayer uses Miss Minutes to summon a Minutemen unit to her aid, Sylvie prunes herself and is retrieved by Mobius in the void. Meanwhile, Loki meets the classic, kid, boastful, and alligator variants of himself, as they all run from a storm-like entity named Elioth. Their attempt to take refuge in a bunker fails, as boastful Loki betrays them to try to ally with President Loki. In the brawl that follows, classic Loki leads the remaining Loki allies to escape, where they meet with Sylvie and Mobius. Theorizing a life to be only a gatekeeper to the true creator of the TVA, Sylvie devises a plan to enchant and neutralize the beast. Loki chooses to remain with Sylvie, Mobius returns to the TVA to inform everyone there of their variant nature, and Kid Loki hands Loki his weapon. Classic Kid and Alligator Loki begin to walk away, but mid-confrontation with the beast, Classic Loki returns to assist Loki and Sylvie, sacrificing himself in the process. With Elioth neutralized, the two cross a portal unveiled from the storm to infiltrate the citadel at the end of time. Encountering Miss Minutes inside, she unsuccessfully tempts the two with a personalized offer from the true creator of the TVA, He Who Remains. Loki and Sylvie later meet He Who Remains himself, who informs them that he had orchestrated their entry into the citadel and has them sit down for a chat. Meanwhile, Miss Minutes is ordered by Renslayer to retrieve files regarding the TVA's founding, but she instead receives files about He Who who remains. Mobius arrives and informs Renslayer her variant nature is now known to all due to her coordinated effort between him and B-15. Following an argument regarding the free will of the variants, Mobius attempts to prune Renslayer when she opens a time door, but she easily disarms him. Instead of pruning Mobius again, Renslayer simply leaves the TVA headquarters to find her free will. He who remains reveals to Loki and Sylvie that he had founded the TVA in the aftermath of a multiversal war, in order to prevent the rise of his 
his malicious variants. He then gives the two a gambit, kill him and unleash his many, possibly more dangerous variants all over the multiverse, or take over the TVA in its place. As the sacred timeline begins to form multiple branches, Sylvie, having lost her family to the TVA, rushes to kill he who remains. But Loki, not wanting to risk the prospect of a multiversal crisis, comes to his protection. After a brief struggle, Loki and Sylvie's emotional bond reaches an apex, and they kiss. But Sylvie opens a time door using He Who Remains as Tempad and sends Loki back to the TVA. He Who Remains, having grown weary, does not resist when Sylvie kills him with her sword. The sacred timeline now destroyed, growing into an infinite multiverse. Sylvie collapses over her murder and Loki is left heartbroken about his lost love and loss of the sacred timeline. Loki then rushes to the library where he encounters Mobius and B-15, attempting to warn them about variants of He Who Remains, but they don't recognize him. Loki then notices a lone statue of a variant of He Who Remains in the place of the three Timekeeper statues, a change as a result of the multiversal crisis now in full effect. From his observatory in the nexus of all realities, the Watcher would begin to observe the numerous timelines spawned from their various nexus events. However, the Watcher himself cannot interfere with events occurring within the realities, having sworn an oath shed among all other Watchers. The Watcher visits eight realities that diverge from the main universe. One universe being where Steve Rogers is seriously wounded, forcing Peggy Carter to take the serum instead. Another universe where instead of Peter Quill, the Ravagers mistakenly abduct T'Challa from Earth, who would go on to reform the criminal syndicate into a charitable force admired by many. The next universe where Hank Pym assassinates candidates of the Avengers Initiative in his grief after losing his daughter, who was a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. Elsewhere in the multiverse, Doctor Strange turns to dark magic to alter the past and resurrect Christine Palmer after she tragically dies in a car accident, albeit with dire consequences. Another universe with a mission to rescue Janet Van Dyne from the quantum realm goes terribly awry, when Hank Pym returns with a catastrophic zombie apocalypse instead. Elsewhere, Eric Killmonger saves Tony Stark from a Ten Rings kidnapping attempt as part of his new plan to enter Wakanda, manipulating it and the United States into a war. Next, without a brother to grow up with, Thor becomes a rambunctious adult who throws wild and destructive parties across the cosmos. Finally, a universe where Ultron successfully uploads himself into the new body made out of vibranium that should be Vision. Armed with the Mind Stone, the rogue AI manages to kill Thor, Bruce Banner, Steve Rogers, and Tony Stark, before unleashing Earth's entire arsenal of nuclear weapons upon humanity, leading to their decimation. When Thanos arrives on Earth with the other five Infinity Stones, Ultron effortlessly kills him with the Mind Stone and takes the stones for himself. Ultron's newfound omnipotence makes him aware of the greater universe. Ultron thus expands his mission to bring his version of peace to all corners of the cosmos, spawning a fresh army of Ultron sentries with the Reality Stone and creating a spherical spaceship. Ultron initiates his conquest, inflicting his will on every inhabitable world of the universe, Asgard, the Sovereign, Sakaar, and Ego are just some of the countless planets that fall to the genocidal AI. During a Xandar invasion, Captain Marvel attempts to destroy Ultron by ramming him into the planetary core. However, she is killed when he uses the stones to obliterate the planet itself. After remaking all of the universe in his image, Ultron is left as a program without a purpose, 
but when he notices the Watcher's presence, he learns of alternate realities within the multiverse. Alarmed, the Watcher decides to turn his attention to that universe's last hope as the AI actively tracks him down. Natasha Romanoff and Clint Barton are the only known survivors of the nuclear holocaust, spending the remainder of their days outrunning the centuries. In Moscow, they infiltrate the KGB archives and attempt to find intel regarding an AI that can take on Ultron. After searching through countless numbers of files for hours, Romanoff locates the file on Arnim Zola, to the Watcher's relief as he observes. Determining Zola as a viable combatant to Ultron, Romanoff and Barton head to the Hydra facility in Siberia, containing a second set of databanks for Zola's mind outside of Camp Lehigh. After activating the algorithm, Romanoff and Barton coerce Zola to help them destroy Ultron from the inside. After downloading Zola into one of Hawkeye's arrows, Black Widow lures the sentries to the base, enabling Hawkeye to transfer Zola to one of the sentries and allow him to invade the Hive Code. Despite this, Zola is unable to execute the task, as Ultron has left their universe. As the sentries swarm the facility, Hawkeye, having lost his will to live after the death of his family, sacrifices himself to destroy the robot horde, buying Black Widow and the Zola sentry ample time to escape. Simultaneously, Ultron confronts the Watcher in the Nexus of All Realities. In their fight, the Watcher teleports to numerous universes in a futile attempt to flee. Ultron gains the upper hand as he mocks the Watcher for the oath he swore, preventing him from interfering before attempting to kill him. But the Watcher manages to break free and escape to another universe, where he finds Doctor Strange, who beckons him to break his oath. With Ultron's ambitions threatening the multiverse as a whole, the Watcher reluctantly agrees and asks the Sorcerer for help. Elsewhere, Ultron had taken control of the Nexus and now has all realities at his fingertips. While infiltrating George Batroc's ship, Captain Carter is visited by the Watcher, who has chosen her to fight against Ultron. In other universes, the Watcher also visits and abducts Star-Lord as he fights Ego during the expansion, Gamora as she melts the Infinity Gauntlet with Iron Man and Eitri, Eric Killmonger just as Pepper Potts, Shuri and the Dora Milaje close in on him in Wakanda, and Thor during his bull against Ultron sentries in Las Vegas. The five are taken to a pub created by Doctor Strange, where he and the Watcher brief them about Ultron's war on the multiverse. When Thor carries the head of a sentry along with him, Killmonger takes it for himself. The newly formed Guardians of the Multiverse devise a plan on confronting Ultron. However, Thor accidentally gains Ultron's attention prematurely, forcing the Guardians to accelerate their plan as Strange enchants the team with an advanced protection spell, and Gamora and Killmonger enter a portal created by the Watcher. Strange and Thor bombard Ultron with a swarm of Majuniors, allowing Star-Lord to steal the Soul Stone. Strange then summons a horde of zombies led by Wanda Maximoff on Ultron before the team depart to his home universe, where Black Widow intercepts the Soul Stone believing the Guardians to be Ultron's lackeys. Carter reveals her close friendship to the Black Widow of her universe, indirectly recruiting her to the team. Not long after, Ultron arrives to reclaim his missing stone, having made quick work of the zombie horde. Ultron attempts to destroy the Guardians with the five stones, but is negated by Strange. As the AI and the Guardians wrestle for the Soul Stone, Strange manages to repeatedly nullify Ultron's attacks as the team pins him down allowing Gamora to attach the Crusher into the stones. This fails as the Crusher was only designed to destroy the Infinity Stones of its original universe, allowing Ultron to recover the Soul Stone. He turns his sights on Strange and attempts to kill the Sorcerer. Carter and Black Widow are blown away and land next to Black Widow's motorcycle, where she finds the arrow infused with Arnim Zola, laying beside it. Black Widow gets Carter to expose Ultron's eye, allowing her to pierce it with the Zola arrow, and have the Hydra algorithm destroy the AI's codebase. However, Killmonger uses his sentry head to claim Ultron's armor and the stones for himself. 
Zola, who is in control of Ultron's body, attempts to take them back, pitting the two in a deadlock struggle. Realizing that there is no other way to truly win, Strange encapsulates Zola and Killmonger in a pocket dimension, as the Watcher teleports him back to his home. Strange assigns himself to observe the reality bubble, while the Watcher sends the rest of his recruits back to their home universes. Noticing a portrait of Steve Rogers, Carter considers heading back into her past, but the Watcher convinces her to attend her present day. Unable to restore Black Widow's world, the Watcher instead places her in the universe where the Avengers had been assassinated, as Nick Fury, Captain Marvel, and Captain America fight Loki and the Asgardians. There, Black Widow steals the scepter and uses it to subdue the God of Mischief. Meanwhile, Peter Quill joins Star-Lord to fight Ego. Gamora and Thor reunite with Iron Man and Jane Foster in their respective realities, and Carter finds the Hydra Stomper armor stashed away in Batroc's ship with the help of Black Widow. Reclaiming control of the Nexus of all realities, the Watcher vows to protect the multiverse for as long as he can. Back in the main timeline, newlyweds Wanda Maximoff and Vision move into their new suburban home in Westview, New Jersey. As the couple possess superpowers, they make various attempts to conceal their powers from the rest of the town, so that they can act as regular people. Vision quickly adapts to his new workspace, while neighbor Agnes arrives to greet Maximoff and the two quickly form a close friendship. That evening, Vision unexpectedly invites his boss Arthur Hart and his wife for dinner. Maximoff's powers nearly slip for them to see as she frantically prepares a meal. Vision is eventually forced to use his phasing powers to save Hart after he chokes on his food. The next day, Maximoff and Vision prepare for a talent show routine. At a country club meeting, she meets Geraldine, and the two quickly bond. All the while, Maximoff begins to notice strange phenomena in Westview, such as an off-colored toy helicopter and a radio signal hijack by an unknown man. The couple's performance at the show becomes complicated when Vision swallows a piece of gum, which grinds his gears and causes him to fall into a drunken state. The intoxicated synthetoid inadvertently activates his powers, but Maximoff quickly summons props to make it look like practical effects, eventually winning the couple top prize. Soon after, Maximoff discovers that she is pregnant, but the fetal development proceeds at a much quicker rate than anticipated. Her frequent shrieks of pain causes reality within the town to become disordered. With the help of Geraldine, Maximoff eventually delivers twin boys named Billy and Tommy. Days prior, Monica Rambeau returns to work at S.W.O.R.D. after being restored to life in the blip three weeks earlier, meeting with director Tyler Hayward. Rambeau is assigned to accompany FBI agent Jimmy Wu to investigate a mass disappearance of people in Westview, only to be absorbed into the town when she discovers a force field surrounding the perimeter. S.W.O.R.D. quickly assembles a base at the site, with Wu and Dr. Darcy Lewis being summoned to help with the investigation. Lewis discovers television signals within the radiation emitted from the barrier and uses them to tap into the WandaVision program, thus allowing S.W.O.R.D. to track the events within the town. Within the show, the FBI was able to identify Westview's missing as WandaVision's cast, including Rambeau as Geraldine. S.W.O.R.D. began to make various attempts to reach Maximoff in the town, such as sending an agent through the source and interfering with radio wavelengths. Back in Westview, after she mentions Pietro Maximoff's death to Ultron, Wanda angrily blasts Rambeau out of Westview. With Rambeau's first-person intel, Hayward identifies Maximoff as the sole assailant of the missing persons case. And and thus intensifies S.W.O.R.D.'s efforts to shatter her reality. An armed drone is sent into Westfield to assassinate Maximoff, but she emerges from the town with the drone destroyed, warning Hayward to leave her alone. In the meanwhile, Lewis sends an email to Vision's workplace, who in an act of suspicion momentarily releases her co-worker's true personality. Vision is horrified to learn from him that Maximoff had been keeping him in a state of mental enslavement, and thus confronts his wife on the matter with fury, who denies any wrongdoings. As their argument escalates, Wanda 
Wanda is forced to answer the door, who she meets and embraces as seemingly alive Pietro. As the Halloween spirit kicks into full gear in the town, the Maximoff twins, who had aged themselves up to the age of 10, quickly grow accustomed to the latest arrival of the family. Vision leaves on his own accord for a community watch, while Hayward orders Rambo, Wu, and Lewis off the base for challenging his orders, but they manage to sneak back inside and discover from secretive files that Hayward had been tracking Vision's vibranium signature. Instead of a community watch, Vision has been traveling further into the town's outskirts and discovers people frozen from their free will. He eventually encounters Agnes, who informs the Avenger that he is actually deceased. With his suspicions intensifying, Vision locates the town perimeter and attempts to breach through the barrier, only to disintegrate in front of Hayward. When Billy alerts his mother about Vision, she expands the barrier, enveloping him, Lewis, and the sword base, but Hayward was able to escape, while Rambo and Wu also escape with Hayward's files. Wanda's expansion causes her to lose control of her reality, with multiple objects phasing in and out of time. Wanting time for herself, she sends Billy and Tommy off with Agnes. A restored Vision meets with Lewis and learns from her his past, from his creation as Jarvis to his death at the hands of Thanos. Outside of town, Rambo successfully re-enters Westview while obtaining superpowers due to the repeated exposure to the barrier's radiation. She visits Wanda at her home and tries to warn her about Hayward, only to be attacked for mentioning his name. Wanda is brought by Agnes into her home, where she notices her son's missing. She is lured into the gothic basement, where Agnes reveals herself as the witch Agatha. Harkness subjects Maximoff to relive her past in an effort to deduce where her powerful reality warping abilities originate, revealing that the Westview anomaly has spawned from a fit of anguish from the grieving Avenger, thus placing the resonance under her will and creating another vision out of thin air. Harkness eventually concludes that Maximoff is a mythical Scarlet Witch. In the meanwhile, Hayward was able to refurbish the original Vision's body as his sentient weapon, before releasing it into Westview to kill Maximoff and her vision. The two visions duel with each other in the air, while Harkness combats Maximoff at the town center. There, Harkness guilt trips Maximoff by releasing every Westview resident from her control, leading them to bombard her with pleas and questions. Rambo is held hostage by Pietro, but removes the necklace Harkless used to control him, revealing his true identity as Ralph Boner. Maximoff agrees to destroy the anomaly, but halts the process once realizing she'll lose Vision, Billy, and Tommy with it. Hayward was able to infiltrate Westview safely and attempts to kill the twins, but are stopped by them, Rambo, and Lewis. Wanda's Vision makes peace with the original Vision and restores the original's memories, causing him to flee. Maximoff repeatedly bars Harkness with chaos magic, seemingly allowing her to absorb it all. This is revealed to be a ruse that gives Maximoff cover to cast protection runes within the anomaly, rendering Harkness powerless. She subsequently reclaims her chaos magic, thus fully morphing into the Scarlet Witch. The defeated Harkness is then imprisoned within her Agnes persona by Maximoff as she reunites with her family who recognize that Westview is no longer a place for them. With the Westview anomaly receding, the town is slowly reverting back to normal. Wanda bids goodbye to Billy and Tommy in bed while sharing one last kiss with her vision before they disappear forever. Returning to the town center to the scowls of her former thralls, Maximoff apologizes to Rambo and makes peace with her before ultimately fleeing Westview. In the aftermath, the police arrive and arrest Hayward while Wu takes over the investigation. Rambo is summoned to outer space by an old friend of her mother's and Maximoff retreats to the wilderness 
Venus to study chaos magic via the Dark Old, where she eventually hears her children's cries for help. Elsewhere in six months after being restored to life in a blip and being handed Captain America's shield by Steve Rogers, Sam Wilson is working with the US Air Force overseas to rescue a hostage from Laugh, a terrorist group led by George's Batrock. Later, Wilson's partner, Joe Quintoris, briefs him about the anarchist group the Flag Smashers. Taurus investigates Flag Smasher activity in Switzerland, only to be attacked by one of them during a bank robbery. Wilson, struggling with the mantle of Captain America, decides to surrender his shield to the Smithsonian Institution, and explains to James Rhodes that he feels like the shield still belongs to Rogers. But while he was helping his sister Sarah with the family business in Louisiana, the US government adopts a new Captain America with his shield, Captain John Walker. Bucky Barnes, who had been pardoned by the US government, is outraged by the appointment and confronts Wilson on the matter, who defends his decision. Barnes tags alongside Wilson to Munich, where they encounter Flag Smashers shipping vaccines. While attempting to combat the group, they discover that the anarchists are all enhanced by a super soldier serum, and are overpowered. Walker and his partner Lamar Hoskins arrive to help, but are also defeated. Despite being on the same side of the conflict, Wilson and Barnes refuse to work with Walker and Hoskins. Wilson and Barnes travel to Baltimore and meet Isaiah Bradley, a super soldier of the Korean War who was imprisoned and used as a blood experiment by Hydra for 30 years before being released. However, Bradley kicks them out due to Barnes's presence. Barnes is subsequently arrested for missing a mandated therapy session, but is freed by Walker. After refusing another request from Walker to cooperate, Barnes decides to go to Berlin and help Helmut Zemo escape from confinement, seeking his knowledge about the super soldier serum. The three travel to Madripoor in search of the mastermind behind the resurgence of the serum, meeting with top criminal Shelby, who reveals that Wilfred Nagel had been hired by the power broker to reproduce the fluid. Shelby is killed when Wilson's disguise as a Madriporian local is breached, which leads to bounties being placed in the trio's heads. They reunite with Sharon Carter, who had settled in Madripoor after going on a run for stealing Captain America's shield from the government's hands during the Civil War. She leads them to Nagel in his lab, who reveals that the leaguer of the Flag Smashers, Carly Morgenthau, had stolen 20 vials of the serum. Zemo suddenly kills Nagel and later fetches a gateway transport. Carter stays behind in Madripoor as Wilson promises to get her pardoned. As the Flag Smashers raid and destroy a Global Recreation Council supply depot, Zemo leads the three to Latvia in search of Morgenthau. While in Latvia, Barnes encounters Ao of the Dora Milaje, enraged at him for releasing Zemo. She gives Barnes eight hours to use Zemo before the Dora move in to arrest him. Zemo leads the trio to a funeral Morgenthau is attending, where they encounter Walker and Hoskins. Wilson visits Morgenthau alone, who reveals that she fights the GRC to prevent their planned relocation of blip refugees from occurring. Wilson tries to convince Morgenthau to end her campaign, but an impatient Walker moves to arrest her, sparking a brawl. Zemo attacks Morgenthau as she flees and begins to destroy the remaining vials of the serum. Before he can smash the last one, he is stopped by Walker, who takes the vial for himself. The Dora Milaje move to arrest Zemo, but as Walker refuses to hand him over on the claim of jurisdiction, a fight ensues which leads to Zemo's escape. Morgenthau threatens Sarah Wilson over the phone, forcing Sam and Barnes into a meeting with the anarchist leader, as she attempts to goad them into joining her cause. Walker and Hoskins arrive, leading to yet another brawl in which Morgenthau accidentally kills Hoskins. A vengeful Walker chases down one Flag Smasher and brutally murders him with a shield, to the horror of onlookers. 
Thus, Wilson and Barnes confront Walker and the three fight vigorously. Wilson and Barnes violently take the shield away, while the US government relieves him of his rank in the Captain America mantle. Walker is then visited by a mysterious woman named Valentina Allegra de Fontaine, while Barnes tracks Zemo down to Sokovia and turns him over to the Dora, who take him to the raft. Wilson leaves his wingsuit to Torres, which had been damaged in the battle with Walker, and revisits Bradley in Baltimore. After retelling his tragic past to Wilson, Bradley affirms to him that no self-respecting black man would ever want to become Captain America. Returning home to Louisiana, Wilson helps Sarah to fix the family boat, while Barnes arrives with a case from the Wakandans. Wilson and Barnes then train with the shield, all the while agreeing to settle their past grudges and work together as a team. Meanwhile, the power broker had secretly employed Batroc, assigning him to join the Flag Smashers as they plan an assault on the GRC in New York City. Wilson opens the case and finds a new wingsuit with the Captain America motif, finally adopting the Captain America mantle as he arrives to confront the anarchists. On the ground, Carter joins Barnes in an effort to escort the GRC members to safety, and Walker arrives with a homemade shield, hoping to kill Morgenthau once and for all. However, he abandons his vengeance to save GRC members from peril. Carter confronts Morgenthau and offers her a new position at her side. Batroc arrives and deduces Carter as the power broker, Morgenthau realizing Batroc was hired as a spy. Carter swiftly kills Batroc when he attempts to blackmail her identity for increased pay. Wilson refuses to fight Morgenthau and attempts to reason with her, but eventually Carter kills her when she attempts to kill Wilson. Moved by Morgenthau's cause, Wilson convinces the GRC to shelve their relocation efforts and instead directly help those who are displaced by the blip. The remaining members of the Flag Smashers are apprehended and were set to be transported to the raft, but they are killed by a bomb set by Zemo's butler, Osnick and Root. Barnes fully makes amends with the people he had affected as a Winter Soldier, and Wilson takes Bradley to the Smithsonian and reveals he had erected a monument to immortalize his story, driving him to tears. As the Wilsons, Barnes, and the locals enjoy a celebratory Louisiana cookout, Carter is officially pardoned by the US government. However, this allows her to secure direct access to the government resources for her buyers in Madripoor. Meanwhile, Fontaine recruits Walker as the US agent with a brand new suit, and sometime after, Belova encounters Fontaine as well, who's now her employer, at Romanoff's grave. Belova receives her next assignment from Fontaine, take down Clint Barton, the man she claims is responsible for Romanoff's death. Back in ancient times, a man named Zhu Wenwu discovered 10 mystical rings. These artifacts blessed him with immortality and unmatched power, allowing him to become a dominating conqueror. Founding the Ten Rings organization, the terrorist syndicate would spread to nearly every corner of the world over the millennia. Still, Wenwu was not satisfied. Having heard of the ancient village of Talo, he sought to enter the realm for its mystical creatures. In 1996, he ventures into a bamboo maze and comes across Ying Li a woman guarding the entrance to Talo, who decrees that he is unwelcome in their village. Wenwu refuses to back down, leading them to fight. The two lock eyes on multiple instances, and while Lee manages to defeat him, they quickly fall for each other. Lee retells the story to a young Sung Shang-Shi, while also giving him a green pendant to find his way back home. In the present day, Shang-Shi, now going by Sean, and his best friend Caddy Shen, work as hotel valets in San Francisco. This comes as a major annoyance to their friends, Su 
Sue and John, along with Chen's parents, as Chen and Sean are overqualified for their job. One morning while they ride a bus to work, Sean is suddenly attacked by men seeking his pendant. As he manages to hold his own against them, Chen is forced to take over the wheel after the bus driver is knocked unconscious. After Sean throws his attackers off the bus, Razor Fist emerges and attempts to kill him with his machete limb. While Sean escapes unharmed, the assassin working for the Ten Rings has seized his pendant. Recalling a postcard supposedly sent by his sister, Shu Ling, Sean prepares to depart for Maku. Chen insists on tagging along with him, determined to learn who Sean truly is. On the flight, Sean reveals his true name to Chen and his life before meeting her. After his mother died when he was seven, Wen Wu began to train his son to become an assassin. Under the cold supervision of his mentor, the Death Dealer, Shang-Chi learned the many ways to kill a man. Finally, after seven years of training, he was sent on a hit, but he fled to San Francisco instead. After landing in Macau, Shang-Chi and Chen locate the address of the postcard, finding the Golden Daggers Club. However, had signed a form when he first entered the building, he unknowingly had placed his name in for a fight on the grand stage. As Shen spectates, Shang-Chi faces a new opponent, a woman whom he immediately recognizes as Ling. Shang-Chi refuses to fight and attempts to inform her about their father's impending arrival, but he is knocked out. Ling, embittered at her brother for abandoning her when he fled for San Francisco, reveals that she was not the one who sent the postcard. The Ten Rings infiltrate the club, searching for Ling's pendant, and Shang-Chi and Chen are left by themselves when Ling deserts them for the elevator. They attempt to scale the scaffolding outside to reach another elevator, but the terrorists attack them there. Shang-Chi fails to catch Chen when she begins to fall, but Ling saves her. Death Dealer appears to snatch Ling's pendant, promoting Shang-Chi to give chase and fight him. Shang-Chi prepares to kill his mentor, recalling his harsh treatment during his childhood training. However, Shang-Chi is stopped by Wenwu, who has already captured Ling and Shen. They are taken back to the Ten Rings headquarters, where Wenwu reveals that his late wife has been calling out to him to come and save her. Recounting that she had left the village to be with him, he believes that the people of Talo have imprisoned her for that decision. Then, using the pendants from both his children, he generates a magical map made out of water. The map illustrates a clear path through the bamboo forest to Talo, which only opens before the Qingming festival. Wenwu reveals his intention to burn the village of Talo down after rescuing his wife a plan which alienates his children and Chen into raising their objections. For this, they are thrown into a cell. They eventually meet and imprison Trevor Slattery and his Daijing pet Morris, who reveals there is a way to pass through Talo's forest maze without waiting for a clear path to be revealed. Using an escape route discovered by Ling, the party infiltrates the garage. After hijacking Razor Fist's car, they fight off the Ten Rings and flee from the compound. Approaching the forest maze, Chen is guided by Morris and Slattery as she maneuvers through the shifting bamboo to reach Talo. They manage to make it through unscathed, and as they drive into Taylor's village, they are confronted by the locals who urge them to turn back. However, Lee's sister, Ying Nan, intervenes, finally meeting her niece and nephew. Nan takes them through the history of the realm, once a prospering civilization, but the emergence of the Dweller in Darkness and its army of soul eaters devastated Talo to near destruction. Fortunately, the Great Protector intervened, and the Dweller was sealed off in a cavern, where it would begin to lure people to it by intimidating the voices of their lost loved ones. Nan suspects that Wenwu had fallen victim to the Dweller's influence, as she trains Shang-Chi in aerokinetic martial arts. Xiling practices with a new rope dart, while Shen learns archery, all in preparation for Wenwu's arrival. One night, Shang-Chi sits alone by the lake and remembers the night of his mother's death at the hands of his father's rivals, the Iron Gang. He reveals to Shen that he lied about not carrying out the hit against the gang's leader on his first mission. He declares his intention to kill his father for his involvement. The following day, Wenwu and the Ten Rings begin their invasion. Shang-Chi confronts his father, but Wenwu overpowers him and casts Shang-Chi into the lake. Wenwu approaches
approaches the barrier and begins to attack it, which releases the Soul Eaters. Death Dealer is immediately killed when his soul is taken, prompting Razor Fist to ally the Ten Rings with Talos Guardians to confront the new threat. The Great Protector saves Shang-Chi, who arrives at the barrier to confront his father once more. When Wu loses control of the rings to Shang-Chi during the fight, but is spared, Shang-Chi declaring that his family needs him. Soon after, the Dweller in Darkness emerges from the weakened barrier. Realizing that his sister-in-law was telling the truth, Wenwu saves his son and passes his rings onto him, before the Dweller fully steals his soul. The Great Protector is nearly killed by soul leaders in the Dweller, but is fortunately saved by Zhaoling and Chen. With the help of his sister and the Great Protector, Shang-Chi uses the rings to tear the Dweller into pieces, ending the battle. Although victorious, both the people of Talo and the Ten Rings suffered heavy losses. The surviving combatants, including Nan, the Ten Rings, and Slattery, hold a vigil to honor the dead. Shang-Chi bids goodbye to his father, and he and Chen return to San Francisco and tell the story of their adventure to Su and John, who do not believe them. However, Wong emerges from a portal and brings Shang-Chi and Chen to Kamataj to discuss the origin of his father's rings, making Su and John realize that they were telling the truth. Carol Danvers and Bruce Banner are contacted for help, but they turn out to be clueless as well. Upon further examination, the mystical relics are shown to have a beacon transmitting a mysterious message. Meanwhile, Xiling returns to the Ten Rings headquarters and becomes the new leader of the organization. Elsewhere, Nick Fury and Maria Hill arrive in the aftermath of what is supposedly a violent sandstorm, which has destroyed the small village of Axtenco, Mexico. Fury stated that reports of this spontaneous event had a face, clarifying it as a possible threat for them to investigate. The earth-based creature ran rampant again in the form of an unidentified creature, but a mysterious third party, Quentin Beck, arrived and dismantled it with Fury and Heel's help. In New York City, Peter Parker yearns to gain the admiration of Michelle Jones, who he has a crush on. He competes for her affections with Brad Davis. Parker takes the opportunity to win her over when Midtown Tech organizes a school trip to Europe for the students who are killed in the snap. All the while, Parker is met with an overabundance of stress after Tony Stark's death, asked by many if he would take over, juggling with the responsibilities of being Spider-Man without the help from his mentor. Fury attempts to contact Parker during a charity event as Spider-Man with his Aunt May, but he dismisses it and redirects it to Happy Hogan. Moments later, Fury calls Hogan to ask if Peter is dodging his calls. Parker's attempts to bond with Jones on the aeroplane ride to Italy proved futile. Parker's wingman and his best friend, Ned Leeds, becomes infatuated with Betty Brant, and the two announce that they are dating when they arrive in Venice. While the class's sightseeing, Hydro Man, an entity made from water, emerges from the Grand Canal and runs rampant. Parker attempts to stop it to no avail, until the armored Beck arrives and destroys it after luring it out of the canal. The night of the attack, Fury meets Parker in person and introduces him to Beck. Beck explains that the creatures are elementals from an alternate dimension, which have emerged to their dimension in the blip. A tragic warrior who had lost his family, Beck is determined to defeat them and reveals that the final elemental, Malted Man, is due to make an appearance in Prague. To accommodate Parker's request to keep his identity as Spider-Man a secret without arousing suspicion, Fury reenages the school's trip location from Paris to Peru through the trip's chaperones, Roger Harrington and Julius Dell. In Austria, Parker is provided with a new stealth suit and a new and advanced AI named Edith, embedded in a pair of sunglasses. As a final gift from Stark, when Davis attempts to sabotage Parker's chances with Jones, he inadvertently authorizes an orbital drone strike at their tour bus, but Parker stops it before it opens fire. Arriving in Peru, Fury reprimands Parker for endangering his classmates with a drone strike, 
and after being counseled by Beck, Parker dons the stealth suit and helps Beck combat the fire elemental once it erupts during the city's carnival of lights. Parker utilizes Edith to confine his tour group in the state opera on the other side of town, away from the projected elemental attack. As Parker and Jones were having awkward attempts at complimenting, Fury radioed Parker to be in position, prompting him to ask Leeds to give him an alibi for his departure. Jones, curious as to his suspicious behavior, follows Parker upon his exit, while Leeds and Bran also snuck out to the carnival, who are put in danger's way as they are entrapped on the ferris wheel, due to the fire elemental's emergence scaring away the operator. Parker saves them and Leeds hastily fabricates the Elias Night Monkey to protect Parker's Spider-Man identity. As Parker secures their cart, a web Bloodline snags a cloaked item that flies and lands near hidden Jones. Fury and Hill arrive on the scene and Beck informs them that it is too late to stop the elemental, so Beck sacrifices himself to destroy the fire elemental. Parker leaps down to check and finds him injured but alive. After a discouraging talk by Fury, who invited Beck to Berlin to build a new superhero team, Parker was invited to celebrate by Beck for his heroism over drinks at the pub. Parker and Beck talk about responsibilities and how Parker was too young to be engaging in Avengers level crises. Beck assured him of finding the right rhythm when a waitress picks up the Edith glasses off the floor that Parker had dropped. As Parker was showcasing the Edith glasses, he had an epiphany regarding Stark's last words, and hands them over to Beck instead. Although showing himself to be reluctant, Beck wielded to Parker's request in the end, shouldering the responsibility of Edith while Parker went to enjoy his vacation. Upon Parker's exit of the pub, the establishment dissipates revealing it was all an illusion, with Beck and some accomplices celebrating. Parker and Joe make time for each other on the Charles Bridge, and there Jones exclaims that she suspects Peter of being Spider-Man, and subjects a piece of tech with webbing as proof. When the tech, an advanced projector, activates to reveal an incomplete illusion of a scripted fight sequence with Mysterio, they realize that Beck had been manipulating the elemental crises himself, and is a fraud. Upon this realization, Parker confesses to being Spider-Man, and in need of Jones's help. The two return to the hotel for Parker to suit up, Jones and Leeds to provide him an alibi, and he races to Berlin to warn Fury. Meanwhile, Beck, having grown Kellyus out of his need for attention, reveals his grand plan to the crew, all disgraced former employees of Stark Industries, to launch an Avengers-level threat in London and save the survivors of the event to become the next Iron Man. But Beck noticed a render error of his illusion-projected suit, and furiously examines the footage further to find Jones showing the projector evidence to Parker. In Berlin, Parker Parker attempts to expose Beck's plans to Fury and Hill, but is intercepted by Beck, who would a drone shoot Fury. The office building vanishes into a mid-construction building, where Beck torments him with various illusions. Parker is then saved by Fury, having shot Beck in the back. But upon his demanding names of people who Parker knew could know of Beck's plan, Parker names Leeds, Bran, and Jones. And after getting those names, Fury is revealed to be Beck under the illusion projection, and by resuming the illusions, steers Parker into a path of an oncoming train. Beck has Edith reroute the Midtown Tech class trip to London, intending to kill those that might also expose his plans. Further away, Parker survives the collision and crawls his way into a train car to recover. He later wakes up in a holding cell in the Netherlands, and after escaping, he asks a kind stranger for their phone, which he uses to call Hogan to rescue him. After Hogan proves himself to be 
real to the battle-weary Parker, he provides first aid and a motivational speech to re-energize the young hero. Knowing Beck will target his class and using Thompson's live streams, Hogan plots course to London while Parker develops a new Spider-Man suit. Parker skydives off the Stark Industries private jet into London, just as Beck launches his attack with the elemental fusion, combining the properties of the previous elementals. Gliding over the Thames to make his way into the illusion, Parker battles a swarm of Beck drones and destroys the elemental fusion illusion. Beck reordered the drones to then attack Spider-Man, exhausting the hero to use all of his web fluid. Meanwhile, Hogan went to rescue Parker's friends, but as the drones were nearing them, he had to take them into a secure space, and the only one nearby was the vault of the Royal Crown Jewels. Inside, Parker's friends open up with Hogan, but Parker used an improvised tactic that blew a hole through the drone's defenses, and he reached Beck. Upon capture, Parker broke Beck's interface dome helmet, which deactivated the drones hunting his friends. Beck, however, used Edith to control some of the drones to protect him, casting a dark illusion void within the walkway between Parker and Beck. Parker, using his hyper-awareness, confronts the drones and makes his way to Beck in the Tower Bridge Observation Station. A panicked Beck orders his protection drones to open fire, but Parker's use of the drones as a shield causes another to misfire, shooting Beck in the abdomen. Reaching Beck and countering a last-ditch effort of an illusion, he reclaims the Edith glasses and calls off the attack. The drones leave London, saving his classmates and the population in the process. After Beck succumbs to his wounds and apparently dies, Parker exits the bridge, where Jones embraces him and they kiss, amid the ruins of the bridge. One of Beck's accomplices, William Jinto Riva, recovers all of Beck's drones' files after the battle and makes his escape to a safe location. Meanwhile, Nick Fury and Maria Hill are revealed to be Skull impersonators, Talos and Soren. Operating on Earth as Fury is revealed to have been on a Skull spaceship the entire time. Returning to New York, Leeds reveals that he and Betty Brandt have ended their short-lived relationship, whereas Hogan and May are in a complicated one. May sees that as a fling, while Hogan thought there was a long-term connection. Parker, feeling awkward during their discussion, takes his leave to see Jones for their date. While taking Jones on a date as Spider-Man across the city, they land at Madison Square Garden, where on several billboard screens across the city, NY1 anchor Pat Kiernan announces that much to Parker's horror, controversial online news reporter J. Jonah Jameson of the Daily Bugle released altered footage of the Battle of London. The broadcaster's story of Mysterio's last words and a confession video directly incriminated Spider-Man for the elemental attacks and oust Spider-Man's identity as Peter Parker to the world. Numerous civilians nearby begin to surround him and Michelle Jones, forcing them to flee from the media and the police. They hide in Parker's apartment and reunite with May and Hogan, who reveal that they have broken up. Not long after, the United States Department of Damage Control take them, along with Leeds, in their custody for interrogation. Parker hires Matt Murdock to represent him, who manages to get his criminal charges dropped. However, as Parker, Jones, and Leeds return to Midtown High for their senior year, the intense controversy causes them to be rejected from every college they apply to, including MIT. Parker visits the New York Sanctum and asks Doctor Strange to make the identity of Spider-Man a secret once more to get his friends into MIT. Despite being warned by Wong not to, Strange attempts to cast a spell with the runes of Kof Kyle. However, Parker insistently alters the spell when requesting various individuals close to him be exempt from its effects. As a result, the spell becomes unstable, forcing Strange to contain it, for not consulting
consulting with the college administrators before meeting with him, Strange furiously kicks Parker out of the sanctum. Contacting Flash Thompson, who was admitted to MIT, Parker is led to an MIT administrator, heading to the Alexander Hamilton Bridge. In an attempt to appeal his, Jones's, and Leeds applications, Parker is suddenly ambushed by Dr. Octopus, who seems to know him personally. Dr. Octopus grabs him and rips out a piece of the iron spider armor, transferring its nanites onto his tentacles. He goes for another strike, but Spider-Man reveals his face, which is unfamiliar to Dr. Octopus. Spider-Man then takes control of Dr. Octopus's tentacles with his suit's nanites, and rescues the MIT admin from falling off the bridge, who decides to help get him and his friends admitted out of gratitude. Green Goblin arrives and attempts to attack Spider-Man, but he and Dr. Octopus are transported into the Sanctum, where Strange imprisons Lizard and Dr. Octopus. He informs Parker that Dr. Octopus, Lizard, and Green Goblin are not from this universe, but from parallel realities within the multiverse, who were pulled into his reality by the failed spell since they know Spider-Man's identity. To contain the spell, Strange locks it in the Machina de Cadavos a mystical containment unit. Parker is recruited to help and capture these visitors, receiving a magic-based upgrade to his suit. With assistance from Jones and Leeds, Spider-Man locates Electra outside of the city. Startled, he attacks Spider-Man and gains the upper hand, but Sandman intervenes to shield the hero. The two work together to cut the power lines, which fully restores Electro's body. When he's sent to the Sanctum, Sandman believes Spider-Man killed him, but is also captured before he can retaliate. Elsewhere, Norman Osborn attempts to escape from his Green Goblin persona, breaking his mask before fleeing to a feast facility seeking refuge. Spider-Man locates Osborn thanks to May and brings him to the Sanctum as well. Osborn, Dr. Octopus, and Electro soon realize that they died and were resurrected by the spell, meaning that if they were to return to their home, then they would perish. Strange explains to Spider-Man that these three are doomed to die fighting their own Spider-Man. Strange intends to use the Machina to reverse the spell and send them back to their fates for the sake of the greater multiverse. Convinced that they can be cured of their antagonistic natures and be spared from death, Spider-Man steals the Machina before Strange can use it and flees. Strange gives chase and the two fight. Strange sends him into the mirror dimension to retrieve the Machina, while also trying to implore him of the multiversal stakes, relying on the visitors being sent back. Unfazed, Spider-Man entangles Strange in a web matrix and steals his sling ring before returning to the earthly plane. He passes the ring to Leeds and the Machina to Jones before releasing the prisoners from confinement. Taking them to Hogan's condo, Spider-Man attempts to administer cures for the multiversal refugees. He starts with Dr. Octavius, using a Stark Industries fabricator to engineer a replacement inhibitor chip for his tentacles and restore his higher brain function. In addition, Electra has an energy siphon installed into him, which is designed to extract his powers. But before he could affect Osborn, the Green Goblin persona takes over his body, persuades Electro to remove the siphon before it can fully take away his abilities. He steals an arc reactor and drawing its power, blasts Octavius out of the building. Lizard, Sandman, and Electro escape while Green Goblin attacks Spider-Man, sending him to the ground floor. Running outside, May injects an antidote into Green Goblin, which doesn't work. After striking May with his Goblin glider, Green Goblin tosses two pumpkin bombs, which Spider-Man fails to block and explode in their proximity. Spider-Man manages to locate May in the rubble, unaware that she had been gravely injured. May tells her nephew not to give up helping others despite all the odds, lecturing him that with great power comes great responsibility. As DODC officers surround them, Spider-Man tries to save May, to no avail. As she passes away in front of him, Hogan arrives on the scene and is immediately apprehended by authorities. Grief-shocken, Spider-Man flees, his guilt worsening with Jameson's gaslighting coverage of the attack. Growing worried after Spider-Man's silence, 
violence. Jones prepares to activate the Machina, but Leeds manages to open the portal with the sling ring by accident. Attempting to find Spider-Man, they see what sees to be their Spider-Man on the other side of the portal, calling him over. However, they soon realize that this Spider-Man is not theirs, but rather one from another universe that previously fought the loser in Electro. Leeds tries again, but summons yet another alternate, Peter Parker, who previously fought Green Goblin, Octavius, and Sandman. The group finally manage to find their Spider-Man alone on top of Midtown and attempt to console him about May, but he is too distraught about his mistakes to even care. Before he can use the machine to send the multiversal travelers home, the other two Parkers begin sharing their own personal experiences of loss and bitterness to help him cope and realize that he is not alone. A slightly cheered up Spider-Man then decides to do what he planned to do, heal the villains. The Parkers, Jones, and Leeds then retreat to a classroom laboratory in Midtown to create a cure for their villains. Osborne's Parker engineers an anti-serum for Green Goblin, as Electro's Parker recreates the lizard antidote to return him back to normal, while Spider-Man prepares the cures for Sandman and Electro. Afterwards, Leeds brings them to the Statue of Liberty via portal, as he and Jones remain in the lab. After her cheering them up for the upcoming battle ahead of them, Spider-Man calls into the Daily Bugle to broadcast a message, using the Machina as lore, while announcing his presence to Lizard, Electro, and Sandman. They arrive and attack the three Spider-Man on the scaffolding. The web-slingers are unable to coordinate effectively, which leads to them being easily overpowered by their enemies. Grouping up, Spider-Man assumes command of the trio due to his experience as part of the Avengers. The three adopt codenames, Spider-Man as Peter 1, Osborne Spider-Man as Peter 2, and Electro Spider-Man as Peter 3. They decide to engage and cure one enemy at a time, with Sandman first. After restraining Lizard, Peter 3 retrieves Sandman's cure and passes the device to Peter 1, who then delivers the cure to Peter 2, allowing Marco to be neutralized. The three Spider-Man attempt to take the arc reactor from Electro, but he proves to be too much of a match for them due to his increased power from the energy source. Lizard breaks free and attacks Jones and Leeds in the lab, forcing Peter One to leave and fight him. With the help of Leeds in the sling ring, Peter One forces Lizard to break open a bottle containing the antidote which reverts him back to human form, Kurt Connors. Leeds accidentally summons Strange to the battlefield who, upon seeing Connors, realizes Peter One's pacifist plan is working. Strange grabs back the Machina and his sling ring from Leeds, but Peter 2 and Peter 3 are overpowered by Electro, until Octavius arrives to extract the arc reactor himself and render him powerless with a finished neutralizer. Peter 3 reconciles with Dillian while Peter 2 warmly reunites with Octavius. Peter 1 returns to Strange as he prepares to use the Machina to send everyone home, when suddenly Green Goblin ambushes the group and takes the Machina, but Octavius and Strange grab it back. Unbeknownst to them, Green Goblin had snuck a pumpkin bomb inside the object. It detonates and releases the unstable contained spell, tearing the fabric of the universe and opens it up to the multiverse. The blast also causes Jones to fall from the Statue of Liberty. Peter 1 dives to rescue her, but is knocked aside by the Green Goblin, which then Peter 3 leaps off the scaffold and saves her, and begins to tear up as it reminded him of the night Grand Stacy died. As dawn breaks, Peter 1 confronts Green Goblin alone. Ravaged with vengeance, he viciously beats him down and attempts to finish him off with his glider, but is stopped by Peter 2. This, however, leaves him open to get stabbed in the back by Green Goblin. Peter 3 provides Peter 1 with the anti-serum, allowing him to cure Osborne from the Green Goblin. He notices Peter 2's injuries, which is non-fatal, and realizes the extent of the damage he has caused. 
Strange struggles to hold the rest in the universe together, in which intruders are already preparing to invade their reality. However, Peter One has him enact a new spell to make everyone forget who he is, to fix it. Afterwards, Peter One embraces his alternate selves, who encourage him to continue on as Spider-Man. Strange repairs the rest with a new spell and successfully transports Peter Two, Peter Three, Dillian, Octavius, Osborne, Marco, and Connors back to their origin universes. Spider-Man embraces Leeds and Jones for the final time, while promising to return someday and help them remember him. He then departs as Strange unleashes the spell, leaving the entire world completely oblivious to Parker's existence. A few weeks later, it's now the holidays. Parker tries to reconnect with his MIT-bound friends, but after being reminded of Jones' wounds, he decides not to. He visits May's grave to pay his respects and is joined by Hogan, who is also now a stranger to him. Contending to carry on with his new life, Parker moves into a new apartment alone and begins studying to earn his GED. Alerted to criminal activity on his phone, he stitches together a simpler suit and resumes his heroics undisturbed as Spider-Man, honouring May's mantra of community service and responsibility. Earlier before the spell, Eddie Brock, who was also transported from another universe by Strange's spell, drinks in a bar in Taijuana, and with Venom, the two learn about what's going on in that universe. Brock thinks that they need to find Spider-Man, but in that moment, he and Venom get transported back to their universe. However, Venom leaves a symbiote fragment there, which begins moving. Rewinding time and back in 5000 BC, a group of 10 immortal individuals descend upon Earth to protect humanity from the Deviants. They are the Eternals, who have been sent from their home planet of Olympia, in the Domo, by the Prime Celestial, Aramish the Judge. Throughout the centuries, the Eternals continue to relocate to other growing civilizations and defend them from the Deviants, although they are barred by Aramesh from interfering with human conflicts to allow them to evolve naturally. Two Eternals, Circe and Icarus, would develop a close relationship over the centuries eventually becoming a married couple. In 1521, the Spanish invasion on the Aztec capital of Tenochtitlan ran concurrently with an attack from the last of the Deviants. While fighting them off, Athena's Mad Riri causes her to momentarily turn on her allies, only to be stopped by Gildamesh. The Prime Eternal Ajax offers to cure Athena's affliction at the cost of her memories, but Gilgamesh volunteers to look over her, conceding with the possibility that she may have to be killed if she turns again. Druig, frustrated with how the Eternals have been abstaining from human affairs, deserves them to end the Spanish conflict himself. With the Deviants seemingly eradicated, Ajax releases the Eternals to go their own ways. In the years since, Icarus would abandon Circe as the other Eternals await their return to Olympia. In the present-day London, Sprite lives with Circe as she works as a museum curator with a romantic interest in her colleague, Dane Whitman. One night, Circe, Sprite, and Whitman are leaving a party when they are attacked by a Deviant. They are joined by Icarus as they fight to eradicate the beast, but they discover that it is able to heal itself. As Whitman is left behind, Circe, Sprite, and Icarus decide to leave for South Dakota in search of Ajax. At her house, they find her body instead, a victim of an earlier deviant attack. As Cersei mourns over the death of their leader, Ajax passes on the sphere she uses to communicate with Arishim to her. With a deviant threat looming, the three decide to venture out to find the other Eternals. They approach Kingo as he shoots a new Bollywood film, who is hesitant to leave his life of stardom and rejoin the Eternals. He gives in when he learns about Ajax, alongside additional encouragement from his valet, Karan Patel, who also tags alongside them to film a documentary for Kingo. The group locates Gilgamesh and Thena in Australia as 
the ladder's Riri resurfaces due to a recent deviant attack. After examining Thena's artwork, she had painted alongside her episodes of Riri, which visualized memories of her planetary destructions in the past. Cersei uses the sphere to successfully establish a connection to Irishim. The Prime Celestial reveals to Cersei that Olympia does not actually exist. Instead, he had engineered the Eternals in the World Forge. He had also created the Deviants to eradicate Earth's apex predators and allow intelligent life to thrive, but a critical design flaw led to them to evolve and become predators themselves. So the the Eternals were deployed onto Earth to protect the humans, unaware that they were also defending a seed that would spawn the new celestial time up the communicator once the population quota of intelligent life was achieved. When that happens, the emergence would commence, resulting in the destruction of the planet and the birth of said celestial, which would allow for new life and galaxies to form. Afterwards, the memories of the Eternals would be taken from them and studied to Arishim to make way for their next planetarial mission. Appalled with the true meaning of their existence, Cersei informs the others, and together they realize that Thena's mental affliction was the result of a botched memory wipe after a previous emergence. Hoping to delay the emergence, they find Druig in an Amazon village in hopes that he could be able to utilize his telepathy to render Timot the Communicator dormant, but he is hesitant to help. At night, they are ambushed by the Deviants and fight to fend them off. Icarus and Cersei are viciously attacked by one of the beasts, but she uses her powers to transmute it into a tree, to everyone's surprise. As Thena begins to fall insane yet again, Gilgamesh rushes to her side. However, this allows the Deviant leader Crow to attack him and absorb his powers, gaining a humanoid figure. Intelligible speech and his memories. Before fleeing, Crow pledges to kill the Eternals for their actions towards the Deviants. With his last words, Gilgamesh successfully gets Thena to remember who she is, curing her of the affliction. The rest of the Eternals mourn the loss of their strongest fighter with a cremation, with Thena scattering his ashes in the river. Druig proclaims that he is not powerful enough to affect the Celestial, so they head to Chicago to seek out Fastos, who had long abandoned mankind and his technological ambitions after his technology was used to create the atomic bomb. However, he has newfound hope for humanity after finding a new life with his husband, Ben Stoss, and his son, Jack Stoss. He initially refuses to leave his family, but relents after Ben convinces him to fight for Jack's future. Heading to Iraq, they retrieve the Domo from an archaeological site and find Marika residing in the ship. As they are all imbued with infinite cosmic energy, Thastos proposes that they channel their energy into Druig and form a Unimind so that they can take control of the Celestial and stop the emergence. But not everyone is on board with the plan, with Icarus being the primary dissident. When Kingo pledges to remain alongside Icarus up until the end, he recalls his last account with Ajax six days prior. She informs Icarus that although the blip brought the emergence closer to reality, the heroics of the Avengers inspired her to doubt Aramish for the first time. But as he remains a firm believer in Aramish, Icarus takes Ajax to a town in Alaska where the deviants trapped in ice were resurfacing due to the global warming associated with the emergence. He pushes her into the path of Crow who absorbs her life force and gains her hyper-regenerative powers. Icarus takes Ajax's body back home before breaking down over what he done. Cersei senses the commencement of the emergence, prompting Fastos to send Macquarie out and find Timot, who is at a volcanic island in the Indian Ocean. Druig deduces Icarus's role in Ajax's death, and Cersei learns that he was made aware of their true mission by Ajax centuries ago. Icarus argues that it is their duty as Eternals to protect the celestial cycle of life so that the universe may continue to exist, 
When Kigo threatens to attack Icarus, Sprite decides to leave with him. As he does not want to face Arsham, but wishes to not fight his friends, Kingo also departs along with Karun. Thena convinces Cersei to continue Ajax's mission as her successor and prevent the emergence from eliminating all of mankind. To facilitate the Unimind, Fastjoss takes Cersei's communication sphere and disassembles it to construct bracelets for the other Eternals to wear. At the island, Cersei, Thena, and Macquarie lend their energy to Druig to allow him to connect with Timur, but Icarus blasts him into a hole and destroys the Domo. Determining that Cersei's matter transmutation powers are their last chance to stop the emergence, Macquarie, Thena, and Fastos confront Icarus to give her cover. Crow attacks the Eternals and nearly kills Macquarie, but Fastos knocks him into a cave where Thena allows him into. Sprite projects an illusion of Ajax to distract Cersei before stabbing her with a dagger. As she is constantly mocked for her childlike stature, Sprite envies Cersei for being able to live a full life among humans, hoping that the emergence's aftermath would allow her to be reborn as a full-size life form. Druig recovers and knocks Spite out, but he is unable to utilize his powers against Timur again, forcing Cersei to face it alone as the Celestial begins to rise from Earth's crust. Crow impersonates Gilgamesh and attempts to take over Thena's mind, but she is able to resist him and kills the Deviant. Thastos manages to restrain Icarus and prevent him from using his powers momentarily, but he eventually breaks free and flies away to stop Cersei. However, he is emotionally unable to bring himself to harm her. Remembering their time on Earth and the love they shared, he surrenders. Despite this, Cersei still doesn't have enough energy to kill Timur. However, suddenly something unites all the Eternals, including Icarus and Sprite, into the Unimind, obtaining enough energy to allow Cersei to transform Timur's buddy into marble. Guilt-ridden, Icarus apologizes to Cersei before fleeing Earth, flying directly into the sun. Fastos deduces that it was Timur itself that initiated the Unimind. This was always the way for Eternals to survive the destruction of planets, but this time it resulted in the Celestial's death. Having retained some energy from the uni mind, Cersei fulfills Sprite's wishes and transmutes her into a human to allow her to grow up. Two weeks later in South Dakota, Thena, Macquarie, and Druig depart from space on the Domo, which had been repaired by Thestos, in search for more Eternals and tell them the truth. Back in London, Sprite bids farewell to Cersei as she moves out with Kingo to attend school. Cersei is out on another date with Whitman when Aramis dramatically appears outside Earth's orbit. For sabotaging Timit's emergence, he abducts Cersei, Fastjoss, and Kingo to evaluate their memories for a final judgment of the humans, sparing them for now. Whitman later returns to a museum and opens a case containing an ancient enchant sword that once belonged to the ancestors, but is caught off guard by a questioning voice. The Eternals on the Domo find out about Aramish's kidnapping several days later when their allies fail to respond. Suddenly, Eros, Thanos' brother, and his troll companion Pip teleport onto their ship. Eros reveals that he knows where they can find their allies. Elsewhere in the Gap Junction, a place between universes, America Chavez and Doctor Strange race to the Book of Vishanti while attempting to evade a ribboned creature. Strange's attempts to contain the creature prove futile, leading him to attempt to steal Chavez's power of multiversal travel while knowing that the process would kill her. However, the demon kills Strange during the process and Chavez, in fear, inadvertently opens a portal to Earth 616, where she and Strange's corpse fall through. Doctor Strange wakes up, believing this vision to be a nightmare and continues about his day. He dresses up to attend Christine Palmer's 
wedding, where he reminisces about the time they previously spent together, but Palmer insists that their relationship would have failed regardless. During the celebration, an invisible entity begins to terrorise the streets of New York, so Strange is forced to respond, and reveals the identity as a Gigantos, a gigantic tentacle monster. Also present is Chavez, whom Strange recognises from his nightmare, and rescues her. Wong arrives on the scene from Comitage, and together they kill Gigantos by gorging its eyes out. Strange and Wong question Chavez, and she explains that the demons were hunting her for her powers. As proof of her claims, she takes them to the alternate Strange's corpse to prove that Strange's nightmare was actually a peek into his counterpart across the multiverse. Upon further inspection of the corpse, Strange discovers runes of witchcraft that he realises were also present on the tentacled creature. Knowing that this isn't his area of expertise, he visits Wanda Maximoff at her farm to ask her about what she knows about the multiverse, but he soon discovers that the farm is a chaos magic conjuration, created by Maximoff herself. With the Darkhold in her possession, Maximoff reveals herself as the one who sent the demons after Chavez originally, believing that she could reunite with Billy and Tommy once she's able to take over the multiverse. She gives Strange before sundown to surrender Chavez, before hunting her down herself. Strange rejects her demands. As Chavez is over at Comitage, the Masters of the Mystic Arts fortify the area in, in preparation for Maximoff's assault with a magic shield and various other defences. However, Maximoff's telepathy targets one sorcerer and disables his magic, leading the shield to collapse, allowing her to shred through the resistance of Comitage. Strange entraps her within the mirror dimension which proves to be ineffective as she escapes using reflections. Cornered, Chavez accidentally opens a portal allowing herself and Strange to flee across the multiverse, travelling in and out of multiple dimensions. They land in Earth 838, in a futuristic New York City, where they walk towards the New York Sanctum in search of Strange's counterpart in this universe. But as that counterpart has died defeating Thanos previously, they are instead greeted by his universe's Sorcerer Supreme, Baron Mordo. Mordo invites both of them to sit down for tea and the to warn him about the Scarlet Witch's incoming threat, but they soon pass out as Mordo had poisoned their tea, and they awaken in a facility elsewhere. There they meet that universe's Christine Palmer, who works at the facility as a scientist that helps with managing different multiversal threats. Strange is brought forth before the Illuminati for his trial, consisting of Mordo of the Mystic Arts, Captain Peggy Carter of the Avengers, Blackagar Baltigan of the Inhumans, Captain Maria Rambu of the Kree, Reed Richards of the Fantastic Four, and Charles Xavier of the Mutants. They believe that Doctor Strange remains the greatest threat in the universe, revealing that their universe's counterpart of Strange had used the Darkhold to look for alternate ways to defeat Thanos. He found the Book of Vishanti, which the Illuminati used to kill Thanos on Titan, but Strange confessed that he had caused an incursion, an event in which two realities collide, destroying either one or both. Thus, Strange volunteered to be executed to prevent further destruction. Meanwhile, Maximoff makes use of the Darkhold to dreamwalk into her Earth 838 counterpart in Westview to interact with her children. However, back in Earth 616, Sarah Wolfie manages to destroy the Darkhold, so Maximoff burns her alive in retaliation. She also threatens to kill other sorcerers if Wong does not reveal another method to dreamwalk, leading him to reveal that the book was a copy. He takes her to a castle on Mount Wondergore where the Darkhold was first transcribed. Maximoff uses the castle's power to dreamwalk back into her Earth 838 self and raids the Illuminati headquarters in search of Chavez. Before they could vote to execute Strange, Carter, Black Bolt, Rambo and Richards leave to respond to the attack. 
but Maximoff easily kills them all. Xavier enters Maximoff's mind and attempts to liberate her from the Scarlet Witch, but fails as she snaps his neck. Mordo votes to kill Strange himself, who tricks into destroying his restraints before escaping. The Illuminati's efforts have also brought Palmer enough time to free Chavez, and the two escape into the sores, where they reunite with Strange. Maximoff continues to pursue them into the Gap Junction, where Strange retrieves the Book of Vashanti. However, Maximoff quickly destroys it and takes control of Chavez, using her to send Strange and Palmer into another universe. She takes Chavez back to Earth-616, abandoning her alternate self who returns home to Westview. Maximoff then prepares a ritual to take her powers, and elsewhere Strange and Palmer land in a universe that is being destroyed by an incursion, and head towards its New York Sanctum. There they find a sinister counterpart of Strange who had been corrupted by his copy of the Darkhold, and possessed a third eye because of it. When questioned about the Darkhold, this sinister counterpart warns against using it. However, Strange still engages in the musical battle in order to retrieve the book, believing it to be the only way to stop Maximoff. The fight ends with Strange killing his evil counterpart, and Palmer reluctantly agrees to assist Strange as he dreamwalks into the other alternative Strange's corpse back on Earth 616. As he travels to Mount Wondagore, the spirits of the damned inhibiting the Darkhold attempt to attack Strange in both universes, but Palmer is able to protect Strange as he blinds them into a cloak. He reunites with Wong and they attempt to fight Maximoff but are easily defeated. Despite their loss, Strange manages to inspire Chavez into refining her abilities against Maximoff, which results in her using her powers to send Maximoff back to Earth 838. There, she attacks her counterpart and attempts to comfort her kids they openly reject her. This causes Maximoff to collapse into tears, but her counterpart comforts her, breaking her out of the Dark Arts corruption. Realizing the destruction she has caused, Maximoff sacrifices herself to destroy the castle and every copy of the Dark Arts within the multiverse, as Wong and Chavez return to Kamataj. Before they both return to their home universes, Strange admits to Palmer that while he has always loved her, he was too insecure about committing to a real relationship. Kamataj begins to rebuild as Chavez starts her training in the Mystic Arts. While Strange returns to New York and repairs the watch 616 Palmer had gifted to him. He takes a walk afterwards only to collapse and cry out in pain as his third eye opens. Shortly after, Strange encounters Klee, a sorceress who warns him that he's caused an incursion and that they must put a stop to it. She opens a portal to the Dark Dimension and the two walk through it. Elsewhere, Kate Bishop, a 22-year-old woman who was inspired to take up archery after being saved by Hawkeye during the Battle of New York, returns to New York City in time for the holidays, reuniting with her mother, Eleanor, who recently became engaged with Jack Kukwensi. The family attend a social gallery at a hotel, where Bishop sees her old acquaintance, Armand Duquence III. Things begin to look off when Bishop sees Armand threatening Eleanor, and after following him into the hotel cellar, she runs into a black market auction with Armand and Jack as participants bidding for various relics, such as equipment belonging to the enigmatic Ronin. The tracksuit mafia then bomb their way into the cellar to steal a Rolex. Jack takes Ronin's sword while Bishop dons Ronin's suit to fight off the tracksuits. Later that night, she infiltrates Armand's house to investigate his aggression with Eleanor, but finds him dead. After seeing the Ronin resurface in the news while on holiday vacation with his children, Clint Barton intercepts Bishop and tries to attack her, but stops when he discovers the young woman beneath her mask. As Bishop drops off the Ronin suit at her apartment where Lucky the dog resides. The tracksuits track the duo down and attack them there with Molotov cocktails, forcing them to leave the outfit behind for later retrieval. Bishop uses her aunt's apartment as a temporary safe house as Barton finds out that a first responder had taken the Ronin suit for LARPing. As a result, Barton is forced to drop his kids off at the airport as he goes to take the article of equipment back. 
promising them he'll return by Christmas. Convinced that Jack was responsible for Armand's killing, Bishop attempts to inform Eleanor, but she refuses to hear it. Barton allows himself to be captured by the tracksuits, while Bishop accidentally gets herself captured after she tries to contact him about Jack. Having lost her father to Ronan during his reign of terror, Maya Lopez interrogates the two about the ninja's return. But not only are they uncooperative, they also escape, using trick arrows to help them get away. Determined to uncover more about Jack, they sneak into Bishop's penthouse, where she uses Eleanor's security farm to view information on Lopez's friend, Kazimerikak, and Jack, where she finds that Kazimerikak is listed as an employee at Sloan Limited, but she's unable to view Jack's file. Jack and Eleanor soon return to the suit, where they learn about Barton and Bishop's active investigation into Armin's death. After being escorted out by Eleanor, Barton gets Laura to look up Kazimerikak, later learning that Sloan Limited was a money laundering front for the tracksuits with Jack listed as its CEO. While throwing a celebratory festive party at the safe house, Bishop soon learns that Barton was Ronan, having morphed into the brood of vigilante in his grief during the blip. After recovering spare trick arrows from their LARPA allies, Barton and Bishop are led by Laura to an apartment room to retrieve the stolen Rolex, where Bishop discovers that someone had been keeping tabs on Barton's family. It was Lopez, who attacks Bishop, while Barton is simulating simultaneously ambushed by a Black Widow assassin. After Bishop forces Lopez out of the fight, Barton unmasks the Widow as Yelena Belova, who had been sent to New York to kill him on the belief that he was responsible for Natasha Romanoff's death. As Belova flees, the Black Widow's involvement in the conflict leads Barton to send Bishop home to keep her safe. Bishop gets her mother to look into Jack's criminal dealings before returning to her scorched apartment, where Belova awaits to lecture her about Barton's reputation as a superhero. The next day, Eleanor turns Jack over to the authorities, who claims that he was framed. In an attempt to settle this conflict with the tracksuits for good that night and prevent its leader from getting involved, Barton dons the Ronin suit and confronts Lopez to warn her not to chase his family any further. When he reveals that her boss used Ronan to eliminate her father, Lopez tries to retaliate, but is stopped by Bishop. While stalking Eleanor, Belova learns she was her employer and an associate of Wilson Fisk, who had murdered Armand and framed Jack on his orders. She'd recently cut ties with him over her daughter's investigations into her criminal activities as well. She forwards the discovery to Barton and Bishop, who head to the Rockefeller Center to locate Eleanor and escort her away from the tracksuits. Bishop finds her mother and gets her to confess to her crimes, but she slips away. Cousin Merikak attacks Barton who subdues him and escapes to the ground, where he's joined by Bishop and a recently released Jack as they fight off a horde of tracksuits. Belova arrives to kill Barton, but eventually stands down after learning that he tried to stop Romanoff from sacrificing herself. Lopez, who had abandoned Fisk, attempts to persuade Kamikaze to do the same, but she is forced to grievously wound him when he refuses. Fisk ambushes Eleanor, but is confronted by Bishop who weakens him with a trick arrow, induced explosion. After Eleanor is handed off to the police for Armand's murder, Lopez meets up with Fisk and eventually shoots him. By Christmas Day, Barton manages to return home to his family, bringing Bishop and Lucky the pizza dog with him. Laura is handed back her shield-issued Rolex, and the Ronin suit is set ablaze. Bishop struggles to come up with a superhero name for herself, leaving Barton to suggest her as the new Hawkeye. Stephen Grant wakes up in his apartment and heads to his job at the National Art Gallery, where he is mistreated by his strict boss, Donna Craft. At night, Grant attempts to stay up by studying about ancient Egypt and solving different puzzles. But his attempts fail, and he regains his consciousness in Austria while being pestered by a mysterious voice to give the body to Mark. He gets attacked by a group of armed men and chased into the streets. He watches Arthur Harrow giving a speech about Amit to his disciples, while using her power to judge them. Harrow is told that the scarab of Amit is missing and realizes that Grant is responsible. 
Grant loses consciousness again and brutally murders the disciples who are attacking him, and eventually he manages to escape in the truck. Later, Grant makes his way to the museum where he is approached by Harrow. He gives Grant a talk about Amit and then touches him to read his scales. Harrow looks worried and says that there is chaos in him. As Grant runs, Harrow demands him to give him a scarab. He sends jackals to chase Grant through the museum, but Grant makes it to the restroom. In the mirror, he sees his reflection, which is somehow talking to him. The reflection demands him to give him the body. Confused, Grant gives in. The reflection marks Spectre, then takes over Grant's body and summons the Moon Knight suit. He then defeats the Jack before walking out of the restroom. The next morning, Grant is adamant that what happened last night was real. He pressures JB to show him that security footage from the night before. On the footage, Grant sees himself getting chased by nothing, seemingly all in his imagination. He then sees himself walking out of the bathroom and staring coldly into the camera. Afterwards, Grant is called into his manager's office and is fired for the events of last night. He sadly returns to his flat and finds a key to a storage unit. Upon arriving at the unit, Grant found the golden scarab, many passports and guns. He then saw his reflection in the mirror, and Spectre explains that he's the avatar of Khonshu, the Egyptian god of the moon. He is Khonshu's moon knight. He then asks for control of the body, but Grant refuses and says he's going to take it to the police. As Grant runs out, he sees Khonshu in the distance. He starts running from Khonshu and exits the building. He falls down in the street where a scooter almost runs him over. The woman turns out to be El Fowley, who tells Grant to hop on, not knowing that Spectre is gone. Grant is confused but hops on the ride with El Fowley. They return to his flat and El Fowley asks many questions that Grant cannot answer. Two police officers then knock on Grant's door, so El Fowley hides. The officers deem Grant's ID to be fake and arrest him. On the way to the station, they reveal that they aren't officers and they bring Grant to Arthur Harrow. Harrow doesn't want any violence and explains to Grant why he needs the scarab and to not trust Khonshu. Harrow explains that Amit judges people before they sin so they cannot commit the act. However, before the conversation moves ahead, El Fowley arrives. Harrow sends jackals to El Fowley and Grant, but the two run away while El Fowley tells Grant to summon the suit, but he doesn't know how. Grant is then forced to jump out of a window and lands with his Moon Knight suit on. His suit is a fancier version, which goes by Mr. Knight. He then fights the jackal despite not being skilled in combat. During the fight, Grant finally gives in and hands the body to Spectre, who defeats the jackal, but realizes that Harrow has the scarab. Khonshu threatens El Fowley's freedom, so Spectre agrees to go to Egypt to hunt Harrow. Many days later, Spectre chases the disciples of Amit around Egypt. During the fight, Spectre blacks out and wakes up with a knife through a member's heart. He questions Grant, who says that he didn't do it either. After he couldn't get information, Khonshu suggests that they call a trial of the gods. The Enids could then judge Harrow themselves. They reach an agreement that Harrow is not committing the acts that Khonshu claims, but an Enid that agrees with Spectre tells him about Senfu, who recorded the location of Amit's tomb a long time ago. His sarcophagus is with a man named Anton Mogart. Exiting the temple, Spectre finds El Fowley, who decided to help him and want to understand more about his dissociative identity disorder. She knew Mogart and was able to get them to his place, and at Mogart's estate, Mogart turned on them, causing a battle. Moon Knight was able to kill all the guards and threw a crescent dart at Mogart while he tried to escape. They went to the desert and opened up the sarcophagus to find a cartonage. Spectre couldn't decipher the stars on the cloth to locate the tomb. He eventually gave in to Grant, who was able to understand it with his knowledge. 
However, the star patterns change over time, so they couldn't pinpoint an exact location. Khonshu, the god of the moon, then told them that he turned back the night how it looked when Senfu created the cartonage. He told Grant to have Spectre free him because it was inevitable that the Enids would imprison Khonshu in stone. With the help of Grant, Khonshu turned back the night sky to a point where they could find a tomb. Grant then passed out of exhaustion while Khonshu was imprisoned by Osiris and the rest of the Enids. With Khonshu gone, Spectre is stripped of his powers. Suddenly, Harrow's men approach, and while Grant has passed out, Elf Fowler uses a flare to ignite the explosives in the back of their truck killing them. They arrive at the location of Amit's tomb and go inside. However, Harrow's men are there as well. Inside, Grant and Elphalia split up. Elphalia encounters Hacker Priest, who kills Billy Fitzgerald. After almost getting killed, Elphalia is able to escape from the threat. Harrow then greets her and tries to tell her the truth about her father, and he tells her that Spectre had something to do with it. She then leaves before he can say any more. Meanwhile, Grant finds a tomb, which turns out to be the tomb of Alexander the Great. He marvels at the fact that he's there before remembering the objective. He grabs Amit's Shapti, which is the key for Harry to let Amit loose on the world, but he is then found by Elphali, who questions him. Seeing her anger, Grant allows Spectre control of the body. Spectre explains what happened that night, that Bushman turned on him, but Harry then walks into the room and Spectre grabs an axe and prepares to fight, but Harry wastes no time and shoots Spectre, killing him. Spectre wakes up in a mental hospital. He stares at a wall when Elphali, now his assistant, helps him out of his wheelchair. He then starts to go crazy, but is sedated. He wakes up in front of his Dr. Arthur Harrow. Spectre then remembers that he was shot and tries to escape. He runs by a sarcophagus that opens up. Out walks Grant. The two altars hug and then try to escape. As they reach the door, a hippo greets them, which scares Grant and Spectre. Spectre then wakes up again at Harrow's office. Harrow talks to him about traumatic memories as well as what is real and fiction. Spectre starts to lose control again and finds himself back in front of a hippo, who greets herself as Tarot, brings him to a boat and explains that they have died and the hospital was a transition period. She needs to weigh their hearts to see if they are worthy to go into the field of reeds. Tarot is confused about there being two of them, but nevertheless, she weighs the hearts. They don't balance because they are not full, so she gives them a chance to go back in their memories so they can equal them out. So they return to many memories like June Mark's his childhood, where he and his brother Randall went into a cave. Suddenly it started raining, which caused the water to rise. Randall drowned in the cave, which led to his mother to hate Mark. This constant abuse and hatred caused Spectre to develop an altar, which he named Stephen Grant, after his favourite movie character. Another memory while well, one day he was raiding a dig site in Egypt when his partner, Rule Bushman, got greedy over the money. Bushman killed a group of people including a man named Abdallah El Fowley. Bushman then shot Spectre and left. Spectre crawled his way into a tomb and attempted to kill himself, but suddenly he heard the voice of the Egyptian god of the moon, Khonshu. The god sensed the chaos of the multiple altars inside Spectre and asked him if he wanted vengeance and bring justice onto bad people. Seeing that he was going to die, Spectre agreed. Khonshu then empowered Spectre with powers, making him his Moon Knight. Sometime later, Spectre got a call from his father, telling him that his mother died. Spectre went to the Shiva, but stayed outside, not gaining the courage to go in. Despite the abuse that his mother gave him, he still felt emotion. He drank and walked down the street, throwing his Yamaka on the ground. This stress led to Spectre losing control of Stephen Grant and letting him loose. Grant woke up oblivious to what had happened and returned to his home in London. This was the first time the two lives bled into each other. Grant becomes emotional at the realization that Spectre created him, but they return to the boat to find that it still hasn't worked. The souls of unbalanced people climb on board to claim a victim to the sand below. The two fight them until Grant sacrifices 
himself. Spectre looks out to see Grant being turned to stone. However, with Grant gone, Spectre's heart balances, and Spectre wakes up to find himself in the field of reeds. Meanwhile, El Fali mourns Spectre when she is briefly possessed by Tara in order for the god to communicate a message. They need to free Conchu. El Fali is able to do just that, and Conchu works on getting Spectre back. At the Field of Reeds, Spectre cannot be in paradise. Harrow has released Amit and people are being killed at rapid rates. Spectre returns to the boat and finds Grant. He hugs the statue and makes amends with him, which wakes Grant back up. The two hug before a gate is opened by Conchu, allowing them to return. Spectre wakes up, joins back with Grant in his body, and Conchu has healed him. With their trip to the afterlife, the two altars have been able to work together. Harrow and Amit continue their killing spree, and Harrow is able to kill all of the Enids as well. Harrow then breaks Amit's Ushapti and fully releases her onto the world. Still at the temple after freeing Khonshu, El Fowley witnesses this and meets with the Enid, Selim before he dies. Selim tells him that the way to kill Amit is to bind her to a mortal body. El Fowley is then possessed by Tower again, and Tower offers El Fowley to become her new avatar, which she accepts. She then gives her power and a wingsuit, becoming the Scarlet Scarab. Moon Knight and Khonshu talk and agree to a new deal. That Moon Knight stops Harrow and then Khonshu will let him go free. They arrive in Karyo to fight Harrow and Amit, and the Scarlet Scarab arrives as well, shocking Spectre and Grant. Moon Knight and Scarlet Scarab fight Harrow, while Khonshu fights Amit. However, Amit is too much for Khonshu and defeats him. Spectre continues to fight Harrow but gets overpowered. As Harrow is about to kill him, Spectre then blacks out. When he wakes up, he finds himself to have defeated Harrow. Grant once again claims that he wasn't awake either, so neither Neither of them did this. El Fali looks at them in fear and shock. But they then bring Harrow to the chamber of the gods and use a spell to bind Amit to Harrow so that they can kill them both. Spectre is pressured by Contra to kill them, but El Fowley tells him he has the choice. Spectre agrees and tells Contra that he is no different than Amit. Spectre also says that he has fulfilled his deal, so Contra lets them go. Later, Grant and Spectre are now able to communicate very efficiently. However, they are now aware of a possible third altar. Harrow is now at a mental asylum and meets with his doctor. He is then taken out of the asylum by a man and put in a limo. In the limo, Harrow is granted by Conchu, who introduces him to his friend, Jake Lockley, the third altar. Lockley then shoots and kills Harrow along with Amit inside of him. Elsewhere, Jennifer Walters, who is a paralegal, and her cousin Bruce Banner drive on a road while Banner explains his Hulk inhibitor device. A device designed to keep himself in human form to aid the recovery of his arm after the snap. Suddenly, a Sakarian Class 8 courier craft drops down in front of them, causing Walters to swerve off the road and over a cliff. An injured Walters gets out of the crashed car and tries to help Banner, who yells at her to get away from his exposed gamma-radiated blood. However, she doesn't listen and tries to help further. Banner's blood gets into Walters' open wound, and she starts to turn into a Hulk, while Banner fights his own Hulk. Walters runs away only to wake up later all dirty. She is soon tackled by Banner, who reverted into Hulk form. Walters wakes up at Bruce Banner's island, and it's explained by her cousin that the mutated blood turned her into a Hulk. Banner decides to train her to become a hero as well as control her Hulk. Much to his surprise, Walters is able to willingly go back and forth between Hulk and human as well as being able to be conscious in Hulk form. The two train for many days, but Walters is eager to get back to her law firm. She tries to leave, but Banner attempts to stop her, causing a fight between the cousins that ends with them crashing into the bar. They calm down and fix the bar together before Banner decides to let Walters return to her life. Months later, Walters practice a closing argument 
while her best friend, Nikki Ramos, criticizes her. In court, Walters prepares her closing argument when Titania crashes through into the courtroom. Walters hulks out and defeats her before delivering her closing argument. This event causes the world to know of her as She-Hulk, and Walters is promptly fired for being a liability due to the biasness for her new powers. After many failed interviews, Walters is finally offered a job by Holden Holloway. Walters agrees, but unbeknownst to her, the only way she gets the job is if she's always She-Hulk at work, and she's head of the Superhuman Law Division. Walters gets her first case, the parole of Emil Blonsky, otherwise known as the infamous Hulk enemy, Abomination. Walters has an immediate conflict of interest, but Holloway explains that Blonsky nosed and waived the problem, allowing her to represent him. While talking to her new client, Blonsky explains that he's a new man, who made up with all of his enemies. And the next day, Walters calls Banner for help deciding on if she should take the case. Banner assures her that Blonsky and him made up for their past. He then explains that he will be gone for a little bit as he hangs up. He then looks out the window as a Shikarian's ship flies off with him on it. Walters turns on the television to find that footage has leaked of Abomination in an underground fighting ring, meaning he has escaped undetected before. This greatly hinders Walters' case. Walters marches into Blonsky's cell and he explains that he was forced to leave by Sorceress Supreme Wong. She-Hulk works in her office when Wong arrives and explains that he made Abomination break out of jail so he could fight him to train. She-Hulk has him state this to the jury, and at the hearing with Wong's testimony, the jury decides that Blonsky is a changed man, and lets him out of jail on the condition that he wears an inhibitor to prevent him from turning into the Abomination. Meanwhile, Augustus Puglius takes a case from Dennis Yukowski, who wants to sue an Asgardian light elf who he claims shapeshifted into Megan the Salian and dated him. Puglius uses a testimony from Walters that proves Bukowski is so egotistical that he would truly believe he dated Megan the Stallion. Further proving his win, the shapeshifter Runa turns into the judge for fun. Walters later signs Megan the Stallion as a client, but at night She-Hulk is ambushed by the Wrecking Crew, who have come to steal her blood. She defeats them and they escape. At a magic show, Donnie Blaze performs Eldritch Magic and uses a sling ring to send Addison King to Wong by accident. An annoyed Wong enlists the help of She-Hulk to sue Blaze for his misuse of the mystical arts. She-Hulk and Wong give Blaze a cease and desist, and in court, Blaze wins the case because the jury decides that you cannot sue for magic. Meanwhile, Walters creates a matcher account to find a date, but to no luck. She then decides to make an account as She-Hulk and gets many dates, including one with Todd Phelps, who is very creepy about her powers. She finally finds a match with Arthur, and during one of their dates, Blaze accidentally lets demons into the world. Wong interrupts her date to get her to help, and She-Hulk helps on the condition that Blaze agrees to the cease and desist. Walters gets delivered a message saying that Titania has trademarked the name She-Hulk for a new perfume. This sends the two superpowered beings into court. With the help of Mallory Book, Walters is able to prove to the court that she had used the name She-Hulk before the copyright, allowing her to win the rights to the name. Meanwhile, Ramos and Puglies go on a mission to find the new Iron Man 3s from a man known as the Drip Broker. This leads them to find Luke Jacobson, a superhero suit designer. Ramos recommends Walters to him so that he can make her a business suit that fits her. Walters uses one of the dresses made by Jacobson 
to attend her friend Lulu's wedding. However, Lulu wants none of She-Hulk and makes Walters return back to human form. During the wedding, Walters meets Josh Miller and the two connect right away. They talk the whole day until Titania suddenly shows up. Walters tries to fight her, but Titania claims that she is there for her friend Lulu. Later, Walters walks until Titania sneaks up on her and punches her. This causes a fight between the two that ends when Titania is knocked to the ground, destroying her teeth. She runs away humiliated. Meanwhile, Book and Ramos help Craig Hollis in the case against his many spouses who are all suing him for faking his death multiple times to get out of their marriage. Hollis explains that he never fakes his death because he does not technically die, but his power is that he is immortal. They give every spouse a fair deal and later they find a website called Intelligentsia that spreads hate and death threats against She-Hulk. The leader of Intelligentsia, Hulk King, has their scientists use a sample of She-Hulk's blood to make a serum. Throughout the week, Walters and Miller date and she falls in love with him. However, he randomly leaves, much to Walters' confusion. This heartbreak leads Walters to sadness. However, she is called by Chuck Donlan, Blonsky's advisor, who says Blonsky's inhibitor went off. Walters meets him at Blonsky's estate, some twilights, and they find that Blonsky's inhibitor was just malfunctioning. Walters goes to leave, but Aguila and Manbull destroy her car. This forces Walters to stay with barely any service. She walks around and finds Blonsky leading a support group for superpowered outcasts, and she eventually explains to them what's going on with Miller, and they convince her to move on and delete his contact. She does so when later leaves the retreat feeling way better. Sometime later, Leapfrog tries to stop some criminals stealing a television. However, as he uses his jetpack boots, they catch on fire, causing burns on his legs. He enlists the help of Walters in suing the manufacturer, Luke Jacobson. In court, Jacobson seems to be representing himself, but his lawyer, Matt Murdock, finally arrives. The blind Murdock apologizes, saying that his driver got lost. And during the hearing, Murdock smells the fuel coming out of Leapfrog's boots jet fuel. This is something that Jacobson told him not to use as fuel, thus allowing Jacobson to win the case. Walters goes to the bar, angry at Patilio for withholding information from her. Murdoch approaches her and they talk for a while before he abruptly leaves. Walter gets a call from Phelps who needs her help. Just like many times before, he creepily hits on her and she angrily leaves. Walters then gets called by Patillo, who then explains he is getting attacked. She-Hulk arrives at a parking garage and attacks the Asilian, Daredevil. They fight until Leapfrog gets away and She-Hulk is able to unmask Daredevil, revealing him to be Murdoch, who is blind, but has enhanced senses. Murdoch then explains that Leapfrog kidnapped Jacobson, and Walters goes with him to help. They both defeat the goons and break Jacobson out, and Leapfrog is arrested after falling on his legs. Jacobson forgives Walters, and the two heroes talk for a while before returning to Walters' apartment and doing the deed. Daredevil then leaves for New York. Later, She-Hulk goes to a gala for female lawyers. However, the big screen is hacked by Intelligentsia and shows a sex tape of Walters and Miller. An Intelligentsia member speaks over the video, stating bad things about She-Hulk, and before Walters gets nude on the recording, She-Hulk smashes the screen and goes after an Asylian in rage. She's then arrested by damage control. Book helps Walters get freed from custody on the condition that she wears an inhibitor. Walters and Ramod then work together to find the identity of Hulk King so that they can sue him. But with everything that has happened, Walters goes to the Summer Twilights to talk with Bonsky. Meanwhile, Pug Louise infiltrates an Intelligentsia meeting with the help of Ramos. Coincidentally, the meeting is taking place at Summer Twilights in order for Abomination to make an appearance. 
Blonsky does, Blonsky does so as abomination, breaking his deal, but is unaware of Intelligentsia's true nature. Phelps attends the meeting revealing himself as Hulk King, who believes that Walters doesn't deserve her powers. Suddenly Walters makes her way to the meeting in search of Blonsky. She sees Blonsky as abomination as well as Phelps, realizing he is Hulk King. Phelps goes on a rant to Walters before using a serum developed from her blood to give himself Hulk powers. Walters then confusingly asks you if this makes any sense. Titania suddenly breaks through the wall into the fight too, and as Abomination picks up Walters to save her, Hulk breaks in thinking Abomination is attacking her. The two engage in a fight and Walters tells you that the plot lines make literally no sense. Suddenly your Disney Plus home screen pops up. Walters breaks her inhibitor and uses her strength to break through the home screen. She then hops into Assembled and is able to get into the real world Marvel Studios headquarters from there. She talks to the head of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, a machine named Kevin. Through complaining, she is able to convince Kevin to change the script. She explains that Phelps doesn't need to be a Hulk to prove his point. Thus, his Hulk plotline gets erased. She then wants Bonsky to realize his actions, which removes Abomination. She also erases Hulk's appearance as it makes no sense, but she asks for Daredevil to come back. Kevin complies, but fixes the glitch that allowed this to happen so she can no longer change the script again. Walters returns to her world and sees the arrested Phelps, telling him that she will see him in court. Titania is also arrested along with Blonsky for breaking his plea deal. Suddenly Daredevil arrives, but was too late for the fight. Later Murdoch joins Walters to a feast with her family, where suddenly Hulk arrives with an announcement. Hulk then reveals his son, Scar, and in the coming days, Walters is cleared of her crimes and returns to work as She-Hulk. Meanwhile, Wong breaks Bonsky out of jail. Elsewhere, Captain Marvel superfan and Aisha's great-granddaughter Kamala Khan meets with Bruno Carelli and Nakia Bahadia at school. Carelli and Kamala think of a plan to ask her strict parents if she could go to New Jersey AvengerCon. Kamala is then called to the office where she's told she needs to start thinking about college. Kamala returns home and finds a package from her grandmother, Sana Ali, and the package contains a bangle. Later at dinner, Kamala asks her parents about AvengerCon but they immediately turn her down. Kamala thinks in her room with her brother, Amir, who agrees to talk to her parents. After Amir talked to them, they decided they would let her go. They give Kamala the good news, but on the condition that she goes with her father, Yusuf, and wears her Hulk costume. This angers Kamala, which prompts her disappointing father to say that she cannot go after all. That night, Kamala talks to Corelli about how she felt bad. However, she still thought of a plan to sneak out. Meanwhile, Corelli gets her Captain Marvel costume ready for the cosplay competition, and he tells her that she needs a bit of herself in the costume to make it stand out. Kamala chooses the bangle. Kamala successfully sneaks out of her house and the two arrive at AvengerCon, Camp Lehigh. Before the cosplay event, Kamala goes to the restrooms to get dressed. However, she forgets her gloves that are made to look like Captain Marvel's Photons bars, so she decides to put on her bangle instead. Upon wearing it, she sees a different world. She brushes this off and gets on stage. During her presentation, she gets blinded by the camera flashes, which sets off a blast of hard light energy from the bangle. The energy hits a giant Majunia prop, which sends it flying into Kamala's classmate, Zoe Zimmer. Kamali reaches out and the bangle generates a hard light fist that catches Zimmer. After the commotion, Kamala returns home to see her mother waiting for her. Maniba gives Kamala a talk before leaving. Kamala then sits back in her bed marveling at her new power. Meanwhile, the United States Department of Damage Control see the event at AvengerCon. Agent Cleary and Sadie Diva take on the case. The following day, Zimmer gained a new following after uploading videos of the new hero. She coins the hero's name as Nightlight, but nobody knows that it was Kamala. After school, Corelli and Kamala test out her powers and train. Kamala is able to walk in her hard light structures 
and Corelli tests her DNA and finds out that it is different from human DNA. Later that night, Kamala and Corelli go to Zimmer's party that she's holding after a near-death experience. They meet a new student, Cameron, who Kamala immediately clicks with. They go out on a date the following day, and at dinner, Kamala listens to Yusuf tell the story of how Ali followed the stars back to her father. Kamala then has a vision of a woman pointing at her. Meanwhile, Zimmer is brought into the DOC and interrogation by Cleary. Zimmer reveals that Nightlight was Middle Eastern, and Cleary sends agents to look at every mosque. During Eid Mubarak, a kid is taking selfies on a window ledge when he falls off it, hanging by a curtain. Kamala quickly puts on her Captain Marvel costume and walks on a hard light until she's under the boy to catch him. She instructs the boy, Hamid, to step on the structure with her. As they walk to the edge, Kamala gets another vision causing Lou's focus. Hamid falls, but she catches him right before he hits the ground. Kamala then worriedly runs into the alley where she is attacked by Stark Industries combat drones. She runs away from them, but a car shows up. Cameron tells her to get in and she thanks him, but is confused. He introduces Kamala to his mother, Najma. They bring Kamala to safety and explain to her that they are part of the clandestines, a group that included a few others and her great-grandmother. Najma also explains that Kamala is not human, but of the same species as them. The clandestines have been trying to get back to their home world, the Nord Dimension. And when Kamala returns home, Maniba tells her that Corelli left a gift. Kamala opens it and finds an eye mask. Meanwhile, Corelli does more research and finds out that traveling back to the Nord Dimension could be dangerous. However, Kamala tells Cameron that she will help them despite the cautions. Later, Kamala attends her brother's wedding and has a lot of fun until suddenly, Najma and the clandestines arrive, saying that they've waited long enough. Cameron tries to warn Kamala, but he's too late. Kamala is chased into the kitchen where she pulls the fire alarm so that people leave. She then blocks their attacks. Salim goes to punch Kamala, but Corelli gets in their way, injuring himself. Cameron gets Kamala and Corelli out, but is thrown off a balcony. As the two get cornered, Najma touches the banger which leads them both to see a vision of a Karachi train coming at them. The DODC arrives and arrests the clandestines, including Cameron. But Corelli and Kamala escape with the help of Bahadir, who feels betrayed that Kamala didn't tell her about her powers. Kamala returns home and calls her grandmother regarding the bangle. Ali told her that she saw the train too and Kamala needs to come to Karachi right away. Kamala and Mamba then hop on the plane after Kamala insists they go. Upon arriving, she finally sees her grandmother after many years, and also meets her cousins. After talking for a bit, Kamala goes out into the city, where she finds a vigilante who attacks her. The two engage in a fight until the man notices the bangle, and asks if she is a clandestine. He then brings her to his residence to ask more questions. He introduces himself as Kareem, the Red Dagger, which is a title passed down through many warriors including his mentor. Walid explains to Kamala the Nord Dimension, and its dangers, as well as teaching Kamala how to control her power. Meanwhile, the clandestines escape, damage controls custody, but Najma leaves Cameron, who she thinks betrayed her. Ali and her daughter Maniba talk, and after a conversation, Maniba is able to make up with her mother, and in turn makes up with Kamala, and understands her more. The next day, Walid, Kareem, and Kamala are attacked by clandestines. Walid throws a dagger at Salim, killing him. In retaliation, Najma kills Walid. The two heroes run until they are cornered. Red Dagger kills Adam during a short battle, and Najma tries to stab Kamala, but hits the bangle which sets off an energy burst that transports Kamala to 1947. She looks around and finds Aisha, who she sees get stabbed by Najma. Kamala tries to help Aisha, but she's too late. Aisha gives Kamala a picture of her family, and she then sees a young and lost Ali. Kamala sets off a trail of hard light to lead her back to her father, 
and Kamala stands in awe and she realizes that she was the person who saved Ali. She then travels back to the present and sees that Najma has opened up the rift to the Nord dimension. Furiha touches the rift but gets disintegrated into a skeleton. Seeing how dangerous it is, Najma realizes that she could close it but at a cost. She calls out to Cameron before touching the rift which kills her but closes it. In America, Cameron hears Najma's whisper which sets off a power inside of him. He stands there and creates a hard light fist. Ali and Maniba find Kamala and realizes that she's a hero. Kamala gives Ali the picture and before departing, Red Dagger gives Kamala his red cloth. Cameron visits Corelli for help when suddenly a DODC drone shoots at Cameron. He throws hard light energy at it before it explodes the building. Corelli and Cameron escape but Cameron cannot contain the energy surging within him. Kamala returns home and hears that Circle Q exploded. She calls Corelli but to no response. Maniba gives Kamala a suit that she made and the two fugitives go to a mosque where Sheikh Abdullah gives them clothes to blend in before sending them on their way. They meet with the Kamala at the school but Hadia, Amir and Zimmer arrive as well to help. As DODC agents move in, the group sets off non-lethal attacks and traps. Clearly calls Diva and tells her to take their men out because it's bad for publicity, but Diva doesn't listen and calls for more troops. The group get themselves captured in order for Kamala and Cameron to escape, and Cameron goes outside where he's shot at by agents. They are both pushed aside but Kamala gets up, seeing the injured Cameron. She says it in Biggin, which makes the hard light form around her legs and hands, making her structure very big, with bigger fists and legs. Cameron wakes up and attacks the DODC agents, and Diva prepares to shoot Cameron, but he sends a vehicle at her. However, the vehicle misses and flies towards the bystanders. Luckily, Kamala catches it before it hits the innocents. Cameron can't hold his power much longer and sets off a wave of hard light energy. Kamala pushes through the energy and puts them both in a hard light sphere before it wounds anyone. Cameron reasons with Kamala, saying nobody will accept them. Kamala tells that Najmir saved their world to protect them, and Cameron says that he can't be normal after everything he's done. However, Kamala says there is no normal, just them and what they're given. She then tells him to get to the harbor as she buys him time. Cameron leaves as Kamala breaks the sphere. The people of the city then make a barricade in front of the DODC agents as Kamala leaves so that they can't get her. Diva then gets a call from an angry Cleary who tells her to leave as soon as possible so that they can fix her mess. In the following days, TikTok reacts to Nightlight's heroic actions. Kamala watches as she stares into her mirror at her new costume. She gets onto her roof where Yusuf finds her. He asks what her superhero name is going to be, but she admittedly doesn't know. Her father gives her a speech that she saved one life and in turn she saved the world. Yusuf tells her that Kamala means Marvel, and Kamala is astonished that she shares a name with her hero Captain Marvel, before Yusuf tells her that she is always his little Miss Marvel. Later, Cameron meets with Kareem in Pakistan and Kamala sits on a light post, staring out into the city. One week later, Corelli and Bahadir ride in Cameron's car that he'd left. They meet with Kamala and Corelli says he looked at her genetics again and it was wrong. There is something different, like a mutation. She slightly dismisses it though and tells him it's just another label. They then drive off and later Kamala lays in bed, but her bangle acts up and she is then sent flying through her door. When she gets out, it isn't Kamala but Carol Danvers, who had teleported to Kamala's bedroom somehow. Heading to the past for a moment and Gore, the last of his people, spends his days striving to survive on a barren desert with his daughter. He prays to his god, Rapu, for help, but his daughter soon dies of starvation, just as he begins to hear a voice calling out to him in the distance. Gore discovers an oasis where he finds Rapu, who had killed the latest wielder of an ancient weapon known as All Black the Necro Sword. Rapu makes fun of Gore for his helplessness and refuses to provide any assistance. Feeling betrayed, Gore claims the Necro Sword and beheads him, and vows the elimination of all gods. 
Back to the present and Thor continues his adventures with the Guardians of the Galaxy, responding to distress calls across the universe, while working to get back in shape. However, Thor remains discontent with where he is in life, and intends to retire. An influx of distress calls regarding Gore emerge, one of them being from Sif, who had hunted him down. Thor and Korg respond to Sif's call, parting ways with the Guardians, who leave to respond to the others. They go and venture out only to find a defeated Sif with her arm severed, who warns them that Gore will attack New Asgard next. Meanwhile, Dr. Jane Foster undergoes treatment for stage 4 cancer. Efforts to research for a cure prove futile and she begins to lose hope, but Foster becomes inspired to travel to New Asgard in hopes that their magic can help eliminate the cancer. As Thor had unknowingly enchanted it to protect Foster while they were together, Najulnia becomes drawn to her presence fusing itself back together and imbuing her with the powers of the mighty Thor. That night, Gore uses the Necrostord to swarm New Asgard with shadow monsters. Thor, Korg, and Sif arrive to confront them, as does King Valkyrie and Foster, who Thor is surprised to see. While they are able to repel the monsters, Gore escapes with Asgard's children, including Heimdall's son, Axel. Thor communicates with Axel and deduces that their children are in the Shadow Realm. Knowing that Gore's strength would be at its peak there, Thor, Mighty Thor, Valkyrie and Korg travel to Omnipotent City to warn Zeus of Gore and ask for an army of gods to help fight him. Unconvinced that Gore is a threat to Omnipotent City, Zeus instead has Thor captured, forcing the others to intervene and fend off Zeus's men. In the scuffle, Zeus uses his thunderbolt to destroy Korg's body, and only his face remains intact although this is enough for him to survive. Enraged, Thor uses the Thunderbolt to impale Zeus in his chest, which Valkyrie steals as the group escapes to confront Gore in the Shadow Realm. On the way, Thor learns of Foster's cancer diagnosis, and the two rekindle their relationship. Upon arrival, they attempt to locate their children, only to realize that they had fallen for a trap. Gore intended to take Stormbreaker in order to utilize the Bifrost Bridge to access Eternity, where he can make a wish for the extinction of the gods. They battle Gore and his shadow monsters once more, but are forced to flee back to New Asgard once Valkyrie and Mighty Thor are weakened. Before Stormbreaker can be transported across the Bifrost, Gore steals it. Thor is informed that the effects of Majunia are aggravating Foster's cancer, and he urges her to stay behind to recover. Valkyrie is also unable to continue fighting, leaving the Thunderbolt in Thor's possession so that he can fight Gore again. At the center of the universe, Gore begins opening Eternity's Gate with Stormbreaker. Thor arrives using Thunderbolt and imbues the children with the power of Thor, giving them enough strength to overcome the remaining shadow monsters. Gore gains the upper hand against Thor, and having sensed his distress, Foster decided to wield Majunia again despite her weakened condition, and joins the fight through using Valkyrie's winged horse. Thor gives Mighty Thor ample time to use Majunia to shatter the Necro Sword into pieces dooming herself and Gore. Thor recovers Stormbreaker and has the children use it to return home, but they could not stop Gore from entering Eternity. Thor calls out to Gore and pleads him to choose love over death as he rushes to Mighty Thor's side. Their love reminded him of the love he had for his daughter, thus deciding to use his wish to resurrect her instead. Foster soon succumbs to the cancer, vanishing into Valhalla. Thor accepts Gore's request to take custody of his daughter before he dies from the Necrosword's curse. In the aftermath, a statue of Foster as the Mighty Thor was erected in New Asgard. Sif and Valkyrie begin training the children in combat, while Korg's body fully regenerates as he seeks to produce an offspring. Thor starts to raise Gore's daughter as his own, entrusting her while he wields Majunia into battle. The two begin traveling the galaxy, offering assistance to whoever needs it, becoming known as Love and Thunder. In the meanwhile, Zeus begins to recover from his injuries as he sends out his own son, Hercules, to kill Thor, and Foster encounters Heimdall in the afterlife. 
wife, who welcomes her to Valhalla. Elsewhere, and after the Bloodstone family had been fighting monsters for years using the powerful weapon the Bloodstone, Elias Bloodstone has died, and his funeral is held. Jack Russell arrives at Bloodstone Temple for a challenge among monster hunters to gain possession of the Bloodstone. Russell walks around looking at fellow hunters. Elias' daughter Elsa Bloodstone arrives. Verusa Bloodstone greets her and condescends her for not continuing the monster hunting tradition. Verusa greeted everyone and had the butler, Billy Swan, open the casket to reveal the puppeteered Elias, explaining that the others would have to defeat a monster in order to abstain the Bloodstone. The Bloodstone will be a attached to the monster, which will weaken it. Verusa claims that Elsa doesn't belong there, but Verusa explains that she will have no special treatment. The challenge soon commences with Russell leading the way into the maze. Russell and Elsa run into each other, but Russell wants no conflict and suggests to pass each other. Juvan then charges at them, throwing Elsa into a wall. Elsa takes him down and escapes. She uses an axe as a weapon while she slowly makes her way into another room. Lyon emerges from behind a door and tries to shoot her with her wrist arrows. Elsa slices his arm off with her axe and then reads him of his weapon, before using it against him to shoot him in the throat. Jovan then walks in, so Elsa hides in a ditch, covering the dying Lyon's mouth. Jovan suspects nothing but takes the axe lying on the ground. Russell makes his way to the monster man-thing, and Russell is guided to see his friend and plans on helping him escape which was his reason for attending. Azarel then finds them, so Russell runs into a room and closes the door. Elsa, who was inside, tells him not to close it, but Russell doesn't hear. When he closes the door, he realizes it is locked. Russell reveals his plan to her and they talk for a while in the room, which is an indoor graveyard. Elsa suddenly remembers that her aunt hid a key in the grave, believing she would be resurrected and would need a way out of the room. Elsa finds the key and they break out. Elsa goes to free Man-Thing, while Russell blows a hole in the wall for him to escape. Russell tells her to call him Ted so he trusts her. He then asks how to turn on the explosive, but accidentally does just that, causing them to need to rush. Elsa makes it to Man-Thing and finds Joven as well. Man-Thing incinerates Joven, but trusts Elsa when she explains that she's with Russell, and calls him Ted. Meanwhile, Russell tries to attach the explosive to the wall, but has trouble getting it to stick. He finally does so just as Man-Thing charges through the wall escaping, but not before Elsa gets the bloodstone off of Man-Thing. Russell reaches for the bloodstone, which throws him back and incapitates him. Verusa arrives and realizes Russell is a monster as well, so she locks up Russell and Elsa for helping a monster despite her knowing. Russell wakes up in a cage and apologizes to Elsa, who is with him. Russell explains that he's a werewolf and the next full moon is in five days. However, the bloodstone can turn him into a werewolf where he becomes uncontrollable. Russell profusely smells Elsa and explains that hopefully he will remember her in his werewolf form. Verusa then walks in and uses the bloodstone and a Latin spell to turn him into the werewolf, so that he can kill Elsa. Verusa taunts Russell through the cage, but he grabs her. She screams, but is saved by their guards. They back off only to find that Russell has escaped. Russell rampages through the guards and bites Verusa's ear off. He then goes into a room and kills all of the guards, flipping and rolling around them. The door then closes and he tries to claw his way out. Verusa takes the bloodstone and blasts Russell back. Meanwhile, Elsa escapes and fights Russo, slicing his neck. She then fights Azarul before slicing her neck as well and striking her skull with a sword. Elsa then shoots a rope at Verusa and pulls her away from Russell. She then grabs the bloodstone and approaches Russell, hoping he will recognize her. Russell jumps on top of Elsa, but does in fact recognize her. He calms down and runs away. Verusa then yells at Elsa for letting Russell leave. Verusa vows to kill her stepdaughter, but Manthig returns, only to incinerate Verusa. Elsa then tells him that Russell left. Swan vows allegiance to Elsa, and she tells him to clean everything up. 
Elson then sits down in her chair holding the bloodstone, succeeding in her mission. In the morning, Russell wakes up in human form to the sound of Over the Rainbow playing on a phonograph. He finds Man-Thing playing solitaire and sits with him to drink coffee, also succeeding in his mission. Elsewhere in the galaxy on Nowhere, Kraglin of Fontry tells the Guardians of the Galaxy the story of how he and Peter Quill tried to celebrate Earth's Christmas when Quill was still a kid. However, Yondu Yudonta got mad and told them to cut it out. Alfonteri says that according to the calendar, Christmas is coming on Earth, but Nebula says that they have too much on their plate after buying Nowhere from the Collector and needing to rebuild it following Thanos' attack. Meanwhile, Quill gets approached by Berserzimitkokolok, who is researching Christmas and wrote a song about it, but he ends up completely mischaracterizing it, to Quill's annoyance. Mantis tells Drax the Destroyer that she wants to do something for Quill for Christmas, due to her secret that she is Ego's child and therefore Quill's sister. Thinking about giving him an unforgettable Christmas present, Drax suggests Quill's hero, Kevin Bacon, would be a perfect option. So they take the Bowie and fly to Earth. Walking across Los Angeles, Mantis and Drax get mistaken for cosplayers and earn a lot of money from tourists who wanted to take pictures with them. Looking for Bacon, Mantis and Drax go to the club where they get wasted, before the bystander gives them the Star Tours booklet with Bacon's home address. They go to Bacon's house and try to take him as a present, but Bacon says that he cannot help them. However, Mantis and Drax then break into his house. So horrified, Bacon calls the police and tries to run away. The police arrive, but Mantis and Drax defeat the officers before catching up with Bacon. Mantis uses her powers to put Bacon in a trance and convinces him to go with them. Back at the Bowie, Mantis and Drax ask Bacon about his adventures that Quill was talking about. However, they realize that Bacon is not a hero, but just an actor. They both get disgusted, believing that actors are horrible people and thinking that Quill's perception of Bacon was warped. Mantis uses her powers to get Bacon to act as an actual hero so that Quill will not be disappointed. With the help of other inhabitants, the Guardians decorate Nowhere for a Christmas party, which amazes Quill, but he soon gets horrified when he finds out that the present is Bacon, kidnapped by Mantis and Drax. Quill immediately tells Mantis to get Bacon out of the trance and promises to get him back home, although he still freaks out. Obfontry then brings Bacon onto the ship to transport him to Earth and explains that Mantis and the others simply wanted to do something nice for their friend on Christmas, who was always fascinated by Bacon. Bacon then decides to stay at Nowhere for a while and performs a song with Berserta Mitsutok at the Christmas party, during which the Guardians exchange presents. Quill asks Mantis why she would go to such lengths to make him happy and she tells him about Alfonso's story, about how Yudanta ruined Christmas for him. Quill then tells Mantis the rest of the story. After calling off the party, Yudonta found a toy troll Quill wanted to give him as a present, so Yudonta gave him a present as well, his quad blasters. Mantis tells Quill that she wanted to do something special for Quill and admits that she's actually his sister. Surprised, Quill tells Mantis that, that is the best present he could think of and the two embrace, wishing each other Merry Christmas. Afterwards, Rocket Raccoon and Cosmo the Guardian's newest member, decorate Groot to look like a Christmas tree. However, Groot gets tired and lowers his arms, dropping all of the decorations. Cosmo said that Groot ruined Christmas again, and Rocket remarks that now they need another special. 